It's a god-awful small affair To the girl with the mousy hair But her mummy is yelling no And her daddy has told her to go But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks through her sunken dream To the seat with the clearest view And she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a sad thing for But she's lived it ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools And they ask her to focus on
David Bowie, Life on Mars, and uh, I'm sure most of you know that David Bowie passed away this past week, so that's why I played the song. This song's from 1971, for those of you who are wondering, if you are not familiar with it. Decided to play something that uh, wasn't expected as far as uh, playing a David Bowie song. I knew People expected I'd probably play a David Bowie song, because it was such big news that he died this week, but I played a lesser-known song. There are actually two TV shows based upon this song, both called Life on Mars. One of them was in the UK, and another one, a remake of the UK version, was on in the US about, I think, about seven years ago. It was actually a good show, the US version. I never saw the UK version. But uh, ABC canceled it after a short time in the first season. They screwed up the whole thing and scheduled it very poorly, had big hiatuses between episodes. It was a mess, so... Good show that died way before the time it should have. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This is the Druff and Friends show. I am Todd Dan Druff Wattellis. This show is being broadcast on December, not December, January. January 13th, 2016. And I see my sound levels are high. Let me turn myself down then. Show my sound levels are high. January 13th, 2016. Today, or should I say tonight, is the Kate Memorial Show. And you might wonder, who is Kate, and why are we having a memorial show for her? I explained a little bit last week. I will explain more this week. And it has to do with a free roll as well. Some good news for those of you who enjoy the free roll and like playing for more money. Because I think this week we're going to have the highest price pool free roll that we've ever had. So here's the story. Uh, There's a Poker Fraud Alert radio listener, a regular listener named Stephen. And Stephen had a girlfriend named Kate that he's been with for nearly five years. And in 2011, he was listening to the show on Donkdown, which I used to be part of, which no longer exists. He was listening to it, and Kate, who he just started to go out with, was in the room when he was listening to the show, and she said, hey, I enjoy this. This this is a pretty cool show. So she also started listening, and then when I left Donk Down and started Poker Fraud Alert six months later in early 2012, he started listening to this show when it came to exist, and Kate did as well. And both of them have been regular listeners ever since, and Kate's son, Jamie, also has been a regular listener of this show. So all three of them, it's like a family affair, they were all listening to this show. Uh, Kate was exactly my age, maybe a few months older, probably not a few months, yeah, probably not a few months older, actually, I'm almost 44. So she's she was 43 as of last month, as I am now, but I'm not going to be soon. So... She's born in the same year I I was, and very sad that Kate passed away on December 1st. Now, her death was not a shock. She had cancer, and she had been fighting it for a long time. Actually, kind of similar to David Bowie, who I guess people were shocked by his death, but people who knew him well and knew that he had cancer were not shocked because when you have cancer it's a a slow process a very slow and painful process if you've ever known someone who's died of cancer you've watched them deteriorate it's very very sad 
on one hand, it's nice that you're not just abruptly gone, like in a heart attack, but uh, the bad part is the end of your life is very unpleasant and your loved ones have to watch you deteriorate and eventually die. Kate actually fought off the cancer on three different occasions, according to what I was told by Stephen, who sent me a message about this on January 6th. So he said she beat cancer three times before he was even with her in 2011. So this has been going on for a long time. And on the fourth attempt to beat cancer, unfortunately, Kate just wasn't able to do it. And on December 1st, 2015, Kate passed away at the age of 43. And I didn't know Kate. I mentioned her one time on the show when Stephen donated and... uh, He said to give a shout-out to Kate. She listened to the show, too. So I gave the shout-out, and he told me that uh, she really enjoyed that because she's listening to the show, too. She enjoyed hearing herself mentioned. He said she was thrilled when I mentioned her and actually saved the clip on her phone and played it to her family. That's how proud she was of being mentioned on this show. So she really enjoyed the show, as did Stephen and her son, Jamie. And uh, it's sad to get these messages, even though this is not someone I really knew. Uh, She was still a listener to the show. I had mentioned her once on the show when money had been uh, donated in her honor. And I hate picturing that people who enjoy this show and make it a part of their life uh, are no longer with us, especially younger people who should have had a lot more life to live. It's one thing if somebody's 85 and they're listening to the show and then uh, they pass away. Everybody dies at some point, but when you're in your 40s, this is the second time in about six months that we've had a listener in their 40s pass away. David Koenig, who passed away in July, also known as Clown Buster. And I, I knew him fairly well. He was a friend of mine, so that was very sad for me to find out. And then to lose Kate, who I, I didn't really know, but it, to hear the story of this whole thing made me very sad. When I get messages like this, it's, it's a downer. Now, I don't want to make the whole show a downer. And to reverse perhaps the bad mood that this might be putting you in, to hear about a listener dying at the age of 43 of cancer, I'm going to announce that there's a $200 free roll tonight. At 8.10 p.m., our usual free roll, except it's not a usual prize pool. Usually we have $50, $100. Maybe if we do really well one week, we'll get $150, $170. This week we have $200 in all of this money. 100% of the $200 came from Stephen and Jamie. Jamie, remember, being her son. Stephen uh, has been her longtime partner. And they donated this for a free roll in her honor. They figured that uh, she really enjoyed the show and that uh, she would have liked this. She would have liked this usage of $200 to give joy to the other listeners of the show to play for some more money than usual. So this free roll is dedicated to Kate. I feel especially bad for her son to have to lose his mother at such a young age. I mean, my mother is 43 many, many years ago, as you can imagine, since I'm 43. So if I had lost my mother when she was 43, I would have been very devastated. And uh, I can 
only imagine what he's going through. And, of course, for Stephen, who's been with her for almost five years, that's uh, got to be very tough as well. So condolences to you guys and a uh, very nice thing you did on her behalf. And I'm sure she would have been proud of your gesture here. So $200 free roll. The usual rules apply as far as eligibility. If you want to know if you're eligible for the money, go to pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll. Pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, all lowercase, and read the rules. It takes place on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You need a separate account to get in there, but it's totally free otherwise. Here's the other intro stuff for the show, which is officially the Kate Memorial episode. And by the way, for those of you that might think, oh, he's just doing this because they gave a lot of money to the free roll. That's not true. Uh, I, I really honestly feel bad when I read a story of a listener passing away, especially passing away young. Uh, this is not BS. I'm not just saying something to sound good or sound sensitive. It, when I get these messages, I'm like, oh, that's just – like I hate reading it. Like I, I'm not telling people not to tell me about this if this happens, if you know somebody listening to the show who passed away. It's just, it's just something that really makes me sad even when there's listeners I don't know very well. I'd like to just picture that everybody listening to the show is going to live as long as I am and be listening until my last day. <laughs> so it it sucks to get messages like that. Okay, so the phone number to the show, if you want to call in, is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also reach the show on the Mount Charleston line. If you go to my Twitter, you'll see a picture of me at Mount Charleston. I did not take a picture of myself with the phone, but I will next time. I promise next time I go to Mount Charleston, I will take a picture of myself with the phone that's there. It's an old 70s rotary phone that forwards to wherever I go. It's on top of Mount Charleston. It's 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. No matter which number you call, you have to show your caller ID or you will not get through. You can also text the main phone number. Don't text the Mount Charleston line. It's an old 70s phone. I can't take text. But the Mount, the, the regular phone number, 775-372-8355, can take texts anytime, before, after, or during the show. And I will read them on the air unless they are personal texts towards me or unless you ask me not to read what you write on the air. If, just be safe. If you, if you don't want me reading what you write, say something like, please don't read this, and I'll respect it. Otherwise, it's fair game. I, I try to use common sense, like if it's something just not really meant for public consumption, then I won't read it. But otherwise, it's probably going to be read, to be honest. <laughs> so uh, you can text me again before, during, or after the show. And uh, let me take a look what we even have here. By the way, the free roll starts in 10 minutes and has 25 minutes of late registration. Here is... A text from the 510 area code. This is referring to something I said last week. Wow, you know about the 209 area code? I'm impressed. How are you so familiar with the Bay Area? Do you know where Fremont is? Because I may actually be from there. How, many, how do you not know where you're from? You may actually be from there? Did Were you kidnapped as a kid and you don't know where you're from? That's kind of a weird text. But yeah, I know most California cities. I know all California area codes. I'm very familiar with the state of California and the state of Nevada, for that matter. Those two states I know very, very well, even though I never lived in the Bay Area. 
And uh, this is one of our black listeners, by the way. And he said, I moved to Utah and then Tracy, California. There's 0.5% black people there. I heard a kid ask in a post office once, Mommy, what's wrong with his skin? <laughs> I felt very bad for that kid. Looking forward to tonight's show, Druff Man. Keep doing your thing, homie. Yeah, that's got to be weird to hear. Uh, where I grew up, there weren't a lot of black people either, but I, I wouldn't have asked a question like that. I was aware that people were different colors. There were a lot of Asians where I grew up, though. It wasn't like all white people. It was like all white people and Asian people where I grew up. I see a call coming in. Eh, let's take it. I was going to take it, but it, it disappeared. I was actually going to take it. By the way, if I don't answer your call, don't feel insulted. Just try back in like 15 minutes, and I'll probably take it. Let's see, from the 613, thanks for the long show. You wouldn't believe the snow and traffic that I listened to the show in. I drove around the city for four and a half hours. Traffic moved, slow, moved slowly. Is not all the, la- all the lanes were plowed properly. Took an hour to get, another hour to get home. It was in Ontario, Ottawa, Canada is where it took place. Cold here. When you talked to Vegas nights being too cold to sleep in your car, I laughed. Someone texting Mike on back. <laughs> That's not going to happen. From the 561, I think it's time you free Garrett. You're letting all the trolls run wild and he can't respond. Well, I, I had to... That has to do with the forum. I had to give Garrett a forum nap because he was going crazy and making everything unreadable. He's not banned for good. I just I, I just couldn't take it anymore. I just couldn't take it. And it wasn't even aimed towards me. Like he wasn't trolling me or anything. I just he was making the forum unreadable and he wasn't listening to what I was requesting of him, so I, I got tired of it. I just napped him for a while. Alrighty, uh let's see what else. You can go in the chat room if you're listening live. Chat with other listeners of the show. Where are the co-hosts tonight? Where are the co-hosts? Answer, I don't know. Daredevil is missing in action. I contacted him today and said, would you like to be on the show? And he is missing. He did not respond. Brandon is missing in action. I contacted him today, asked, would you like to be on the show? He did not respond. So... (laughs) I guess we're not going to have any co-hosts tonight unless Trader Ruski jumps in or unless uh, one of these two appear. I, Brandon is not surprising. Brandon sleeps really funny hours some days, so he could be sleeping for the whole day as far as I know. Daredevil, I don't know where he is. Usually Daredevil responds. He either says yes or no. We just got nothing today. So maybe they're holed up together somewhere. Maybe they were uh, they enjoyed each other's company so much. Maybe they decided to start a, a secret gay romance in our, on a... Romantic vacation together, maybe at Mount Charleston. (laughs) Now, I got to look at something. It's 8.02 Pacific time, and something just happened, and that is the Powerball was chosen or drawn. The Powerball, which is uh, $1.5 billion, which is really more like $900 million after you take the lump sum. The $1.5 billion is kind of BS because it's spread over like 20 years and no interest. So if you if you don't take it that way, you, you'll, you have to take the lump sum amount, which is like $900 million. It's really degraded big time. But still, that's a lot of money. I would take the lump sum, of course. But let's see what the Powerball numbers are. Here we are. 
I'm going to read them to you guys. I have five tickets, though they don't all belong to me. Three belong to Ben's mom. She bought two herself, and I bought one for her as a gift. That's what a nice guy I am. I bought a $2 gift for her. One for Benjamin. He chose his own numbers. He went with me and chose his own numbers, getting him an early start on playing the lottery. And one for myself, where I chose my own numbers. Ben's mom quick-picked her two numbers, but uh, the ones the one I got for her, Benjamin chose her numbers. So let's see. The numbers are 8, 27, 34, 4, and 19. This has got to hit because almost all of them are under 32, which means a lot more of them are going to be chosen because those are birthdays. Anything 32 and up are not chosen as much. The Powerball number is 10. I can tell you that it looks like from a first glance that I did not win. Well, I know I didn't win, but I didn't win like four bucks from hitting the Powerball because my Powerball numbers were 25, 16, 12, 17, and 19. I'm looking here. So I didn't get any of those. And uh, I don't think we had eight at all. Uh, did we have four anywhere? We had four on one of the quick picks that uh, Ben's mom picked, but I don't think she hit anything else. Uh, 19, I see on one of them, but uh, nothing. It looks like I bricked everything. Looks like I don't even think any ticket even got two numbers, which is pretty sad. So we we really uh, failed on this one. Last week, last week I it, it was actually fairly close. One of the eight I had. To, see, one of the listeners actually donated his free roll prize to have me buy Powerball tickets and split the winnings with him. This was for Saturday. Seven of them missed really badly, but one of them, one of the tickets hit two numbers, and then two of the other numbers came within three, or three and four, I think, and then one of them was a reverse, like a, I think I had uh, 43, and it was really 34, and then the Powerball, I missed by one. I had uh, 14, it was actually 13, so it wasn't like super close, but it, it looked pretty close. Like if you look at the list of numbers I had versus what the, the Powerball numbers were, I, I wasn't that far off. This week, very far off. So that was a nice waste of $10. Don't know if anybody won. If you are listening and you are a winner, I expect you to donate something nice to the free roll. (laughs) And uh, you know what would be sweet? It would be really sweet if a listener of this show won the Powerball and then, like, just gave me a, a monster sum of money. Just because they like the show. Like they just said, okay, here's two million bucks because uh, I like the show so much. Enjoy. Like that, that w- I wouldn't expect it. If you won the Powerball, I'd say, okay, donate something to the free roll, like 500 bucks or something. Like that would be all I'd expect. That's, that's all I would think uh, would be your obligation to the show if you won the Powerball. Like donate like a $500 type thing to the, the free roll. But like, like imagine if someone was just like feeling super generous because they had 900 million bucks all of a sudden and they're like, oh, you know what? I'd love this show. Here's 2 million bucks, Todd. Like, that would be great. That would be amazing. So I, I guess I still have a chance if somebody here, one of the thousand listeners we have has won the Powerball tonight and is going to just give me a mass sum of money. If you want to, I'll take it. I promise. I won't say, no, you don't have to. Go, okay, thank you. Uh, here's my address. Send the check. All right. I, I was hoping tonight I was going to be able to just uh, announce I won. I'd still do the show, though. Actually, I wouldn't. You know what would happen? If I won, I couldn't sit here and do the show because I'd be afraid someone would break in and steal the ticket from me. 
what I would do is I'd say, sorry, guys, show's over. I just won the Powerball. And now I'm going to go hide somewhere with the ticket until I can get it authenticated. That's what I would do. I'd actually, I'd take the ticket and hide somewhere. I'd check in into some motel that I can pay cash, don't give my name. Tell them I'm going to take a hooker there later. <laughs> just to not make them suspicious of why I'm checking in and paying cash. And, uh, and then just sit there all night with my ticket and not fall asleep. And then 8 a.m. tomorrow morning, rush down to whatever authority handles this and get it authenticated. I would not go to sleep. I probably couldn't go to sleep if that happened. Like, I, I don't think I could fall asleep. But I, I wouldn't sit here doing this show waiting for someone to come get me. Lou Father saying you don't tell anyone anything. I thought of that too. I thought like I just don't say anything and then like no one will know. Yeah, I guess in this case I could. I was thinking more of last week where I posted the tickets, people would know. I guess this week he's right. I could have just said nothing. Like, imagine if I had to do the rest of the show after I won the Powerball and pretend like everything's normal. In fact, maybe that's what I'm doing. Maybe I really won it, and I'm just like pretending I missed badly, so you guys are fooled. Okay, don't break in here. Don't break in. I, these tickets really are worthless, I promise you. I'm not, I'm not leveling you guys. I want to tell you guys about uh, something else that's been going on here, and it could affect the show tonight. Uh, I've been having some internet issues, and I had some very frustrating discussions about this with the tech support department of the internet provider. I'm not going to go into that whole thing, but it was a mess and wasted a lot of my time and accomplished nothing. Uh, they sent me a new router even in the mail. It seemed like maybe the router was at fault, but it's not. We're still having internet issues. So fortunately, my connection is not broadcasting directly to you guys listening live. It broadcasts to the Poker Fraud Alert server, which then forwards out the rest of the broadcast to everybody else. So still, there can be some problems, especially if anyone calls me up on Skype. So if there's any issues like that tonight, that's what's going on. Nothing I can do. I'm hoping to have it fixed by next week. I did do a test show. It sounded okay. But my connection is just not as good. It just it just stopped working as well about uh, a week and a half ago, and I didn't really realize it until around Friday. And I've had a hard time getting the Internet provider to do anything about it. JSTAT saying, One guy in the Bay Area said he would spend his Powerball winnings on hookers and blow on a TV station here. <laughs> I, you know, if you win that much money, you don't really need hookers. I'm sure there'll be a lot of women who will give it up to you for free at that point for hopes that maybe they can parlay that into a long-term commitment with you and half of your money. I, I would think that you wouldn't have a problem getting laid at that point if you had $900 million. Even if you didn't directly... Pay for the sex. TMML Gay is trying to call in. I don't feel like taking any calls right now. Just He says he wants to test the call with Skype. I, I don't feel like testing right now. I just don't. But I, th I think it would just happen for you. I don't think you need hookers. I think resorting to hookers when you're that rich is kind of a waste of time and money. And also just there's a grossness factor with hookers. You just You know how many guys have been with hookers? You know how many guys have slept with those hookers before? I don't care how they look. 
Like, would you really want to sleep with a woman who's been with like a thousand guys? I wouldn't. Even if you could be guaranteed you wouldn't get a disease, I still wouldn't. It just kind of seems gross to me. Not that everybody I've slept with has been virginal, but I mean, like, no one's been with a thousand guys, at least not, not to my knowledge. All right, so, you know, by the way, now that I'm thinking of it, being on a San Francisco TV station, I'm surprised that uh, he wasn't saying he's going to blow it on male hookers. And bl- Actually, he didn't say what kind of hookers, so maybe that's what he meant. Maybe he meant guys. That's the most surprising thing is a guy in San Francisco is saying he's going to get female hookers. Oh, all right. Let's see. Uh, we can pick up a co-host here. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see if he picks up. Then I'll give you my agenda for tonight. Then we will get going with the show. Of course he's not picking. Oh, there we are. Okay. Yes. I was there about I to get all uh, frustrated here. But uh, you're, here you are. So, Trader Risky, hello. How you doing? I am good. Thank you. And I'm glad I picked up some co-host tonight. And you can stay up for as long as you can. And when you're too tired, you can just close your eyes and go to sleep as you usually do here. I'll go till I fall asleep. <laughs> so... So, all right. Now, when you fall asleep, by the way, do you hear the show still in your ear? Or you just kind of put the whole headset down and you're gone. Now, I usually wake up and then it's, yeah, then it's either gone or you're still going and then I just go to sleep. Okay. See, I could never fall asleep with that. If I, if I had someone talking in my ear, I would just stay up no matter how tired I was. I could not fall asleep through that. But I know some people do. In fact, I know some people who listen to the show specifically to fall asleep. I, I do start. I start work early, so you know. Sometimes when it gets gets a little late, I start fading. That's understandable. So okay, uh, I forgot to mention one other thing we have on this show. I've mentioned it on previous weeks, but I want everybody to know just in case, and that is the call to listen line. We have a phone number that has existed since early November, and this is a phone number you can call to listen to the show from any phone that can dial. It does not have to be a smartphone. You don't have to have the internet. You don't have to have a data plan. You can really do it with an old 70s rotary phone if you want to listen to the show that way. That phone number is 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162. That is the call to listen line. You can call it when we're broadcasting live, like right now, and hear the show live. Or you can call when we're not live and hear the random streaming shows from the archive. You can do that too. 712-775-8162. If you forget that number, just go to the radio page and it's right there. And also, as I mentioned, we have live streaming reruns when we're not live on the air. It picks a random show from the past four years and runs it as if it's live. You can either go to the radio page to hear that or you can... Call that phone number, 712-775-8162. Why would you ever use that phone number? Well, maybe you have a phone that doesn't have a data plan. Maybe your data plan does not cover much data, so you don't want to waste it listening to the show on your phone. Calling that number will not waste your data. It will not take one byte of data to call that number. Or maybe you don't have an internet connection where you are. There's many reasons to use that number. So 712-775-8162. It's been very well received from those who have 
used it. Do you get numbers and stats on the trough? How many people are using it? I, I do. It's uh, it's getting like uh, like last week we had thirteen people using it. So uh, I'm talking about live uh, in the archives. I I see there's some people who listen every day as well. Uh, but we got like thirteen people listening live on it, which I thought was pretty good. This, this is not going to be a massive way people listen to the show, but it's another option and it's actually getting used. And to be honest, even if one person every week used it because they needed it, I would think it was a good use of my time because I, I want to provide options to listen. And there've been people who've asked me about this over time saying, I, I really want a way to call and listen to the show. I even let someone call into the I show once. Uh-oh, uh-oh. I took a call here. We got to turn off the radio. Yeah, I'm trying to listen to the show. Well, it sounds like you I'm are. Trying to turn, listen to the show. Yeah, Uh-oh. we'll turn off the radio. Then turn off the radio. See? Yeah, I'm trying to listen to the show. What's going like on? You are trying to listen to the show. I, I can't do it anymore. I, I don't know what's going on. There. <laughs> I'm trying to listen to the show. Well, you are listening to the show. I know that because I'm hearing it back. You always have to close the window playing the show before you call in here. And I give everyone a chance to do it, but this guy from the 239 is just going on and on and on. Maybe he's just trolling me by leaving it on there. I don't know. That's what I get for taking calls. The call back, though, once you get that fixed, if you want to say something, call back. Here's the agenda tonight. CMML Gay, I'm putting you on too, but don't disrupt here. You there? It says he needs to update Skype before he can join this call. Weird. Either Trader Risky? Yep. All right, let's take this call. A lot of calls tonight. Call you on the air. Hey, Druff. It's uh, Vintage One. How you doing? What's up, Trader Risky? <laughs> what's up, Vintage One? Vintage One. So what's going on? Oh, you know, just uh, listening to the show, having a good time. Finally got to hear you guys live on air. Oh, good. All right. So uh, do you have anything to ask, tell us, report, or you just wanted to check in? I do. I, I was looking at what, how do you feel? I, I know you were talking to you about the Greg Raymer stake, and I was curious. I, I bought a little of Alan Kessler's uh, PCA package on U-Stake, and um, I actually reached out to Greg Raymer to talk to him about the concerns you had as far as him playing cash games and not having a set schedule, and he was pretty articulate and straight up about what his uh, thoughts and feelings were and, and uh, addressed your issues as well. And I, I kind of felt with him on it. I understood what he was saying. Well, so what did he say? Well, he said that the, well, the one thing that you were saying is that you're not sure if he ever puts up the, his end of the money. Yeah. That, that, that's not really, that's not really an issue because if he's in the green the whole time, that money is a non-issue. It's not even being played. And if it gets deep into the the uh, the stake, well, then that's when you would know, and obviously it would be exposed immediately. But it wouldn't be if he. What if he lost fifty k exactly, or forty five k? Like a, if, if he. The thing is here. Oh right, no, I understand. Yeah, there there is definitely a limit to. Well, that's the problem. A, a, right, and he also I also brought up about the cash games and that. That's, you know, that's pretty sketchy. And he's like, look, the, the bottom line is you have to trust whoever you're backing. And it's, it's you know, you have a million people you can back and you should never back someone that you don't trust. Yeah, well, and, I, I, yeah, I've heard these, uh, I, I've heard these 
responses before, actually, and in fact, some people even did it kind of on Greg's behalf in the thread about it, uh, just you know, figuring that's what he'd say or that they were on his side, and that these these were the answers I got from some people who don't officially represent him or anything, but just people who were just right, on right. his side. Uh, but here, here's my problem. There's there's trusting someone, and then there's really, really trusting someone. And uh, on, one, on one hand, a lot of the things you're trusting someone with uh, it becomes obvious if they're screwing you and it would kill their reputation. So, for example, if if Raymer just took all the money that was sent to him and ran off, well, nobody would ever stake him again. That would kill his reputation, so it's unlikely he would do that. Uh, if if Raymer right. did one of many other things uh, that someone who's being staked could possibly do, again, it would become known, or there's a good chance it would become known, and it would kill his reputation. Uh, what makes me nervous is when someone is being trusted so much that they're being trusted not to screw you in any way where it would never be detectable. Like, like with cash game winnings where they could shave a little bit off. And unless someone at the table is sure. really watching closely, no one's ever going to know. Or, uh, or you can claim you played a cash game when you weren't really there. Uh, and then say you lost right, uh, the, the, right. the, what Jacep used to do, uh, or you right, can, right. you you can claim you put fifty k behind when you really haven't put fifty k behind. There's a lot of things you can do, and the, I used the pile of cash analogy. I said, you guys are trusting me when you buy a piece of me during the World Series, but. Again, if I screwed you, you can see the results of the World Series. You can see there's even reports. I don't know if they still make them, but reports of who actually entered events. But uh, you can generally see if I played, and and number two, if you can especially see if I cashed. So if I run off sure. and don't pay you, then everyone knows that I'm a scammer and a thief. Uh, but let's say you just left a pile of money in front of me that you had not counted. You just had this giant pile of money. You drop it in front of me. You go, I haven't counted this. Uh, can you watch this for the next few hours and leave me in the room with it? Now, I, I, there are probably some people who would trust me to do that and not steal any of it. But but you have to really, really, really trust someone extra to know that if they know you don't know how much is in there, then they're not going to pocket a little bit and, and uh, you'd never know the difference. It's just there's a different level Absolutely. of trust. There's a different level of trust. And you can't say that Greg Raymer is the salt of the earth who would never, never go back on his commitment or his word. Because he cheated on his wife, and while it's completely different from anything having to do with uh, financial transactions, uh, at, at the very least that proves that, uh, that that he can do that. He's capable of doing that, and uh, I think anyone who's capable of doing that is at least capable. I'm not saying he would or even that he's likely to, but at least capable to do something shady with his financial stuff, especially when if he's broke and really needs the money. So – this is just what I'm concerned. I'm not making accusations. Some people are saying, how can you accuse Greg Raymer of these things when you're just making up various possible scenarios? I'm not accusing him of anything. It's very possible that Greg Raymer is being 100% honest with everything and will be 100% honest with everything, but there's just too many things that are easy to cheat that will never be detectable. And I don't encourage anyone to ever invest in that type of stake with anyone unless maybe someone who they know really, really well, like your mother uh, like your wife, uh, like a best friend you've had for 25 years that you know would never screw you in any way and sees you like family. Sure. But but not... No, that's, that's an interesting point. That's an ex- interesting point that I never really equated to the stake. And the trust issue is, yes, he was busted cheating on his wife. So that definitely does uh, call into action a somewhat of a, a moral instability in his character. 
Yeah, and, and so that's a good point. And and not only that, even if he hadn't been, you just never know. You have to know someone really, really, really well, and know that they are always acting in your personal best interests. Like as I said, like your mother, right. like 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 your wife, like your uh, like a, a best friend of twenty five years. Those people wouldn't do it because they care about you so much that they would not want to screw you. But anybody else, even me, you have to have a hard time trusting when it comes to something like a cash game that they're really going to act in your best interest, especially if they're broke. If they have a lot of money, you have to think, okay, well, they don't really need it that badly, so they're not going to screw me. If it seems like an honest person and okay. they have a lot of money, but if, if it looks like they're getting close to broke and need the stake, then you have to really start getting concerned. Okay, now how about if you take the cash gains off the table in his stake? Do you still feel even that he needs to build a schedule to make it a legitimate stake? Um, yes, or or not adv- invest himself. If if he if he, oh, see, right. if he takes himself and these quote outside investors out of it, I've said before he should separate a few things. He should separate himself and the outside investors out of it and make a certain group of tournaments, ones that he's going to play for himself and those outside investors, and a certain group of tournaments for the U-Stake people. And then he should also separate the cash games out. Or he could even combine the cash game and the uh, and the ones he plays for himself and the outside investors, because that's totally separate, whatever he wants to do with himself and these other people who are just handing him 30K. Fine, that's his business. I'm saying for the right. public, it should just be t- scheduled tournaments and... Is is that simple? I just I don't like something where he's buying himself and has thirty k of quote outside investors putting in the money, uh, and and then you stake. I can't even fully trust them that they've really been given the money to hold because right. uh, he has a relationship with them. He owns a small piece of it. There's many ways that they could be claiming they're holding it, and they're not. In fact, they didn't even charge a commission for it. He got he got to quote put in that fifty k for no commission, which is a little bit weird. So, right. Well, what what I found interesting also is. When I was talking to Greg about it, he had mentioned that if I wanted to do uh, a 1% or above stake, that I could do it directly to him to stay off of you stake to avoid the 5% uh, vig that uh, well, you stake I, I mean, that's Is fine. that weird? No, it's not, that's not weird. In fact, I was saying it was weird that he wasn't offering that. I think that's fine because the, the 5% vig oh, kind no, of sucks. Oh, no, he's offering that for yeah, sure. Okay. No, that's fine because, uh, you know, who wants to waste 5%? So if you trust of the course, guy, that's the course. type of thing where you trust the guy. Like I have you guys send me money directly for the World Series uh, when I sell pieces, right. and I don't have something like you stake managing it. I manage it myself, and uh, and there's no fees. So I, I understand wanting to avoid the fees. In fact, I was saying it was weird that he wasn't offering that before. So that, that part's fine. So, Oh, you're missing the best. You get a discount on his uh, – his, uh, if you – stake with him you get a discount on his training session <laughs> <laughs> i also saw like if you stake a certain amount you get like an autographed picture or something so oh of course or maybe even a fossil who knows <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right so uh, what so- do you think trader ruski did we already lose him uh, no i'm here i haven't been following it but i do want to know how kessler did and how you made out on that Kessler uh, just above min-cashed in the uh, PCA main, so we're free-rolling his last event. Well, that's a shock. The, uh, that's a real shock yeah, that Kessler yeah, exactly. min-cashed. Yeah, you know, I have a, so he's a, done uh, a stud eight tomorrow, uh, 2,500, I think, and that's the end of the stake. I, I have a funny Kessler story from uh, about eight and a half years ago. I was at uh, a tournament. It was a 5K tournament at uh, the Rincon in northern San Diego County and I was at Kessler's table and uh, he was pretty short stacked and someone raised someone re-raised like, a, like someone raised and an aggressive Asian kid on the button re-raised 
And Kessler in like the small blind looks so unhappy. So unhappy like he had a really tough decision. So finally he went all in. And uh, the other two called. And Kessler, with a big frown on his face, turned over pocket kings. <laughs> and, and so I, I, he said, well, okay, I'm sure I'm beat here. And turns over king. That's actually what he said. I said, what? So he, you know, he, the, the Asian kid had nines. The other guy had like ace jack or something. So, so he tripled up easily. And I said to Kessler, how were you not thrilled about that? I said, if I had your stack and, and I was dealt kings – and I saw a raise and re-raise coming into me like this, uh, in this fashion. I, I couldn't have gotten my money in fast enough. I would have said, wow, this is what I've been waiting for. But instead, he was so unhappy. He said, no, I thought that guy had aces when he three-bet from the button. <laughs> well, that's why he always wins that. Yeah. Always Uh-oh. Phone problems, I'm hearing. Problem? Oh, there we are. You're back. Did you drop the phone or something? No, not at all. That was weird. I heard like, and then you, I couldn't hear you for a bit. Okay. Well, anyway, good luck with with Kessler tomorrow. I'm glad you at least are, are uh, breaking even. And uh, thank yeah. you for your call. Hey, man. Love the show. Uh, Trader Ruski rocks. Keep him on. He's going to be on. He'll be here. Okay. Take care, Drop. All right. Thank you. Bye. That's a vintage one, bringing up the Raymer steak situation. If you want to hear about that, you can listen to an earlier show. I think... Either last week or two weeks ago, we talked about it. It's all kind of blends together. So uh, let me give you the agenda, now that we already kind of had a topic before it, an unexpected topic. A longtime Poker Fraud Alert radio listener. What am I doing? We already talked about this. We're talking about the Kate situation, how she passed away. I'm like reading from the agenda like an idiot. All right. Eric Ryland. Hopefully we'll have him on tonight. We're going to have him confront a person who supposedly scammed him. And we're going to confront that person live on the air. So he said he wanted to talk about it this week on the radio. I said, let's not just talk about it. Let's just call the guy. That's what we do on this show. This show is like a reality show in a way. We just call people directly and try to solve the problem. We don't try to censor anything here. We just try to get to the bottom of things. We don't script anything. We don't handle people with care. So we're going to try to call this alleged scammer. I have no idea anything about this story. Ryland can tell us if we can reach him. Otherwise, I'll have to wait another week. Though he seemed pretty gung-ho earlier today about it, so we'll try to call him. I have his phone number. Colonel Nigel Fabersham is going to make a call after that. I've had some complaints recently that there are not many prank calls on this show anymore. And that's true. Some people really like the prank calls. So the reason we haven't had many prank calls is I just don't want it to get too repetitive. There's only so many things you can do calling a casino. and uh, I, I just kind of ran out of ideas. Well, somebody brought up that at Maryland Live, there's some inconsistencies in their rule enforcement between TV and not TV. So we're going to – Colonel Fabersham's going to call them up and have a word with them at Maryland Live. Poker Stars once again has screwed up at a live tournament. Poker Stars is very, very good at running their online poker room, very, very bad at running live events. There's one problem after another. Every time they have a live event, 
even if it's one they've had a long time, like the PCA, they always screw something up. There's always a player or several players that get screwed. They always handle everything incorrectly. There's always some kind of confrontation there that should not have taken place between staff and players. There's always a thread on 2 plus 2 or elsewhere shaming them for it. And sometimes there's resolution, sometimes there's not. But they just do not run live events well at all. And yet another situation, a pretty egregious one, occurred to one player. And uh, I'll tell you about that. Speaking of the PCA, this is the PokerStars Caribbean Adventure, which has been around for over 10 years now, I think. Antonio Esfandieri has literally pissed away his entry. (laughs) Yes, he pissed in a bottle during the event and was disqualified for it. This sounds like a joke, but he, he really did that. We'll talk about what happened there. World Series of Poker champ Joe McKeon is... Well, he's been recently known for fighting with someone on Twitter named Mike Dentali, who's always kind of seemed like a, a bully and one of these uh, loudmouth, muscle-bound jerks at the table who wants to intimidate everybody. And McKeon was recently threatened by him. But this is actually a negative story about Joe McKeon that kind of spawned off of the Mike Dentali story. There are reports that I believe that Joe McKeon has been blocking people on Twitter who simply follow him and never say anything to him. You you just follow Joe McKeon and find one day you're blocked. What the hell's going on? I'm going to read those reports on Poker Fraud Alert, and we're going to try to get to the bottom of what's going on here. Really odd. Bovada, in its efforts to combat the usage of HUDs and other automated tools that pros use to get an edge on the game, I can't really see how you can use HUDs very well on Bovada since uh, you can't track player names. It's all anonymous. But in an attempt to combat the usage of those, they have introduced new software. And this new software is much worse than the old software. It has all kinds of bugs. It has introduced all kinds of problems. It's terrible. Some people can barely use it. We'll discuss uh, the various issues that we're seeing with it and... I'll give you some suggestions to get around these issues if you're having them. I'm actually able to play without that much trouble, but uh, there's some people where it's become pretty much unplayable. FanDuel and DraftKings can stay in New York now until the summer of 2016, maybe even longer. We'll talk about the recent victory they had. Speaking of Daily Fantasy Sports, there's been some discussion recently on whether or not multiple entries in a Daily Fantasy Sports Contest is fair. I will give you my opinion on that. There's a new league in poker called the Global Poker League. They always like to come up with these names that sound familiar, so you join in and think that it's something that's been around when it hasn't. I'm sure you've heard of the Global Poker Index. This is the Global Poker League. And it involves 12 poker teams, including with logos as if they're a sports team, that are going to be competing with one another. And the Las Vegas team is managed by one Chris Moneymaker called the Las Vegas Moneymakers. (laughs) Actually, I I know uh, the Las Vegas Moneymakers. I think that would be a name of a team of strippers. 
think that'd be a better team, better group for that team. So we'll talk about the global global poker league, what it is, and whether it has a chance to succeed, or if it's going to go the way of the epic poker league. A shady tournament at Miami's Hialeah Park Casino has resulted in 11 charges against the casino. The casino may get fined. They may lose their license. It will be decided in the near future what happens, but 11 charges have been filed by the state of Florida against Hialeah Park for some very, very shady practices, including stealing from the prize pool that occurred by various employees at that event. I'll tell you about what happened there. General topics, the Rams have left St. Louis, or they're going to leave, and they're going to be coming to Los Angeles starting the 2016 season. 2016-17 season, that is. Not this season. But they're moving back. They were in St. Louis for a long time after leaving L.A., and now they have come back to L.A. We'll talk about that and whether football can thrive in Los Angeles after such a long hiatus. I will also give you a Jew tip that you should avoid after-hours customer service over the phone. You may think that it's great that a company you need to deal with has people answering the phone at 2 in the morning, but it's actually not. And you should resist the temptation to call after normal business hours. And I will explain why. That's the show for this week. You never know what will happen. You never know who will call in or who will join as a co-host. See if we got any more texts. Then we will get going with the main topics. In the meantime, let's try to see if we can take Team MLG. Hello, you there? Team MLG. Ballin! No, he's not here. I mean, I, it's, it says he needs a new version of Skype to be able to connect. Of course, it says that for you too, Trader Ruski, and I can hear you. So It keeps asking me to upgrade, and I'm refusing. Hey, Trader Ruski, you still here? Yep. Still I here. haven't upgraded Skype for a while, but I seem to be good. But I'm yeah. on my uh, phone, Skype on my phone. So. Okay. So, by the way, if you want to send pictures to me, on that text phone number, don't do it because I cannot receive pictures on the seven seven five three seven two eight three five five number. If you want to email pictures to me, you can do it dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. But don't text them to me because I cannot receive them for whatever reason. It just never worked on that phone number. Team Emily, this is your last chance. I don't. Th- I just think you have to update Skype. Yeah. I'm all- oh, I'm here just, you are. Just relax. You know, I, I, you know, I have to save the show. You know, like with one out, I save the show. Wow. With one out, what? One out to be connected? Well, I was, this is my last chance, so one out, I just saved the show. Well, I think it was on your end, the problem. No, I just updated Skype, I restarted my phone, and it, and it didn't work, so I tried one more time. You know, I have to say, you don't sound the best tonight, it could be my connection, though Trader Ruski sounds good, but I, I have to take the blame tonight because of my persistent internet issues that I discovered on Friday, and you know, if we can't hear you that clearly, then... Everyone who's listening will just have to make do. I hope you. How about now? Is this better or no? No, it's just kind of. It's not horrible. It's just a little bit choppy. I just. I'm a big mm-hmm. sound quality aficionado. I, I. I think sound quality is very important on these shows. And in fact, when I go back and listen to the old episodes from 2012, when I was not recording the show at, at as high of a bit rate as I should have been, 
it doesn't sound as good. It sounds a little bit muffled. And even though others can't notice sometimes, I notice and it bothers me. Like I sometimes hate hearing those episodes because the sound quality is not as good as the episodes since then. So. Yeah. Well, I have a little bit of a beef to pick tonight. I was uh, picking up one of my prescriptions in the uh, Toronto area, mm-hmm. and I went through the drive through and there was a car in front of me whose window wouldn't roll down. So he had to get out and go to the window to get his medication and whatnot, and waited five minutes. So I pull up, and I'm the next one in line, and it rings for them to come to see me. And then I waited a minute, and I honked the horn. Now, the lady comes over and says to me, why did you honk the horn? You just could have came inside. Like, what the fuck is that all about? So, wait, she wanted you to just abandon your car your car in the drive-thru and come inside? No, she's saying instead of, instead of me going through the drive-thru and honking at her to get her, her attention to come, I should have just came inside instead. But what does this have to do with the guy in front of you who got out of the car? Well, I'm just saying that it was part of it, that I waited five minutes and then I had to wait another minute. Uh, so you, you pulled up there and there was no one there? There's no one there, and well, no, I waited no, a minute. Yeah, there's nothing so wrong with honk. honking. No, I've done that before, too. That's fine. And then she tilted, like, why, why, why do you honk? You should just, just come inside instead. Well, you I'm just like, talk back to them. Like, I, that, when I get that crap, I, I talk right back to them. I don't let them. Would the, would the colonel go for some sort of a gift certificate through corporate? Or No, I, I don't think you're going to get anything out of that. It's just you, can, you just talk back to them so they understand they don't have the power over you. That's it. If, it, if it's, like, really bad, you can go to their manager and report them. But uh, this I wouldn't do. This I just talk back to them and drop it. Nice answer. So, okay. Uh, I mean, you, you can stay on for a little bit here, but don't don't disrupt anything or you're gone. Well, can you call Ken Scaler quickly? I can. He won't answer, probably. One time. He's his, gone. His, his phone's always off. I'll try him later. His phone's just always off. I have a feeling he's on right now. <sighs> We're never going to get going with the show here. It's, it's 8.40. We've done just nothing. Just had that feeling. I had that vibe that I feel the Ken vibe. We've just done nothing, and it's 8.42. Well, that's your fault because you came on late. No, I didn't come that late. We just wasted an hour doing nothing as usual. Like This is like the NWEP days where the fucking show starts an hour late, and then you blame TMML Gay. No, but we didn't start an hour late. It's just we've been talking about a lot of different stuff and not gone anywhere. Well, that's because I wasn't on earlier. I could have low-housed you. I'm sorry. Yeah, see, he didn't answer. Your feeling was wrong. I hope you're not using those feelings to pick NFL games because. Uh, well, I can't. Uh, I I had talked to one of the uh, the gods on uh, the forum, and I'm not I'm waiting for the Super Bowl. Okay, that's good. All right, so uh, let's move on here. Uh, the the first topic. Is Eric Rylance? We're going to put him on, if we can. Let's see, he's been texting me for the last few days, and the last I heard from him today was ten twenty-five a.m. He says we'll have a lot to chat about on radio. When does it start? Six thirty? And I were texted back, no, around seven thirty. Can I call you around eight? And just no answer. We're going to call him here. It's a, this is so frustrating. Like tight, tight. No, we've talked about this so much. I guess I shouldn't complain. Unless he doesn't answer, but I just have a feeling he's not going to answer. I have a feeling like after building this up so much to me over the last week that he's not going to answer. That's just the way it goes. It's kind of like Tide. It's kind of like a lot of things and people here. Like Shout out to Tide, Judon, Bob, Scott, C-Money, Poker Pete, Trader Ruski. 
mean, at least his phone's not turned off, but three rings is not a good sign. Hello, Colonel Nagger Anderson here. Is that how you say it? He's not going to answer. Poker Pete's God. Shout out to Lou Father. I love when I promote this and then just it doesn't happen. Please leave your message for 70. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to put his number on the air, but he almost deserves it after flaking on me. Well, no Ryland tonight so far. What about Neverheed? What's the scoop with him? Give him a call. No, I don't I don't even know what number to call him at, to be honest. Let's see. Okay, we're going to call Maryland Live. The colonel's going to call them up and confront them about their inconsistency in enforcing rules. Here's the story. Then we'll make the call. Maryland Live, which of course is a casino in Maryland, has been uh, – incorrectly enforcing the rules and not enforcing the rules depending upon where the game is being played. When I say where, I mean whether it's a regular game or on TV. They, uh, I, I guess someone in the state of Maryland, a lottery agent, which uh, has jurisdiction over Maryland Live, told them that they cannot allow players to, quote, run it twice. So if Let's say someone has a set, someone has a flush draw, they get it all in, two cards left to be dealt, turn and river. Uh, you can agree to run it twice, and this way it takes out some of the variance of it, where basically each time you're playing for half the pot. So if the pot is $2,000, you split it to 1000 1000 you run it the first time, whoever wins that gets the $1,000 pot, then you run it a second time, you take those two cards back, run it as shuffle, run those two a second time, and then whoever wins that gets the other 1000 So it, it gives someone a chance, if they got a bad beat, to at least get half the pot back. So a lottery agent of the state of Maryland demanded at some point last year that this has to stop, that they cannot allow running it twice anymore by state law. So it ended. However, on Poker Night in America, which is a TV show, uh, one of the episodes was taking place at Maryland Live, and even though it was recorded after the agent, the lottery agent, put a stop to this, they allowed Phil Hellmuth and Tom Schneider to run it twice right there on TV. So we're going to call up – Colonel Fabersham is going to call up, and he's going to complain about this and that he was not allowed to run it twice when he played. And then he saw Helmuth and Schneider doing it on TV after that and that he's furious that they are getting this special treatment. So we will see what they have to say about this. Uh, I think they were willing to do it on TV, and we're hoping nobody was going to notice. So I'm going to call up Maryland Live. Hopefully I can One reach time. It. Now, it's pretty late there. It's almost midnight, but we're going to have to make do. Hopefully we get someone who can talk to us about this. A lot of people want shout-outs. Shout-out to uh, Real Talk. Poker Pete. I already did that. Um, who else wants a shout-out? Thank you for calling Maryland Live Casino. Please listen closely to our menu options. At any time during this message, you may press zero to speak with a representative. For 
Thank you for calling my live casino. This is Renata speaking. How may I help you? Uh, hello, Colonel Nigel Fabersham here. Um, I want to speak to someone at the poker room. Can you connect me over there? All right, hopefully you can. All right, tally ho, pip pip, let's get on with it. All giant jackpots start at $50,000. Oh, boy. And are guaranteed. Live Poker and Bud speaking. May I help you? Hello, Colonel Nigel Fabersham here. Um, I was uh, recently watching Poker Night in America, and uh, I saw the one that took place at this uh, poker room. Um, I was very disappointed to see that um, Phil Hellmuth and Tom Schneider were allowed to... I'm sorry, that you're disappointed to see what? Uh, Phil Hellmuth and Tom Schneider were allowed to run something twice. You know you know the run it twice thing? Um, yes. I played in this room, and, and they did not let me do it. They said that the, the state has clamped down on this, and that um, it's illegal to run it twice in the state of Maryland, and that a lottery official said, no, 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 you can't do this anymore. So when I wanted to run it twice, they said, they said no, you cannot. And what happened was um, I, I was actually holding this, a set. Um, my opponent was holding a flush draw, and they would not let me run it twice, and um, sure enough, the flush hit and did not pay the board, and I lost the entire pot. So I was very annoyed that I was unable to run it twice when they uh, when I thought you could do so here. And uh, just when I believed that was just the state law and there was nothing I could do, um, I turned on Poker Night in America, and that crybaby Phil Helmuth somehow got them to run it twice here, uh, which is against the law. So, so do you know how this is happening? How come on TV you can run it twice? Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a little unclear. What is the question you have? Okay, uh, what you, is it that uh, I can help uh, you with? All right, are you allowed? You to- want to find out why we can't run it twice here? Yes. Well, tell me. If okay, hold on. One. Let me get your supervisor who can right. answer that question. All right, go ahead you, and do that. Okay? Thank you. Hold on. Thank you. Hey, Angelo. Got a sec. I thought I was quite clear, but uh, I thought I was quite clear of what I was requesting, but all right. We'll get the supervisor to speak to us about this. <laughs> He's giving the summary in the background. Poker, Chris Wiggin. Uh, hello, Colonel Nigel Fabersham here. Uh, I'm calling about the situation with running it twice in a hand, and um, I was denied from being allowed to do this when I was in a hand here at, at Maryland Live. They told me, uh, yes. they told me the uh, the state lottery official says you cannot do that. Is that is that true? Uh, yes, it is. It uh, used to not be true, but it is true now. Right. So, so this changed is, about six months ago. Right. So, this is what has um, has really chapped my 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 ass here. Um, I was watching Poker Night in America that was filmed at Maryland Live, and it was filmed um, within the last six months. And and that crybaby, no, that crybaby, no, no it was uh, filmed over a year ago. Are you sure? I, I, I was convinced that it was filmed more recently, and, uh, and that uh, Phil, I thought a, a special allowances were made for Phil Helmuth, and uh, it made me feel like um, the rules are not applied equally. No, they apply equally. I'm sorry. Yeah, we, we get a fine if we run it twice. That, uh, that was over a year ago. So you've not had Poker any, Night in America. You haven't had a single filming of Poker Night in America since that, law was, since that uh, change was made? No, correct. All right. I just I was just so afraid that maybe this is just one of these things where the, you know the pros just get it better. It's like it's like you know like at the World Series when when Phil Helmuth comes in some funny costume and the and some band behind him playing fanfare and I'm thinking oh, I cannot come in through a tournament that way they'll kick me out. It's just, and then he gets yeah. to use a certain bathroom in the back that I don't get access to and I'm just so tired of just not everybody being on equal footing. Even I saw Phil Ivy one time they bagged up his chips for him. They didn't make him bag his chips at the end. And if I just walked away and said oh you go bag my chips. Sir, they, they would kick me out of the tournament. So it's just I just yeah. want everything to be equal. And so at Maryland Live, are you telling me that you always treat everyone the same? That there's no, no favoritism for anyone under any circumstances? No, we do our best. We do our best to treat everybody equal. Well, that doesn't mean you do treat everyone. I do our best means you you don't always do that. Is that?
well, uh, bollocks. There. What? No, I was just saying that I, I was hoping you would say that's the policy. You're saying you do your best. If maybe there's some un- unequal treatment over here. Yeah, if uh, the only time uh, chairmen go to the top of the list, it's the highest tier status. That's it. They go to the top of the waiting list. Oh, no, I understand that's that. Only... Yeah, no, I understand yeah, that. I understand Other that. than that, everybody is treated the same. All right. So, so, so if Phil Helmuth came to play at this casino, he wouldn't get any uh, allowances for the rules or other things that, uh, that others may not. That's correct. All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad that's the case. All right. Yeah, well, thank- no, we're, we're heavily regulated by the state. All right. Well, thank you. And, and oh, but, by the way, this, the way this changed here, um, did somebody report you for running it twice? How was it discovered this was happening? Uh, the state. They're here every day. They walk the room. Oh, I see. So the state, the state was yeah. just kind of strolling around there, and um, someone was running it twice, and they go, no, 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 you can't do that. Yeah. All right. Well, we, we don't want to take a chance now with the fines. No, so. I, just, I understand now that yeah. you, you've uh, had your hand caught in the cookie jar. You can't keep uh, reaching in there and uh, trying to grab the crumbs. Well, well, once they said no, we never tried it. Yeah, no, I, I understand. I understand. The fines. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, so. Thank you for okay. the information. Tally ho, bit bit, and let's get on with it. Take care. No, that's too bad. I was hoping that there's more to the story than that, but I guess it was uh, either they're lying to me or it really did take place uh, before that rule was changed. We need another kernel call. That was a fail. I did with it what I could. Well, you can still make another call somewhere else. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on here. Let's see what the chat room has to say. They're saying it's a fail. You can call the Iceman and ask him if he's at the Maryland uh, poker room. Someone right saying I, I didn't. Someone saying I didn't uh, read the two plus two thread. That's correct. I don't read two plus two that much. I I didn't know there was even a thread about this. I I had a listener tip me off that this had happened. So I called up. It turned out that it was not what it appeared to be. By the way, someone is saying in chat that Chico Loco would have never tolerated that response. <laughs> The listeners want another call. Yeah, I don't know who to call, though. Who do I call? What do I call? Don't make me do I'll everything. Call the, well, call the subway that never denied you tomatoes on the side oh, come and on see now. if their That's policy's been updated. We're not doing that. All right. Let's, uh, that's like five years old when that happened or more. So, okay. Right. Let's uh, move on here. Poker stars screwed up at the PCA. Shock upon shocks. They have a problem in that they do not have first-class people running these tournaments. They, they basically send the scrubs over to run these tournaments, and yet they run with the poker star. Hold on, hold on. Pause that topic. We have a call from one, Eric Ryland. Hello. Hello, sir. Hello. You know my new number, too. You're good. Well, You texted me from that number. Of course I know it. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, so so Ryland, I'm I'm glad that you reappeared here. You were uh, kind of missing in action today, like everyone seems to be. But I'm glad you're here now, and we can. Well, yeah, everybody's trying to win the fucking Powerball. I stood in that fucking line. Well, you probably did. You already tell them about the all that shit yet? No, no. Uh, Ryland actually drove from Las Vegas to Prim, which is 40 miles away, to get a Powerball ticket. Yeah, it was like four hours. I should post. Some, I should post all the pictures. You you stood line. in line four hours to get a Powerball ticket? About that, yeah. Oh my god, that's just awful. Yeah. Now, uh, now, why didn't you drive down to Baker when you saw that line? I know it's like another fifty miles each way, but maybe it would have been worth it. You know, 
it was it was almost to the point where I didn't know how how long or how slow that line was going to move, you know. So by the time I was already had time invested standing in that line, I just said screw it. By the way, so, it, it has been oh, won. It was won by someone in Chino yeah. Hills, California, apparently. <laughs> oh Jesus! Uh, you haven't heard the worst part. Uh, my phone didn't uh, get service that whole time in that fucking line. So, oh, so you you couldn't even use your phone? It was like it was like old school when you had to just stand in line and do nothing. Absolutely, I was like talk. I actually had to talk to people. That, that's <laughs> yeah. It's actually it's so different than it used to be. I remember in the old days when I used to have to just stand in line and you could you literally could not do anything. And and now it's so much more yeah. tolerable to be in line because you you can use your phone. You know where you really see it is the first time I went to uh, New York City, and you go, you have, you, uh, you can't fucking drive there; it's ridiculous. So, you use the subway system, and there's just a sea of people, and they all have their head down on their phone, and and that's where you really see, like, just how ridiculous it is. Yeah, and it, it actually takes away your ability to to wait without a phone. <laughs> Once you get used to it, it's very hard yeah, to get yeah, used to. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Where, where back in the sure. old days, I was like just used to it. I'm like, okay, here's a line. It sucks. I wish I didn't have to stand in it, but uh, I here I am. I guess I have no choice. Like now, I'm like, if I don't have the phone, I'm like, oh my god, how can I do this with no phone? So yeah. hold on a second. Yeah. What's the backstory on this Ryland guy? Is he is he is this oh. guy that? Is this the guy that pimps out the girls, or is, the, is yeah, this the guy that yeah. rolled the site when he won the tournament? No, or? yeah, this, this who is, is this guy. Yeah, this is the guy who uh, who is encouraging girls he'd meet in Las Vegas to go on webcam and take off their clothes, and I guess he gets some piece of it. I, I don't know if Ryland's still doing that, but it, he used to do that. Yeah, I remember him. Like he's some sort of pimp that went to like. I don't know, a couple hours away from Vegas or something. Yeah, yeah, he went some with some girl. girl yeah, and, so, yeah, he went with some girl to Laughlin or something, or to live by Laughlin. Like Tadahasi or something, or no, he went to Laughlin. Well, yeah. well, Las Vegas now has has uh, a lot of women stuff. But TML, TMMLK, how the hell have you been? I'm good. I how have you, you been? I'm just you know, saving the you show. Disappeared. You actually disappeared longer than I ever did, and then you came back. And I, when you finally came back, you should have seen a smile on my face, man. Oh, Not homo, but like you're you're a legend. Oh, I don't, I don't say things like this; it'll get even worse. Yeah, yeah. I'm one, I am one of those people that feeds feeds his ego for sure. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that the uh, forum doesn't know who I have connections to. We'll just we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay, so okay, yeah, so Ryland, so, oh, so what's the story here? What happened with you getting scammed? Okay, so there's been these um, poker sites that I've been playing on that haven't been um, exactly. Well, most of them been, uh, have been on the up and up. But, you know, when you play on a poker site that's not really known, it comes with a lot of risks, obviously. Now, you, now, you say a poker um, site. Is, it, is this like a, a site that we know of, like like uh, America's Card no, Room? Or Bro- no, and I don't want to tell about these sites either. They're nothing like America's Card Room. I'm talking about very, very high risk, right? So like like private so, sites, uh, almost like uh, the, the, the no, clubs, almost like the no, yeah, almost like yeah. the no fraud online poker room. If we actually did real money like that, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and in fact, it, a lot of them are invite only and shit like that. Yeah. Um. So, 
played on three of them, and I made a lot of money. And then what happened was the big, like the biggest fish on one of the sites was like, hey, I'm going to start my own poker site. Do you want to come and play on that site? I'm like, oh, God. Like, this, it can't get any more shady than this, right? Um, but it's one of those, it was one of those things where if it turned out to be legit, there's just too much money to be paid potentially won, right? Yeah. And the fucking biggest fish I've ever played in my life is starting his own poker site. So, I mean, what would you do in that situation? I don't know, right? <laughs> so, I was encouraged um, to, to play on it, right? Um, but under the conditions where I'd get to start off, I'd get a line of credit where I didn't have to deposit for starting off just to try it out, right? Yeah. So I got a thousand dollars, and the and we and there was there was everything up to three six, but I just stuck with a two four or and the the one two at first, right? What could go wrong? So. The very first hand I actually played, I got King Source Aces and lost, but <laughs> um, I ended up winning $12,000 on that one, two, that first month, right? And now this guy that's running the site, he's not, he's not like poor or anything. He's like a, like a, a successful lawyer. I know his name and everything, right? Um, so, I was like, oh my god, like there's a there's a good chance I'm gonna get paid, right? Yeah. So I'm well I better ask him to get paid. So I said, Hey, I had like three thousand of all this money, I don't need this much to play one two. He sent three thousand dollars right away, right? And then shortly after that I asked for another three thousand, got paid immediately again. I'm talking about within half an hour of when I asked, okay? Okay. Um so then, so he, he, I had $6,000, a little over $6,000 left in my account. And, you know, two months go by, and I, and I was kind of scared to ask for another cash out. I just had a bad feeling. And then um, now this, what, the last time I asked was in, it was about November 1st, and he said, You know what? Uh, the site's not turning out what, like I expected. Not enough players. Um, I'm going to pay you the remain your remaining six grand with a settlement check. And he's a lawyer. Uh, I don't know what a settlement check means. Is that like a big like a check that comes through when? Yeah, it sounds like he's they, it sounds like he's stealing from a settlement pool or something to pay you. <laughs> That's what it sounds so, like. But we go on. You know, I. I I was like, oh, God, you know, this does not sound good. And, you know, of course, people are telling me the whole time, oh, you're not going to get paid. But I'm telling you, why would someone pay me $6,000 already um, and they're not going to pay the remaining $6,000 when they probably know that I'm going to try to drag their, their name through the mud? Now, now, granted, this guy is a lawyer, and he's probably not well-connected to the poker poker world, and he doesn't even know about Poker Fire Lawyer 2 plus 2 or anything at the same time, though, right? Yeah. But I'm just it just baffles me how, how you can pay someone that much money and then not pay the rest. 
what do you what are your experiences with that? Well, there's a lot of times that this, that happens where they'll either pay you because they they think mm. that paying you something at the beginning will shut you up and make you optimistic that you're going to keep getting the money, or that, that maybe they have cash at the moment and then don't later. Uh, there could be one of many reasons it happens. Of course, it's always shady. yeah, and yeah. And one of my friends said, "Well, duh, Eric. He thought the site was going to blow up huge, and he'd make all that money back and rake, right?" I'm like, Jesus, how like that's pretty fucking delusional to think that, but I guess. So, you know? so it's been and since I November. Mean, I, I mean, he, I won all this money off him. I didn't even win it off the other players. So, so he's he hasn't so, paid you since November first. Is that true? November first, but I texted him. I said Merry Christmas the last text I said to him, and no response to that. But <laughs> I texted, him, I, I texted, I texted him twice before that. Um, the first time I said something along the lines of, Hey, what's the status update? And he said, working on it. Uh-huh. And then the second time I texted him and there, and there was, you know, a decent time span between both of these, all these texts. And the second thing I said was, Hey, you know, do you, do you want to do like a monthly payment plan of like $500 over the year instead of like the lump sum of six grand? If you're, you can't really do that all at once. I totally understand. And, his response was, "Roger that." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so so and this guy's a lawyer. This guy is a lawyer. Well, you, 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 and you, I'm it, not going to say that on the air yet, obviously, but I will. Uh, can I email you his his phone number? You you can email name? you can t- you can text the radio Should phone I number too. Should I say his first name on air? Yeah, go okay. ahead and you okay. you can text. You yeah, can... His, first, his first name is Dustin, and. I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna text you his phone number right now okay and we'll I think I think, I think the solution here is not to ever uh, have someone named Dustin owe you money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me text you the number real quick, right? One yeah, we're gonna call him on the air and see what's going on. I even have uh, an early suggestion on how to solve this. I'll wait to get this. Well, I know you always say threaten them with exposure and stuff, but no, with him it's even better. With him, you can you can threaten you can threaten to make an ethics it. complaint against him because uh, you know he's an attorney. He had, it, attorneys have to follow the law uh, better than you and I do. Uh, they they can get in trouble if they are breaking the law and doing things like this. Even running an illegal poker room. In Nevada, it could be big trouble for him and his license to practice law. But to run an illegal poker room and stiff people is even worse. So if you were to complain about him to the uh, to make an ethics complaint against him, then that could really screw his career. So uh, you, you should tell him that uh, you know, th- there's got to be a payment plan. He's got to keep to it or otherwise uh, you're going to have to report this and, and file an ethics complaint against him. And uh, and also report yeah, and because, also report and also report this to the police and this this can really scare him. Unlike just some degenerate who's like, okay, fine, you know, report me all you want, I'll just deny it. Uh, with lawyers, it's it's tough. They they don't want to face this. They they don't want to face ethics complaints. If I'm not saying if you make the complaint, it's it's a slam dunk to win it, but you can uh, you can really screw him much more than you could yeah, the average person. And, in this you know, spot. maybe he was banking on me being actually scared of him, but I'm glad I can. 
because of him being a lawyer, like I don't really want to tread into some waters where maybe he could. Um, I don't know what lawyers are capable of. No, he, like, he, sue me somehow or something. Yeah, no, he'll, it'll never work. There's nothing he can really sue you for. And, uh, <laughs> and in fact, you could you could also make a countersuit against him for uh, for a malicious lawsuit. So. That's I, well, he well, threatened Alvin, it, but will I, Alvin Finkelstein represent me? I, I don't want to be Alvin Finkelstein here because he, he he'll probably be wise. Oh yeah, to it no, I was going to say that just be a yeah. Because problem. I don't want I, the problem is he'll probably be wise to it if I claim I'm an attorney. He'll try to get proof of that which I can't provide. So that's one person. There's right. no point to do that with. Also, we don't want to make it sound like yeah, we're playing and, games or ma- making a joke. I, out I of don't it. think we want uh, Chico. Loco no, we're not, we're not going to make a joke out of this. This is a serious matter. I will be ready to hang up on if he doesn't pick up the phone. Sucks after all this build-up, the guy's not going to answer. Is he in Nevada? I see the area code. Your call has been forwarded to an automated... Yeah. I think he's in... uh... He's not in Nevada. He's like in Alabama or something. Oh, okay, I, okay. If I Google, if I Google his name, I can find. Okay, yeah. Is that a recognize that area code? Um, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll try yeah, we'll again talk. at some point. Uh, I'm sorry to okay. build this all up to everybody, but uh, we, we do. Uh, my suggestion to you in the meantime, you don't have to wait until we do it again on the show. Uh, my suggestion yeah. in the meantime is to message him and say that uh, you know, figure out what state he's in, and say that you're going to go to the police and make an ethics complaint against him. About this, that you need to get it on a payment plan, and uh, and say he, at this point he's just ignoring you, hoping you go away. And I think the guy is probably broke. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because he's an attorney doesn't mean that uh, he's flush with cash. He may have gambled it all away. And oh yeah, yeah. And the fact that he was talking about a settlement check is is very susp- <laughs> that's already very strange because that sounds like he's actually going to steal it from some kind of settlement that uh, that he's brokered between a company and some group of people. And is going to steal five thousand of it or six thousand of it to pay you, uh, which whatever way he pays you, it's not really your business to worry about. You just if he's going to get you a check, he'll give you a check. But yeah, I, I would, uh, I would tell him that uh, I don't mention that yet, but just mention to him in text, say that uh, you're not going to go away with this, and you're going to you're going to go to the police there, and you're going to make a, uh, a an ethics complaint against him. Say I, I need a response from you. And say I'm not going to go away right. with this, and eventually I'm going to make it public. If you don't, uh, I've, I've got to get some answers. I've got to, and if, if you can't afford the six thousand at once, I need a realistic payment plan where you make every single payment on time, and uh, not just right. one where he makes the first one and disappears, which is very common for people making payment plans. So, I appreciate so much, and just to let you know I haven't I have not missed a beat listening to uh, Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and you're doing you're doing a great show every fucking week. And it's, uh, it's great, you know. Sometimes okay. when a five-hour drive, all this. Okay, well, thank you. I love it, man. Thank you, thank you, Riley. We'll try again another time if we can't get this resolved. for all you guys. I'll call back uh, another. Okay, I think we're back. Um, I, I had a feeling this was going to be an issue tonight. And for those of you listening in the archives, I apologize if this is the issue, but. Uh, People listening live have it even worse than you do because they have to <laughs> deal with the technical fail. Yeah, I knew this when my internet was struggling since Friday that uh, we might have this, and unfortunately, the internet provider has not been very speedy with fixing this. 
I had I was on the phone with him for hours on Friday and got nowhere. It's very very frustrating. So let me know, guys, if you can in the chat if you can hear this better. So someone saying I had a feeling that I did nothing to prevent it. No, I did a lot to prevent it. I just it's not under my control. The internet provider would not come down here and fix it. They were blaming it on everything but themselves. All right, so I adjusted something, and hopefully this will solve the issue for right now. It's, it's kind of like a precarious situation, so any little thing that goes wrong here can, can mess up the connection. That's, that's the problem. Hey, Jeff, I'm back. Yeah, so what, what I did here, to basically, uh, to put it simply, I pulled the hardwired connection which I usually have a hardwired connection and a wireless connection. I pulled the hardwired connection, and that fixed it. But that's not what's causing this problem. What's causing it is that the internet's very inconsistent where I am right now. And I've, I'm going to try to. I'm going to really lean on them, and hopefully they'll get here before next week. They just, uh, they didn't want to send anyone down. They were insisting that there was no problem on their end. It looks fine. Blah blah blah. It was a. It just abruptly changed like this, and. It was very, very frustrating. I was, I was tearing my hair out on Friday night trying to convince them to solve this. And I thought them sending me a new router would probably be the solution. I had this once before, and it turned out the router was bad. But it's not. I just got the router today, and it hasn't fixed anything. So, All right, we're going to try to move on here. And I, I don't know what was at what point it was cutting out there. I think we're talking about the uh, rival collecting the money. Yeah, I, I was just saying it's it's something that you you have to always be aggressive with the person. If you think you're giving them space, you're making a mistake. You may think if they like you better, if you're nicer about it, they'll pay you faster. It's always the opposite. They'll pay you faster if you're a pain in the ass. They'll pay you faster if you're stressful for them. They will pay you faster if they have to deal with you every day. And all they want is you off their back. If you get off their back voluntarily, then they're not going to pay you because you're not presenting a problem for them. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. That's very much true. That's very much true with this type of thing. And it's just since you're dealing with a human being rather than a company, it's easy to think, okay, this person's struggling. They they don't have any money at the moment. The last thing they want is for me to hassle them. They're going to hate me and not going to want to pay me out of spite. And that can happen too. But you have a much higher chance of getting paid if you start hassling the person every day and start increasingly threatening consequences, making it public, uh, making their situation known to those that they don't want to have know about it. You know, maybe their boss, maybe uh, their neighbors, maybe their family, whatever it is, whatever it is, you you just need to always make them feel that they're going to experience some kind of pain in their life. And I don't mean physical pain. I don't mean threaten to go down and beat them up or kill them or anything. I, I mean uh, pain in the form of frustration or a reputational hit. And that's that's what you need to do. And there's there's nothing ethically wrong with that because they stiffed you. They cheated you. And I'm always of the belief that anybody can afford some kind of payment plan. So... Anybody who owes you thousands can always manage to pay you $50, $100 a week, always. They can always manage that. It's so easy to save like $50 a week, even if you don't have much money coming in. 
just and, and it's perfect for Riley because if this guy is an attorney and a licensed attorney, he definitely does not want him sending a letter to the bar the yeah, association or right. whatever it is. So I mean, for six grand, he'll figure out a way to come up with it. Yeah, that's what I think too. And and if he doesn't, then then you start you can start doing these things and you can start uh, turning the heat up. And, and once in a while, you'll get a very stubborn person who just doesn't want to pay you and will fight back and give you nothing just because you're pressuring them. But but most of the time, your chance of getting paid is much higher if the person thinks that you're going to be a problem for them. I actually have a pretty good record, not a perfect record, a pretty good record with getting paid bad debts just because people knew that I would be the type to expose them and bring it out if their debt is bad. And uh, I'll tell you, the ones where I have not gotten paid are the few cases where it was like friends, where like to a stranger, it's much easier to just go bring it out. Like like in this case with Ryland, when it's a friend who then does this to you and you know they are legitimately struggling, then it's a little harder to start making threats to them, even if you're not really wanting to be their friend anymore. It's because you have an existing relationship with them and you know they're going through something, you kind of feel bad for them, but... Like then it's a little harder, and in those cases where I've backed off and thought, okay, you know, I, I've been good friends with this person. Of course, they're going to pay me. That's when I haven't been paid. That's that's when I haven't gotten the money because I'm not leaning on the person, and they and they think that I won't do that to them. Whereas a stranger who stiffs me in some way, that I always seem to get paid. Then even Chino Reem paid me <laughs> uh, because they think that I'm the type who's going to bring it out and destroy their ability to borrow in the future. So, when I yeah, say and, any- I, and I think with Ryland, I think the approach he should take is, you know, my friends, my friends have told me I should write a letter to the bar association. I really don't want to have to do something like that. Yeah. I like to work it out, you know, so he can kind of play the good guy but still put pressure on him. Yeah, that's a good idea actually. And and uh, I kind of suggested something similar to Mycon back when Eric Re- Eric Lindgren owed him fantasy football money way before that story came out, way before anyone knew Lindgren was broke. But I knew about this a long time before it came out, and when and this was actually before Black Friday, so he was still having money coming in. He was still getting two hundred fifty k a month. So I told Mike, "I'm lucky he has money coming in. You just have to hit him at the right time to get it. But don't just back off and wait for him to pay you. Just be persistent, but don't be overly threatening with him. Don't just kind of." Start off saying, you know, be, just being persistent, and then if he gets nasty with you, then bring out the either nasty or defiant. Then bring out the, well, I don't want to have to make this public. I really hope we can do like, something like that. But I, I like your idea here that you can kind of come off as the good guy, like that others have advised him to go, and he really doesn't want to do this. He's hoping they can just solve it. So that's that's the best way to go about these things. And uh, a lot of people care about their reputation. A lot of people, especially in this day and age, when you can. Uh, when things show up on Google, when you Google someone's name, the last thing an attorney would want is threads up on the internet about how they're a scammer, and that that would be the end of that for them as far as getting much business. So uh, you really have a lot of power with that, much more than in the past. So th- keep those things in mind. Start off kind of gently and then turn up the heat. But if you back off, they're never going to pay you. You'd like to think people are just good and they're going to want to pay you when they can afford it, but that's never how it works. It's always, if you're not a pain in the ass for them, then you're not worth paying. And it sucks people are like that, but that's unfortunately the way it goes. Let's go to the next topic here. 
I'll probably go back and edit out the fail that uh, occurred in this broadcast. And please let me know in the chat room or text me or whatever that we're having problems. I knew when Rylan was kind of cutting out, I had a feeling it was on my end. All right, so let's go to the next uh, topic. Poker Stars has screwed up at a live tournament. I, I mentioned before Ryland called in that they, they just have such a hard time at these live tournaments. They don't send competent people. They don't send empowered people. People make bad decisions over there who are in charge. And the players are the ones who get screwed. And then when the players come home and complain about it on the internet, then Poker Stars, they never handle it well. They never handle it well. Such a big company with a lot of money. What they should do when these fails occur and they know for sure that they screwed up and dropped the ball, they should overcompensate the person. They should be very generous with their compensation because the good PR this will buy is worth far more than the money they're going to give to solve it. But I've watched them be cheap in these circumstances where uh, like a matter of $17,000 and they don't want to pay it and they underpay the person or like like money that really should not be very big to poker stars. Somehow they get very stubborn with it, almost like they just want to sweep it under the rug and not really deal with it and not really acknowledge they screwed up. They just want to make everyone forget it existed. And I think that's the wrong approach. So it seems like every PCA, it seems like every EPT we're seeing problems. We're seeing dumb things they're doing that screw the players. We're seeing where the players complain to the highest manager available and he completely mishandles it and the player gets screwed in some way. We even had that disaster in Barcelona where people's rooms were broken into and poker players were targeted and key loggers and, and uh, screenshotters were put on their computer, Trojan horse programs to spy on people's computers when they play poker and then it seems security of the hotel was involved in getting that done or at least covering it up. And Poker Stars was useless. Poker Stars was actually trying to help the hotel get out of it. They just never handle things right. They're just never player friendly at these tournaments. They never have intelligent people in charge of these tournaments. Now, you're not going to have a crew full of geniuses running these things. I mean, you're sending these people abroad. Uh, you're sending a lot of people. You're not going to have everyone working there as the perfect employee and as the person who's good at handling a crisis or handling a mistake or a non-standard situation. But you have to have at least one intelligent manager on the premises of these tournaments who can figure out what the right thing is to do, make a good decision, and prevent these things from becoming both embarrassments to poker stars and frustrating for players. But over and over and over this happens. And even at the PCA, which is like their signature tournament that they have every January, this is still going on. So here's the latest thing which occurred. And th there's no doubt that this happened. This really did happen, apparently. This guy is not uh, exaggerating or, or telling stories or, or just making up things in order to get sympathy. So, this is what uh, the guy wrote. To whom could give a flying flip about poker stars and their integrity? 
Now that I have deflated my blood pressure from the upper elevation of above the heavens over the last three days. By the way, this guy is very uh, emotional in his uh, post. I am going to share what was the worst ever experience in the PokerStars PCA history. I am a recreational player who has always enjoyed the great time spent at the tables with all the best players to the average Joes in, uh, in the world, especially the times where I've left the snow and cold in Indiana and made the trip to the Bahamas in January for the PokerStars-sponsored PCA. This year was no different. I set my sights on tournaments that are in my poker bankroll, including satellites to the main event. Arriving late Wednesday, I decided to play a $300 turbo to start off the trip. All went well and made it deep into the tournament. When we got to 18 players left, it was announced that we were going hand-for-hand. And approximately 45 minutes later, being short-stacked, it was with great pleasure when the director announced, Congratulations to everyone, you've made the money. Dealers continue dealing, no more hand-for-hand. After a few hands of play, I found myself in a standard spot to push ace-jack from the button. I got called and lost. No big deal. On to the payout table to collect my ticket for 17th place. So basically, uh, I guess they were paying 17 spots. Uh, it was announced that they were on the bubble, that they're going hand-for-hand hand with 18 people left since 17 get paid. And then it was announced 45 minutes later that the bubble finally burst, that someone went out 18th. So now the remaining 17 all get money. So he very uh, was ha- he was very happy to push in his ace-jack from the button thinking, okay, I'm getting paid now. I'm in cash at least, and uh, let's see where this ace-jack can take me. And he busted, and that was that. So he goes on to say this. I put the ticket in my pocket to cash later and go play one of the other tournaments when I got approached by a nice young lady who was assisting the tournament I just cashed in and asked if I'd cash my ticket yet. I let her know I would cash it later. Uh, She proceeded to tell me I could not just hold on to the ticket and was supposed to to go directly to the payout stand to turn it in, which is weird. I, I've never seen this before where you're forced to go cash out immediately. I've, you always can just do it when you want, but whatever. Uh, that's not the main point of this. Uh, I, I, I let her know I would cash it later. So I was playing a flip out, which is the kind of tournament there. She ple- proceeds to tell me I can't just hold on to the ticket. I had to go directly to the payout stand to turn it in. Having done this a few times, now defuddled, I, now befuddled, I told her I would go over and take care of it now. So he actually left a tournament to go do this. So they're already doing something stupid here. She smiled and said, I will go with you to show you where it is. I... Uh, sorry, I lost my place. I told her I would go over and take care of it now. She smiled and said, I will go with you to show you where it is. I set up a PokerStars Live account to assist not having to carry cash around. No problems. And then. So the PokerStars Live account is an account you can have there where they just – you can deposit money into it so you don't have to carry cash you win back to the United States and maybe get it confiscated. So this way, whatever you win at the PCA, you can just put in this account and they just deposit it to your PokerStars account. So they, he had one of those set up, and he was going to put $500 into the account because he had just cashed 500 After about 30 minutes, I was paid, and the nice young assistant returned to the table where I was playing and asked if I could come with her for a talk to the assistant floor director. I followed her over to hear the director inform me that they had made a mistake, and I was actually the bubble and not the 17th place finisher. <laughs> 
pretty egregious mistake. <laughs> they say the bubbles burst, everybody, you've all cashed, and then he shoves in his money. Oops, sorry, you actually were the bubble. We actually weren't to the money. Sorry about that. Well, now you don't get paid. Like That's really crappy. So that's what the assistant uh, floor director told him. So he, he says, I looked directly at him and said, I'm sorry to hear that, but what do you want me to do? He then proceeds to tell me the right thing to do would be to give the money back. <laughs> what? So he, he's already been paid. So this obnoxious floor director, this obnoxious floor director has the nerve to tell him he should give back the money that he was paid. That would be the right thing to do. So he says, my blood pressure went way up again. I look at him and say, number one, I cannot even believe you have the gall to call me over and bring this up, let alone ask me for the money back. Number two, I'm in no way going to give the money back for what's clearly a mistake by your floor man. My play was for sure changed by this after the announcement we were in the money. Number three, I have to get back to the turn of my man, and that's the end of it. So he replies with his best effort to guilt me into paying for their mistake, saying, so you think that's fair and right, huh? And so he says back, Again, I cannot believe you're even talking to me about this. And then he left. So on Thursday, he says, I returned to the scene of my crime, (laughs) feeling good. One or two tournaments for a little cash and a good start. I go to sign up for the first mega satellite. And the friendly cashier says, sorry, Chris, that's the name of this guy involved in the story. There's a problem with your account. You will need to see the tournament director, Mike. I say, what's the problem? They say, you'll have to see, Mike, as your account is suspended and locked up. They suspended his account, you know, that PokerStars Live account that he had his money in. Uh, he can't use it. They froze his account and his cash in there. I storm out of the room and find Mike in the tournament area and quickly locate him. I approach him and say, Mike? And he says, yep, what can I help you with? He says, I'm Chris Underwood. I was told to see you about a problem with my account. Mike says, oh, there's no problem. I just need to inform you that we are taking back the $500 that you wrongfully collected from it. (laughs) So he says, wait a minute. You have to be kidding. Is this a joke? And Mike says, no joke. We will take it back or you're not going to play anymore due to your account being suspended. With a nice eat shit and and leave look for me to boot, he writes. So Chris says back, Mike, I'm calling you out for what you are, sir. A thief, a cheat, an awful piece of work who's in charge, as well as the worst tournament director in the history of such a position. Mike says, it's your choice. Pay it back or don't play anymore. And so Chris says back, Mike, again, you are a thief. You take your 500 and get my account back open so I can play. So Mike says, with a parenthesis, now grinning that you can eat shit and die, says, follow me to the back room. We get back to the room where we need to open my account back up and are in the center of a partially filled room when Mike yells over to one of three to 30 to 40 people behind the counters loud enough for all the room to hear, go ahead and reopen Chris Underwood's suspended account and take back our $500 out of, my account, out of his account. Blood pressure just went to Mars and back. Mike, thanks again. And just so you remember, I say you were a thief and crook for stealing my money. Have a good day, thief. Mike says, anything else? Have a good day. So, basically what happened here is 
they uh, I guess they didn't have the uh, ability to take money out of his account without his permission. So what Mike did, since he already got paid the 500, what Mike, the, per- the tournament director at the PCA, this is the tournament director. This isn't just some, some floor man idiot. This is the tournament director at the PCA. Mike told him, told Chris Underwood, you either give us that $500 back or we are suspending your account to where you cannot get any more money out of it to play the rest of the tournament. So if you want to keep playing here and use that PokerStars Live account you set up, then you better give us that $500. And if you don't authorize us to give you that $500, we're suspending your account and you can have fun twiddling your thumbs for the rest of the week here. Really, really dirty. He basically extorted $500 out of Mike, saying you either give us this $500 or you can't continue playing because you won't have a way to pay for it. So Chris was in a very tough spot, either not give the $500 or and be stuck doing nothing there and not be able to play the tournaments he came to play for or give the 500 reluctantly and be able to play. This is so outrageous because when they say that the money has been reached, then you definitely do alter your style of play. So you can't tell someone who's been nursing a short stack forever, hoping to make the money, that they've made the money, and they're like, oh, okay, my money's all in. Oh, guess what? You weren't actually in the money. Sorry about that. You can't do that. Once you say you're in the money, you're committing to that player that they will get min cash. If you made a mistake, then the casino has to eat it. I don't know about legally, but I know morally they have to. And this is over 500 bucks. It's not like the bubble here got him $15,000. This is $500. $500 they couldn't eat here with this mistake. Now, I have a feeling that Mike did this because probably nobody wanted to get in trouble. Probably that uh, they'd have to justify where this $500 came from. They can't just pull $500 out of the air and have poker stars not question, hey, where did this extra 500 come from? They have to justify where every penny goes. So rather than go to PokerStars and say, hey, we screwed up and we accidentally said that uh, the bubble has been reached and, uh, and that everyone's in the money when it actually wasn't, and now we have to pay another 500 instead of looking incompetent, they just try to take the money from Mike or from, from Chris and make the whole thing go away like they never made a mistake. So I think they were covering their own asses for their bosses here. Trader Risky, what's your uh, opinion here? I can't believe they did that over 500 bucks. That is so outrageous. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, if the guy flew there, he's got his hotel. I mean, you know, I guess he could, probably could have figured he could have uh, complained after the fact and got it back. Hopefully he will. But, I mean, that is ridiculous. Also, uh, separately, Greg Merson, former World Series of Poker champion, tweeted, multiple people are telling me they have been sick or had food poisoning this trip at the PCA. I had food poisoning on Friday and Saturday. Be careful. <laughs> now, I don't blame that part on, on Poker Stars. That's uh, the resort's problem in the Bahamas. That's the Atlantis Resort in the Bahamas. And uh, I, I've heard bad things about that resort, by the way. And especially during the PCA, I, the reason I've never gone to the PCA is twofold. Number one, I, I just uh, don't 
Well, I guess it's three things. Number one, I don't really travel much for tournaments. It's just uh, not a thing I do. Number two, it's full of 18-year-olds there and others who are old enough to gamble there but not anywhere else live. So there's a lot of really young people and kind of like it's kind of got like a summer camp environment, not in a good way. There's a lot of young people acting like douchebags away from home for the first time. So I, I even when I was younger, 10 years ago, I didn't fit in with that crowd. Uh, number three, I never heard very good things about the Atlantis Resort. And I heard at that time of year, it's especially bad for two reasons. Number one, because there's so many young people and just poker players there in general, they don't treat anyone with respect over there. It's just the, the, the staff kind of looks down upon those there for that event, especially with all the young people. Uh, and the service definitely suffers there. And number two, the water is actually cold in, it, in the Bahamas in January. You would picture that it isn't, but it is. So uh, you, you picture you're going to go there and swim in 85-degree water. It's nothing like that. The water is surprisingly cold. So if going swimming is not very pleasurable over there, why go all the way there to a place like the Bahamas? So, so I've never gone. But it doesn't surprise me that people got food poisoning. You're always risking that when you go to a third world type environment. But especially a resort that doesn't have the best reputation. And if you Google Atlantis in Bahama in Bahamas, you'll see a lot of bad reviews of the place. And usually where there's smoke, there's fire with bad reviews. If you see a lot of bad reviews on something, then usually they're true. A few bad reviews amidst a lot of good ones, usually uh, those people just had some kind of unusual experience or have some kind of unusually high standards that they shouldn't have for these places or unusual expectations. But when you have a lot of people giving bad reviews, then there's something to it. So I don't blame poker stars for that, but it's unbelievable that the tournament director acted this way, actually extorted $500 out of someone that they had paid, that they had told, made the money, they went as far as paying him because even they believed at the time he made the money and then tried to take it back afterwards. It's crazy. In fact, uh, once you're paid money like that, uh, it's yours. To get it back, is uh, unless it can be proven that uh, you knew you weren't supposed to have been paid or you were in cahoots with tournament staff members to defraud them, something like that. Like, like for example, if if you busted a hundredth and they accidentally paid you first place money, uh, yeah, you'd be expected to give that back because you'd be knowing the money you get is is not correct. But uh, them telling you that you finished seventeenth and you getting paid seventeenth place money at five hundred bucks, and you, them telling you later, oh, actually you were eighteenth, they can't take that back. I don't even think legally they can take that back. So that that's really bad, and it's really bad that the highest person there was behaving this way. And he works for PokerStars Drop, or is this somebody they just hired to run the tournament? This is someone they hired, but he's been around for a while. Uh, uh, Let me see. I had the guy's name. Let me get it again. Um, I had it, and I lost it. I saw it on 2 Plus 2, and I guess people had trouble with this guy at other tournaments. Uh, Mike Ward is his name. Oh, yeah. He's he's been around, I think, for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Mike Ward, you can look him up on Google. Just Google Mike Ward and PCA. Uh, It says he, tournament director Mike Ward has been in charge of every single PCA from its inception in 2004 all the way to the present. Wow. So, 
This guy's been around forever. He did this. They just don't have competent people here. It's unbelievable that a guy running this since 2004 would be acting this way. You can see what he looks like, by the way, if you type in Mike Ward poker stars on Google and go to Google Images. The first things that come up, you'll see him. But he's he's been with them a long time. He's been to other tournaments they've run. The the LAPT, the EPT, he's, he's directed a lot of their tournaments, and he did this. Now, Daniel Negreanu, credit to him, when he heard of this, he said, okay, I will pay the $500 out of my pocket, and then I'll get it back from PokerStars myself later. So Negreanu, I don't know if he actually did, but I'm sure he will. I don't think he's making this up. Uh, Negreanu said he will pay Chris Underwood the $500 and uh, then find out on the back end what happened. So that's a, a classy move by Negreanu. I would have done the same thing in Negreanu's position. And the reason, uh, number one, it, it's just the right thing to do. And number two, uh, it's not very much money. And, and number three, Negreanu's the face of poker stars. So rather than getting all the people bothering him again, oh, how can you represent a company like this? You know, look what you're endorsing now. Now he just shuts down things like that by saying, okay, I will pay him the 500 and then I will figure this out. So at worst, they don't reimburse Negreanu the 500 and he loses 500 bucks, but he saves face. So that's a, so Negreanu did the right thing in several ways. And I'm not criticizing him for this, by the way, in any, any way. If I were Negreanu, there's exactly what I would do, is, uh, is pay the guy the 500 out of my pocket and then go to PokerStars and say, what the hell? <laughs> say, what the hell? You guys can't keep embarrassing yourself like this when I'm the face of the site. You've, you've got to put competent people in charge. That's a, I mean, I, that's just – you get these people with a power complex – this Mike Ward has been in charge since 2004. He probably thinks he's the king over there. And, and that is so outrageous because really, I mean, for the player, if, you know, the only reason he he would have lost money if he had to change his flight or leave early or whatever. So for 500 bucks, plus they had it locked in his account. They suspended him for the tournament. So, I mean, that was so shady. Yeah, and, and the, the amazing thing is here, it's not like this is a new guy, Mike Ward, who – was afraid this would cost him his job if it got back to the superiors of PokerStar. Not that it would make it right there either, but at least you could say that maybe he was acting with self-preservation. But you can't even say that here. If he's been there since 2004, you would think they would make an allowance at PokerStars for a mistake like this. He just goes to his bosses and says, look, we we just screwed up. We counted wrong. I got the wrong information. Even if the responsibility falls on him for this, I'm sure PokerStars would forgive him after running this thing for 13 years that a $500 mistake, an honest human mistake, can occur like that. So I'm sure if he went to his bosses and said, sorry, we don't know how this happened. It, uh, we, we counted wrong. Uh, we paid this guy an extra $500. Uh, here it is. Uh, sorry about that. Like, what are they going to say? You're fired after 13 years? No, they're not going to say that. There's no way. In fact, he, he could spin it and say, look, uh, we paid the guy because we, we wanted uh, – we wanted everyone to believe that PokerStars takes care of its players and makes their own mistakes right. And I'm, I'm sure his bosses would have said, great, you did the right thing. Just you know, be careful in the future. But I, I have to think this was a combination of trying to cover for himself here and not have to explain to his bosses why $500 extra was given out and also just an ego thing. Like, I'm the king here. This is my decision. F you. You're going to well, do think, it my way. I think they'd be much more apt to fire him over this yes. than they would have if he did it the other way. Yes. I'm telling you, employees sometimes, when they think they're in charge, they think they're the king. Sometimes you have 
the wrong type of personality in charge, and the the guy will think he's the king and will do things that he should not be doing and are, and are very much against both the company's and the customer's best interests. I've seen this before. I'm the type of guy who will go to the superiors of a person who acts like that and tell them, hey, guess what the guess what your employee just did to me yesterday? And I've I've gotten people fired over this sort of thing. And I, I don't take pleasure in seeing people fired, but I did I do take pleasure in seeing people like that fired. Because people like that should not be running a poker tournament, especially a major poker tournament. People like that should not be dealing with customers because they don't know how to. Because they are inserting their own ego into the situation rather than doing what's right. And everybody agreed. I mean, this is one of the few cases where a, a situation was brought on 2 plus 2, and everybody agreed this guy was in the right. I didn't see one post from someone saying, no, nah, you know what? They should have been able to take back the 500. You were being unreasonable. I didn't see a single person saying that. That's how clear this was. Like thousands of people read this and not one pipes up, hey, Mike was in the right. Not one. So, and this is a recreational player. This is the guy you want at the tournaments. This is the guy you want on Poker Stars. I, mean, I guess he can't play on Stars because he's in uh, Indiana, but this is the guy you want in the poker community at your live tournaments. A recreational player who probably isn't that good, just enjoys it, enjoys playing, enjoys sitting with the big names of poker sometimes and having them at his table. Someone who knows he, he loses, but enjoys the whole experience nonetheless. That's, that's who you want. You don't want asshole tournament directors on a power trip scaring these people away. So I hope he gets fired. He probably won't be. His poker stars doesn't ever fire people for things like this. They, poker stars, when these live tournament fails occur, they just want to sweep it under the rug. That's always what they've done. That's always what they do. I'm sure this Chris guy is going to get paid because Negreanu's paying him. But they're not going to fire Mike Ward. They're not going to make an official apology, I bet. Uh, if they will, it's it's insincere. Uh, it's it's the same thing over and over and over again. The the subject of the thread that was started on Poker Fraud Alert about this, it was started by Shiz Money, who read about it on uh, 2 Plus 2. Though independently, I was emailed by one of Chris Underwood's friends. And I was I actually offered for him to come on the show, but he didn't respond for whatever reason. But Shiz Money posted this on Poker Fraud Alert. And the subject was, Poker Stars Live Tour Fails Once Again. <laughs> That's what everybody's impression is, that they're failing once again. I don't know what the problem is. This is not hard. Now, I'm not volunteering for this position because I wouldn't want it. But if Poker Stars put me in charge of every one of their tournaments, they just flew me out to each one of their tournaments and had me just sit there and made made it aware, made all the players aware that I was there to handle any kind of issues. They could come to me if there was a problem. All of these problems that have happened over the last few years, I guarantee I could have solved them all. And not because I'm some sort of problem-solving genius. It's just because if you have someone who has some degree of intelligence and some degree of an understanding of how you treat customers, that... Uh, you put that person in a position of power to overrule any dummy who does the wrong thing, like in this spot, and make that person accessible to all players, this all goes away. You put someone out there like that, make all the players aware he's there, and so next time this happens, they say, okay, I want to speak to such and such, the guy in charge here. Bring the guy out, 
He'll overrule the stupidity, say, sorry this happened, here's an extra 500 bucks on top of that for your trouble, goodbye. But over and over and over again, people keep hearing bad things about PokerStars live events, and it's got to be hurting. I don't get it. I don't get why they cannot staff one person there who can rule on these things. Because every time it's the same thing. Every time it's the same thing that uh, something unreasonable happens and there's no one there to overrule it. And it's got to be a big to-do on 2 plus 2 or elsewhere to make it happen. People are telling me to call the 7-Eleven in Chino Hills that that sold the Powerball ticket. I'm sure they're getting swamped with calls. I don't think we're the first one to think about that. I'm sure they're getting like hammered with calls from the media at this point. So I don't see the point. Bobby Orr is giving a different perspective in chat. I've been to the PCA for the last five years. was fucking great. Don't know what Todd is on about. Well, I'm on about them screwing something up like this every year, that there's no one who's above jerks like this Mike that can overrule crap like this. Every year they seem to have an issue. Now, I'm glad for you, Bobby Orr, you're not having issues there, but when you do, I bet you're going to be frustrated. I bet you're going to feel like there's nobody there with a brain and with some common sense who can listen to you. That's that's what I'm on about. Shiz Money says, is it Mike Ward? He's the guy who stole money from Foxwoods. Mike Ward stole money from Foxwoods rebuy tournaments and got canned from being tournament director there. <laughs> Huh. Well, if that's true, and again, I'm not saying this. This is from Shiz Money in the chat. But if this is true, then uh, this might explain it even more. Because if you've been under suspicion for stealing money in the past, and now you're running a tournament and $500 goes missing... And you're already known for money disappearing under your watch. You might get fired. So maybe that's what it's about. Maybe he he cannot have any unaccounted money disappear after the suspicion he was under in Foxwoods. It could easily be it. If that's true, though, if, if they're still letting him run the PCA after getting canned from Foxwoods over, under suspicion of stealing, uh, that's amazing. And that's... Uh, not too surprising from poker stars, but amazing. <laughs> Jeez. Again, I don't know if it's true. This is being said in the chat room by one of our users, so I just want to make that clear. I'm not stating that Mike Ward stole anything. I'm saying that's what a user in the chat is saying. Name Shiz Money. Beer and poker saying too much bad publicity for $500. Exactly. Beer and Poker saying Chico Loco should call them next week in Chino Hills and complain that someone took cuts in line. <laughs> Otherwise, he would have had the jackpot. I guess we'll have to find out, though, if the person who won in Chino Hills chose their own numbers or had the quick pick do it. I, I always choose my own numbers. I think it's no fun. Since I know I'm not going to win, it's not that much fun if the computer chooses the numbers for you. I want to feel like 
like like like I'm trying to choose the numbers based on something, some factor that I make makes me think that they're good numbers, and it makes it more fun to watch the actual results and see how close I came than just let the computer pick it. The numbers aren't meaningful if the computer picks it. Now, if you're gonna play a hundred times, and yeah, you have to the computer pick it, but if you're gonna play a few times, like when I got the eight tickets on. Uh, <coughs> Sorry about that. For Saturday's drawing, that one I, I did all eight by myself. This week I had Benjamin <laughs> choose two of them. I guess he didn't do that well either. Lou Father saying there's a poster here that lives in Chino Hills. Hmm, interesting. Don't know who that is, but okay. I I hope it's it's that poster. Unless it's someone I don't like, then I hope it's not. All right, so another PokerStars Caribbean adventure story. Antonio Esfandiari pissed away his tournament at the PCA by getting caught pissing in a bottle and being disqualified for doing so. So this this is really weird. This is at the main event of all things. Uh, he urinated into a bottle on day two of the PCA. I bet he made uh, some. I think he made some kind of prop bet about this, about how, how long he could go without uh, going to the bathroom. Yeah, it was a prop bet with uh, with Bill Perkins. And uh, it had to do with uh, with how he walks. <laughs> he has to walk only in lunges. He could only lunge. He, he couldn't walk. So, I guess the problem was that he had to do this for 48 hours for this 100K prop bet about lunging. <laughs> that uh, by the time he was on the second day of the tournament, his legs hurt so much that he thought he was not going to be able to lunge over to the bathroom and back. That his legs hurt too much to do that. So his, his choice was to either walk to the bathroom and lose the bet or find a way to pee in another way. And he couldn't hold it anymore. So think about this. Your your legs are killing you. You're only allowed to lunge wherever you would normally walk, or else you're going to lose this big bet. You are sitting down, so you, you're taking a break from the lunging. That's the only way you're going to make it through this bet. But now you can't take a break anymore because you have to pee really, really badly. So he came up with a brilliant idea that, that he is going to pee in a bottle. And he didn't announce it. He didn't say, hey, everybody guess what, I'm going to pee in a bottle under the poker table. He just pulled out a bottle he had with him and started to do it. And I guess he even had a towel. I don't know why he had a towel with him, but he had a towel with him. And uh, he was covering the whole thing up with a towel, I guess so people wouldn't see his dick going into the bottle. 
<laughs> and I don't know how he was caught, but uh, he was disqualified for what was described by the PCA as breach of etiquette. <laughs> Uh, they didn't make a big spectacle of it. Apparently, they uh, they disqualified him quietly. They they came over and whispered to him that they needed to talk and just told him he's disqualified. And uh, he didn't argue. He actually said, "All right, fine, I understand," and, and walked off or lunged off, I guess. Now, rule number fifty of the PCA under penalties and player etiquette reads as follows: All participants must behave in a courteous and civil manner during events. And in all tournament areas, any individual who encounters inappropriate behavior on the part of any other individual should immediately contact the tournament staff. This shall include, but is not limited to, any player whose personal hygiene or health has become disruptive to other players seated at their table. That's the part I'm sure he violated. Uh, I wonder if someone reported him or if it was just caught by a floor man walking by or the dealer noticed. Like, who, who reported this? The determination as to whether an individual's personal hygiene or health is disruptive to other players shall be determined by the tournament staff, which may, in its discretion, implement sanctions upon any such player who refuses to remedy the situation in a manner satisfactory to poker stars. Well, I think he did remedy the situation. I think he was done, (laughs) but uh, probably too late. Now, this rule, I believe, was written for two reasons. One, if someone sits down at the table and smells terrible because they haven't showered or whatever else, that you're not forced to have that person at the table. They, they can probably force the person to get up and go take a shower or whatever, or change clothes, whatever is necessary to not smell bad. Or I also have to imagine the health part is like, let's say you had someone who's just coughing up a storm and sneezing all over the place and everyone's worried they're going to get sick. Uh, they can disqualify them for that reason, that they're contagious. Maybe someone with pink eye at the table would get disqualified. Things like that. I, I bet they did not think of urinating in a bottle when they wrote this rule. But it, it, I can understand where it fell under that. So they didn't have to give him a disqualification. They could have given him a warning, a penalty, suspension for some time. But no, they disqualified him. Uh it's funny, the, the reaction from the public on this is very mixed. Some feel that he should not have been in any kind of trouble. Some feel he should have just gotten some kind of mild penalty. Some felt he should have been disqualified as what happened. And some felt that he should have been banned from the PCA forever for doing this. I I, I don't think that. Uh, yeah, it's kind of gross. But uh, I don't think he should be banned from the PCA for life for doing this. I, I think that... Uh, if I was a tournament director and caught something like this, uh, I probably would have just given a substantial penalty and not uh, disqualified him. Unless, like, if people saw his dick or something, then then I'd probably disqualify him. But if he if he did it under a towel and if the worst that happened, people heard the sound of pee going in a bottle, uh, I, I think a penalty, it probably like a stiff penalty. And I, I, I'm not saying stiff in the way you might think, but like uh, a penalty, maybe give him an hour penalty or something. I think that would be sufficient here. But Trader Risky, what would you have done if you were the tournament director here? I think they, yeah, I think they did what they had to do. You think the disqualification is right? Yeah, I think it's right. I, I don't think it's terrible. Like I, I'm just he saying, do it at the table. You don't know there could be half <laughs> women at the table. He could have lunged over in a discreet area. 
<laughs> rather than going all the way to the bathroom to do it too. So I mean, I think he realized it was his bad. Yeah, I mean, to his credit, he didn't fight the disqualification, and I guess he had a hundred k in chips, which was well above average at the time. So it wasn't even like he was short stacked. <laughs> he, uh, I guess he he took it like a man at least. He accepted that he screwed up and just walked off the. You have to understand also that Esfandiari he. He has a lot of endorsement opportunities, and if he acts like a jerk over this and, and fights this and argues and acts like an asshole, then this could interfere with endorsement opportunities. So that's another reason to just accept the disqualification and yeah, just chalk it up as a loss. So, uh, by the way, China Maniac, uh, he was saying that uh, he might be able to co-host tonight if his game breaks. So feel free to come anytime, China Maniac. We'll have you back, too, if you'd like to join. So, I thought it's kind of a humorous story. I wouldn't call this a PCA fail, as Ferdowski said. The the action was reasonable on the part of the tournament director there. I wonder if it was the same tournament director that wouldn't give back the five hundred dollars. <laughs> this guy may have had a busy PCA there between the urination and the strong arming of five hundred dollars from a recreational player. Hmm. I, I never thought I would see. Someone disqualified for peeing in a bottle at a table, especially not a known pro. I think I've told you guys this before, but here's my little recent Antonio story. And it's one where I was a little disappointed in his play. I thought he was better than this. But again, this was a limit tournament, so maybe that's why. I was at the $10,000 buy-in limit hold'em event, and both myself and Esfandiari were semi-short-stacked. And this is at the very end of day one. The blinds were already pretty big. So if you lose a big hand and and you're semi-short stacked, then you're really, really in trouble. So in this hand, I had pocket kings. And uh, pre-flop, Esfandiari raised. Benjamin, who was sitting directly to my right on the button, three bet. And Benjamin was playing very tight. He was watching like some French soap opera on his iPad. And he he was really playing very tight. So I knew he had something. I had kings in the small blind. I, I four bet. Esfandiari five bet. Went back to Benjamin, who called, and I called. Something. All right. I hope no one has aces. Well, it didn't matter on the flop because the flop came king queen small card two diamonds. So I had the nuts for the moment. Well, to my surprise, it got raised and re-raised so much that I never even had to put in the last raise. It went. Uh, I bet, or no, sorry, I checked. Uh, Esfandiari bet. Benjamin raised. I three bet. Uh, what was it? No, I, you know, I, I don't know how the action. I, I can't say that for sure. Uh, I know what it was. It was that uh, Esfandiari bet. Benjamin called. I raised. Uh, Esfandiari then four bet. Benjamin, I don't, you know, I'm sorry, I, I can't tell you the flop action anymore. I don't want to make this a boring poker hand. But whatever it was, I was not the one to put in the fifth bet. You can go back to my five bets. I wasn't the one to put in the fifth bet. So I was going to check raise the turn, provided a diamond didn't hit, unless it was a diamond pairing the board. I suspected that uh, Esfandiari had queens there. So, turn, unfortunately, was a non pairing diamond, making a flush if uh, 
Benjamin had the flush. I I really really thought it was obvious Benjamin had the flush. By the way, he was. I, I can tell you Benjamin was just going call 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 like the way it was uh, it was going. So uh, uh, it looked very much like a flush draw. And the flop. Uh, so 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 Antonio still bet out into him. And again, I, I don't remember all the action, but Antonio bit out into him, and I was sure by the way that action went. It's even possible that Benjamin didn't three-bit the flop. He may have just flatted. I, I, I mean, he may have just flatted pre-flop. I know I'm butchering this description, but uh, uh, it was clear. The bottom line was clear to me, at least, as a limit player. I would have been shocked if Benjamin didn't have a draw the way it went down. I thought Antonio had like looked like a set, or maybe aces, but probably a set. And Benjamin had a draw. That's what it looked like from all the action. I can't tell you exactly the way it went, but that's how it looked to me very clearly. And I thought, okay, I'm going to check-raise this unless a diamond hits, and then I think I'm in trouble. So a diamond hit. So I checked with top set. Antonio bet, and Benjamin raises. So now I'm stuck calling two bets to hope the board pairs. Antonio calls. The river's a blank. So I check. Antonio checks. Benjamin bets. I'm very short stacked now, as is uh, Antonio. So now every chip counts. And I actually laid down my top set of kings. Antonio called. And Benjamin turned over Jack-10 suited for both a straight and flush draw. And making this flush, so I made a smart lay down there. Antonio was down to like one chip after this, or two chips. So he was going on how sick, how sick, how sick, and said, you know, he was definitely ahead on the flop. I said, oh, no, you weren't. And he says, what? That's not possible. I said, it is possible. I was ahead on the flop. He says, no. I know I was ahead. I said, no, I was ahead on the flop. And he couldn't believe it. He said, if, if you are the, how, did, how did you lay down the river? I said, I knew I was beat. I knew Benjamin had the flush. And he did. So I, I'm pretty sure he had middle set with pocket queens. But... I was surprised he bet into that, being short-stacked, and the way Benjamin was just calling off on the flop, it, it looked totally much, it, totally like uh, a diamond draw. So me with top set, I was going to check call down the rest of the way. Not even folded the river. So I was surprised. It, it may have just been a one-time mistake by Antonio, but the reason it was so egregious to me is he was very low on chips. He was down to two chips, literally, when the like two of whatever the lowest denomination of chips were after that hand. So every bit counts. Different than a cash game where you're betting out going, okay, uh, if I lose one more bet, big deal. So I was surprised because I saw the obvious draw. I saw, Whatever way it went down, I saw it. And I saw it in a way where not like it takes a limit genius to see it. All right, uh, let's see if anyone texted before we go to the next topic. Let's see if you text came in. What do they have to say here? From the 303, you have at least one longtime listener in Chino Hills, me. 711 is two and a half miles from my apartment. I have zero posts on the forum, but I did invest in your World Series of Poker once. Re-Poker Stars screw up. This is from the 631. Good thing they didn't let him hold on to the ticket. Yeah, he's referring to how the guy uh, cashed when they forced him to cash uh, earlier than he wanted to and then they wanted to get the money back. Yeah, I, I guess in a way it was a good thing that they 
made him cash right away, but they took the money back. So it ended up not mattering. Either way, the story kind of breaks out the same. Uh, someone's saying to prank call the 7-Eleven in Chino Hills. Yeah, I don't like calling things that everyone else is calling because they're not going to tolerate much. The uh, the Spartan is texting me that the call to listen number is not working well. But then he claims it went back up. The 248 saying, if Micon was back, the radio would not die. Uh, I don't think that's true. <laughs> we had a lot of fail when Micon was in charge. Though we do have a lot of fail when I'm in charge, too. See if China Maniac is real. Oh, here we have a, a call. Caller, you are on the air. Hey, this is uh, Jively. Jively, hello. Um, did you uh, ever watch that Antonio show called I Bet You with Phil Locke? No, I didn't. Uh, what do you like to say about it? It was pretty entertaining. They had bets like they would uh, try to guess their... Um, blood alcohol content with a blood alcohol uh, breathalyzer. They had a bet on their sperm counts. Pretty fun. <laughs> their sper- was, it was, uh, were their sperm counts low or high? Uh, compared I to don't average? remember. No, you don't remember? Okay. <laughs> I wanted to thank you for the hat from uh, when you were sending hats out a while ago. Oh, I, used, I sent them to I, – yeah, I recognized your name, and uh, I didn't – I wasn't sure if you were one of the people I sent them to, but that's good. I I basically sent out the hats to anyone that uh, I knew was a frequent listener to the radio or a contributor on the forum. So anyone who I knew just uh, deserved one for being either a participant in the site or someone who's a lurker or listener that I believed really was. So happy to send those out to people like you. All right. That's it. Okay. Well, thank you. All right. Bye. So, yeah, you wanted to remind me that uh, thing with uh, Antonio. Yeah, Antonio, I'll say this. It was fun playing with him, even though he did that stupid thing with uh, with betting into an obvious flush, costing me extra chips. And I, I was left the shortest stack of day one when day one ended, thanks to that. I mean, I would have lost a lot anyway, even without that extra bet. He's a... Um, yeah, it was a big hey, hand. Hey, what's up, Doc? I had top set. Yeah, yeah. Is, is this the Spartan? Yes, it is the Spartan. Oh, well, very loud. Listen, brother. You know I love you, right? Yeah, yeah. I, so, I have a lot of contention to pick with you. A couple of weeks ago, when I called you so, a uh, big, big dick tried to ambush me. That's fine. And and I kicked his ass. That's cool. And a couple of days after that, I was in the car with my friends, and I figured, let me let me find a spot where I was arguing Big Dick. I think it would be funny. You know what I'm saying? We'd have some laughs. So I played back the show, and I didn't know until I heard it on the podcast, there were some sound effects that you were putting over my head. The, the Cooper Clock sound effects, do you remember that? Yeah, so so what you're trying to say here with your, with your uh, complaint you're raising here is that you did not like hearing... Is that what you did not like? 
Yeah, especially with my friends in this car, man. It was, you know, I, I just kind of fucked me up a little bit. I'll well, be honest. With well, you. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that the the cuckoo clock uh, got you mad and made you look bad in front of your friends. I, I, I do this a lot uh, during contentious phone calls where people are arguing with one another, uh, and and the reason I do this is to bring some levity to the call because I've had people complain that when they're listening to the show and you have people fighting with each other on there, that if I just let it go and people fight back and forth, that it's it's too stressful. It sounds like uh, like something really serious with people yelling at each other. Take a All right. Okay. I, I'll cut that one. I have another. I have two more bones of contention with you, Josh. I'm okay. sorry. I, I, I got to lash some anger at you. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Now, every time you mention the word Trump uh, on your podcast, Uh-oh. you're almost in an anal with this angry, petty little way. Like, you're so angry that he's actually in the lead and probably going to win the nomination. And, and can you always say you're a Republican or a conservative or what have you, and that you supported Jeb. And Jeb has nothing conservative, nothing Republican, and would sell off this country to the globalists in a heartbeat. So, A, you are not a Republican or conservative, with all due respect, my, my friend. And, B, you got to stop with that anal attentiveness with Trump and learn to accept it. So if that bothers you too, every time you mention Trump, you say it in a very, you know, derogatory way, like in a manner, you know, the way you say it. Okay. Like well, you're not happy that he's, he's, he's winning. Okay, so, so let me say this. First of all, I don't know why you keep thinking I'm a Jeb Bush supporter, because I, I've never said that, so I don't know where, exactly where you're pulling that from. But, but, but putting that aside here, I will uh, admit that I do not want to see Donald Trump win the nomination, but that doesn't make me not a Republican. It makes me a Republican and a conservative who does not like Donald Trump for various reasons. And uh, th- that's my opinion. Now, I know you're a conservative who likes him, and that's fine, but I- I'm not going to say you're not a real conservative or a real Republican because you support a different candidate. Okay, but no, okay, I- I'm not saying it like that, but, but you did say that you like Bush. Didn't you did I say you like Bush? I said that uh, if – I didn't say I liked him. I, I said that uh, I would consider supporting him if I thought that he came off more presidential and had a chance. But I don't think he has a chance. If he were to win the primary, I think he would lose the general election. So I I also think people just don't want to elect another Bush at this point. So that's uh, – yeah, Even at that point where, like let's say he still had a chance back then, he's still a Bush and whatever he's telling us is bullshit. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's never been good with the Bush, whether the first one or the second one or, or this one. So, I, you know, you're, you're very intelligent, you know? And I, I just figured you would, you, would, you would see through that, you know what I'm saying? And the only people that really would even consider supporting a Bush are like neocons, you know, fake Republicans, things like that. Nobody else really would even consider supporting no, I, I actually, I, No, I actually do feel that, that Jeb Bush would have been a better president than, uh, than George W. Bush. And uh, it's too bad it didn't go in that order where uh, Jeb Bush would have, uh, I, I think, done a lot better for the country than George W. Bush did. But th- that's the way it went. Is that that's who ended up getting nominated first, and that actually harms Jeb Bush's chances to win. Though though I will say Jeb Bush just doesn't come off that presidential when you see him speak, and that, that could hurt him as well. But look, you know, everybody, there's a lot of political candidates who say things, different things to the public than what they really believe or what they really will do or can do or intend to do. And I, even Donald Trump, I, I feel very much is that way, uh, maybe in a different way than, than candidates who feel like uh, they owe something to their supporters, their financial backers. But, but still, uh, I, I think that 
with Donald Trump in charge would be all kinds of problems the country would have with his presidency. I don't want to get into the whole thing. I've done it before, but we just have different views of this. But what defines someone as a Republican or a conservative is their own views, not the candidate who they back, but their own views of uh, what they – where they stand politically, where I'll call someone a fake Republican or a fake conservative is where they say they are, but then all of their views match with the Democratic Party or sometimes even to the left of the Democratic Party. But, I'm sure right there, brother. No, it's not. He's not. He's not a leftist uh, candidate. He just uh, you, you may not agree what, with him. But, what about him? It's not a leftist candidate. I, I really don't know. What, I don't. What about him? Is a leftist candidate? I don't know what is. I've never heard him say open anything that sounds left, left wing. Open borders. Uh, the whole. The whole. The whole thing with the, he, he's in bed with the UN. The open borders. The globalists. The outsourcing. The this. The, I could go on and on. But these are these are not all specific left versus right issues. There's a lot of different, they're complex issues that there's a lot of different opinions on them. So that's... Uh, now, now you're double talking a little bit, brother. You're double talking a little bit. No, uh, I'm not. I'm saying, you, you, can't just, you can't just, you can't just take, you can't just take your opinion and say this is the right-wing opinion and say any other opinion is a left-wing opinion. A lot of times there's different opinions within the party on the right thing to do. There's some, of the, there's some issues that are very much defined by one party thinks this way, the other party thinks the other way. Some other issues, okay. it's, it's a lot more divided within the same party. Okay, not getting into the weeds, I'll ask you just one simple question. Do you, and I don't want to get you in trouble, you're the, you're the radio host, but do you really think that we need more immigration and more outsourcing? Uh, I, I, no, I don't think we need more immigration or outsourcing, but I feel that uh, there, there has to be a sensible solution to the illegal immigration problem that's occurring. And uh, outsourcing, I, I've, I've long said that outsourcing has to stop and there should be uh, if if there are tax incentives being given to to corporations that they should be tied to not outsourcing, and I've I've been a big believer to bring a lot of these jobs back to the U.S. Even if there's gonna if it's gonna be more cost in operations, outsourcing has really degraded a lot of the service people receive in the U.S. and has taken away U.S. jobs. It's uh, I, I'm I'm an opponent of outsourcing in many ways. Uh, immigration, they they have to figure out the most intelligent way to do it. There are a lot of illegal border crossings. A lot of the people who do come here do take jobs that uh, Americans wouldn't want to take. But uh, at the same time, that doesn't mean you can just give them a free pass and say just keep coming to the country. Like the the, the status quo needs to be changed. Uh, I don't think it should be as extreme as what uh, Trump is proposing. And and then as far as things like amnesty, uh, there you are rewarding people who broke the law, which I don't love either. So. Uh, but anyway, I don't want to get in that, in that whole discussion. And, and and you know, sometimes a candidate will see something different differently than the way I see it. But I have to look at everything they stand for and every, everything that they plan to do, and just make a decision. Well, I don't like this and this about them, but I like most of it, so I'll vote for them anyway. I'm, I'm rarely going to find a candidate where I agree with everything they're saying or doing. All right, and my last thing, uh, my last thing, I'll, I'll accept that, Jeff. But. But there really is just too much, even though I'm not going to get into it now because I'm tired, but I, I, I'm working with some Mexicans, and, 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 and you do need them because there's, there's no other way. There, there are no other options. But, but, the only, but you need them because everyone else has them. So it kind of like feeds on itself. So that's really not healthy uh, for the country as a whole, and it isn't healthy for the American workforce either even though you can't send everybody back right away, but you really have to stop them coming in and let wages go up and let Americans slowly but surely come in and fill those jobs. 
that's a that's a truth. That's more of a of a sensible uh, solution. I would okay. Think. So, so what's the third thing you want to bring up? Oh, the thing is, I, I I did get a new place though, and it's a little rough going. I'll be honest with you, and uh, and uh, I, I'm expecting a little a little picture of you of the WSOP and the, the WSOP picture of you. I'm going to put you on the wall next to a few other poker players like Phil Hamlet and uh, and Ivy and so and Negreanu, and that's going to be on my side of the wall. And, and I'm waiting for that fine picture from you and. Uh, I just feel that you that you were begrudging me about that. No, 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 no. I, I, I uh, I'm happy to provide you a picture of me. I think it's flattering that you want a picture of me up there. I'm just saying that I don't have a picture that's like on photo paper right now of of myself playing poker. All the pictures I have are are just in uh, JPEG format. Uh, that I, you know, I could print out on my printer, but it wouldn't look that good. So I, it, I, I'm just saying it wouldn't be something I could instantly send you tomorrow. I would have to get it done through a service oh, that will take. Oh, 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 I, then I apologize. Let me apologize. I'm just under a lot of stress, brother. And, okay. uh, and I, I, would, I wouldn't mind waiting for like, the real photograph and, and if you just sign it to me, whatever, whatever. I might be embarrassing. Everyone's laughing out there. But that's all right. But uh, I'm actually going to make one world with like vocal players just to make something different and something adventurous to catch the customer's attention if they haven't seen these kind of things before. Is it Howard? Uh, and I would appreciate that. That's all, man, because I am a fan and, and I would like to have you there with everybody else. That's all. Uh, okay. Well, thank you. All right, so I'll I'll try to get that out to you. Uh, I've just got to get it done. It's one of these things where it's, it's uh, not a rush. It's not a rush. I, I'm just I'm just my my temperament's just a little off the wall right now. I'm under a little stress, and I appreciate it. And uh, you have a great night, brother. Okay, thank you. All right, let's take another call here. A lot of calls tonight for some reason. Uh, caller, you're on the air. Hey, it's Desert Explorer. Desert Explorer, hello. What would you like to talk about? Uh, you were mentioning Trump earlier, and I got a question for you. Yeah. Do you see Trump? Uh, being uh, rep, uh, the same as when California got burnt when we elected Arnold Schwarzenegger, a guy with a lot of money, gets in front of us, says a lot of things that we want to hear, and wins the confidence in the vote, then turns around and gets in the office and screws the people, does everything opposite. Do you see reflections between uh, Trump and Arnold Schwarzenegger? It's very possible. Uh, I don't know what he's going to do. To be honest, I have no idea. If he were to win the election, which I don't think he could, but if he did win somehow and become president... I, I, I've thought about this. I have no idea what way he would govern. It's I don't know if we're going to see the, the outrageous Trump that we see on the campaign stump. I don't know if we're going to see him change and not do what he was promising in order to get elected and just uh, go a different direction. I, I don't know what we'll see. I don't know if we'll see like a completely different guy that we've ever seen before. I don't know. It, but uh, it is a risk, and you, you don't know what you're getting. And a lot of the stuff he's saying – needs to be done for the country is unrealistic and he doesn't provide much detail. There's there's too many things which sound good if you don't think about them too much. But once you do yeah. think about them are, are very hard to implement and, and would uh, be very unlikely to occur. And, and also I think a high potential to really uh, mess things up and really make the U.S. look bad in uh, international standing, yeah. even worse to, than we already it's, looked at. It's some. almost like a mirrored thing between the two of them. It's almost like, is, uh, you know, we got, he, if you live in California, we got boned on that with Arnold, man. I just, I see too much similarity and it's concerned. It, it could go that way. It, it could go that way. And the, the whole thing, I, I just don't like the, the, the whole thing. The whole thing is, is too odd. He's like the reality show candidate. And yeah. we, we don't need that. There's just too, there's too much risk. You don't even know if he's going to be able to act presidential or, uh, if if he'll be able to command respect from other world leaders, or if he's going to treat this like like the whole thing is entertainment to him, you don't know. And uh, and even if he treats it seriously, 
uh, we don't know if he has any clue how to actually run the country. So there's, it's it just, the whole thing is just too out there and, and I don't trust it. And I don't think he's going to win anyway, but I, I just don't All trust right. it. Thanks, man. Hey, it's, it's a party down there in Cheetah Hills at 7-Eleven, so no need to call down there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. I mean, the, the whole... Try the whole, something else, I guess. Yeah, the whole country's been watching what's what's been going on with this Powerball. There's a, it's been a huge story, probably the biggest yeah. story so far in 2016. So. All right, man. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah. Chino Hills. I mean, it's not that far from where I am here. So we have at least one listener from Chino Hills. Too bad it's not him. <laughs> Uh, I I don't even know anybody who won the lottery personally. I've like known people who know people that have won the lottery. I, I don't know anybody like directly who won the lottery. So I think Bad Guy Twenty Three, like one of his baby mamas, won a lottery. Nothing like this, but she won some kind of lottery where she got a good deal of money. All right, uh, moving on here. World Series of Poker champ Joe McKeon, who dominated in 2015 to win wire-to-wire at the final table. In fact, much before the final table. He was the chip leader. He stayed the chip leader. He went nothing but up the whole way. Not the entire way of the World Series, but the entire way at the end. And never any question he was going to be the winner. He had a Twitter spat with Mike Dintali, and they went back and forth with Dintali threatening to drown him in the Bellagio Fountain and other physical things like that. And I felt a bit bad for McKeon that he was getting uh, bullied by Dintali like this via Twitter with these threats. But I don't feel as bad anymore since reading some reports about the way McKeon has been behaving on Twitter, and it's really, really odd. And I, I can't figure out what is going on with this? So, we had a thread about the situation with McKeon and Mike Dintali. And on, what was it? January 8th, five days ago, Anchor Draw, who is uh, a recent listener to the show, wrote the following. Oh my God, I have a Twitter account to follow some people like Drew Brees, who doesn't tweet much, and many uh, many poker players have made less than 10 tweets total since I created the account several years ago. I followed some of the November Niners, including Joe McKeon, a few months ago because it was entertaining. I also follow some other poker players because Twitter keeps suggesting people to follow, and if I recognize the names, sometimes I click follow. Was watching the final table live at the PCA where McKeon is heads up. I haven't checked Twitter in a while, so I logged into Twitter just to see if anything was cool. if anything cool was said since Joe was heads up on a 100K buy-in event. Well, Twitter says that... Joe McKeon has blocked me. (laughs) What? He blocked him. LOL, I never tweeted to him or did anything but follow. Maybe he blocked tons of new followers, who knows? Now I'm watching this guy play Heads Up for Millions knowing he took the time to block me. I could see if I responded to one of his tweets and said something trolling, but to be blocked just for following seems like he must just have some issues. Well, I still hope he wins, but what the fuck. Now I feel like Druff, who was banned by Mason on 2 plus 2. I've lost my banned virginity by the World Series of Poker main event champ. Kind of cool, actually, that he took the time to block me. So, another forum member 
FTP Jesus, two days later, wrote, I think McKeon probably made his tweets private or something. I tried to pull up his tweets, and it shows me as also blocked from following his tweets. It's weird. I'm a nobody on Twitter for the most part. Well, he does not have his tweets private. And the way to tell is just to log out of Twitter and then go look at that person's Twitter again. Because if you're logged out, it doesn't matter who blocked you. You can view anyone's Twitter that has you blocked by just logging out. That's a very easy trick. The only way you can't view their tweets is if they have made their tweets private, where you have to be a friend to view their tweets. But that's not the case with Joe McKeon's Twitter, because... As you all can see, twitter.com slash dude904, you can see his tweets. I am not following Joe McKeon. I'm not blocked by Joe McKeon. And I can see his tweets, whether I'm logged in or logged out. So FTP Jesus and Anchor Draw, you cannot see Joe McKeon's tweets because he actually has you blocked. We have two different people, both of whom I believe. I don't think either of them made this up. Anchor Draw has always been solid. He hasn't been around long, but he's always been solid in his posting and his uh, comments in the radio chat. FTP Jesus has been a lo- around a long time. I've never seen him lie. So we have two different people independently saying that they never once interacted with Joe McKeon on Twitter. Never. They didn't retweet anything. They didn't tweet to him. Nothing. Didn't direct message him, nothing. They did not have any interaction with him, nor do they know him personally, and he has blocked them for following him. It shows he has 9,200 followers. I wonder how many other people he blocked and why. Is he blocking people because he's paranoid that they're like friends with Mike Dentali and trying to find out things about him? It doesn't make any sense because his tweets are not private and anybody can log out to see his tweets. And he must know that. So I don't get this. Now, I haven't tried this yet, but if you go to his Twitter, which again is twitter.com slash dude904, it says, for all media requests, please contact Brandon Thomas at brandon at souththirdinc.com. So he must have like a publicity agent, a publicist, that deals with media requests to talk to him. So I think I'm going to send an email to this Brandon at southardinc.com, this Brandon Thomas, and ask him what's going on. Why is Joe McKeon blocking people just simply for following him? I've never seen that before in my life. I've never seen where someone blocks someone else on Twitter, a stranger that they don't know, just for following them. You want to be followed on Twitter. If you're not, if you're not being followed, no one sees what you say. So why would you ever block followers? And I could see if it was one person, you could say it was a mistake. You could say that uh, maybe Joe got confused and thought it was someone he knew and didn't like. But we have two different people now speaking up who have nothing to do with one another, Anchor Draw and FTP Jesus, who have reported that they followed Joe McKeon and he shortly he blocked them shortly thereafter. Really weird. I don't know what to say here, but... Uh, <laughs> I think I will email... You can also email the publicist yourself, Brandon at Southard Inc. You can uh, see this on Joe McKeon's Twitter page. S, it's the word South and then A-R-D-I-N-C dot com. Brandon at Southard Inc. dot com. Maybe email that guy and say, can you ask Joe why he's blocking people who just follow him on Twitter and never interact with him otherwise? So odd. So I don't know if this is like paranoia or... What, maybe he just got drunk one night and started just randomly blocking people. It's so weird. 
And if you just follow someone and they don't follow you, and he follows relatively few people, he follows 318 people. So if you just follow something and they don't follow you, then you'll never see anything they write unless you go seek them out. So it's not even like you can say Joe doesn't like what they write on their Twitter feed and block them. Like there's no reason this should have happened. He can do it if he wants. It's just weird. Really weird. So that's uh, that occurred. I think I Let's see what the chat is saying. Anchor draw is in chat. He says he didn't block me till shortly after the the uh, Dentali controversy. That's interesting. Well, I I have to think it has to do with that. Maybe anybody who uh, he suspects is associated with Dentali, he's blocking them. But how does he do that out of like 9,200 followers? Did he really like go through the whole list? There is uh, some preliminary information coming out about the uh, lottery winner. Uh, A guy named Eric Bragg on Instagram... There's a picture of him holding up a ticket That's a winning ticket With only one Only one pick on it too It's not even like he has like Five You can have up to like five on each ticket It only has one on it So this really guy just buy Looks like he just bought one ticket <laughs> uh, I'm trying to see anything else That I can pick out from it But uh, it's a guy with long hair and a beard He kind of looks like Jesus Speaking of FTP Jesus This guy kind of looks like Jesus He wrote out, oh my god, I won $1.5 billion. I'm posting this in case anyone tries to jack me. This is proof. Look it up. I bought in Chino Hills where I grew up. Hashtag Powerball. Looks like a legit ticket to me. So, Isn't that funny? This guy, uh, Eric Bragg, with a really long beard and long hair, wakes up today. Normal guy, and today won uh, 1.6 billion or 900 billion after, or 900 million after the uh, lump sum. If he takes it that way, of course he's going to lose a bunch on taxes, especially in California. <laughs> but uh, wow, I have to think it's real. I think he's just doing that so he's he, he had the same thoughts I did. Like, what if someone steals it from him? Now he has 67,000 followers on uh, Instagram. All right, good for him. But yeah, beer and poker saying, last thing I'm doing is telling the internet I won $1.5 billion before I've collected. Yeah, if, like if nobody knows he bought it, he, he, he was, would be smartest just to stay quiet, send the picture over to his mother or something and say, all right, mom, hold this and don't tell anyone. Grenada Rogers saying, how many proposals of marriage? He looks pretty young. It's hard to tell under all the hair and the beard, but he looks pretty young. But if you're not married when that happens, it... it, uh, 
it's kind of uh, difficult at that point that anyone you date you suspect is just after your money. It actually is quite tough. So think think if you're single and you win nine hundred million, or if you take it over twenty years, one point six billion over twenty years. It, it it's a staggering sum of money. It's more than anyone who listens to this show will ever come close to having. So you're single, you have this much money, everybody knows you have this much money because you've won the most famous Powerball or probably the most famous lottery jackpot ever. And and now, of course, there's going to be women interested in you that were not before. And even ones that uh, claim that that was not what influenced them, uh, you don't know. Even one that really is interested in you totally separate from that, you'll never know the truth. So what do you do? Like, like in the ideal situation, uh, you'll meet a woman who you can hide this from for a while, and then when she really, uh, when things are really going well and she seems legitimately into you for who you are, and you hide the fact that you have $900 million, which is pretty hard because you're, you know, once you win $900 million, we're going to want to live in a really nice house and drive an expensive car and all that. So... Like, you'd have to have the relationship established for a while before breaking the news to them. I even had this on a much smaller scale when I was single, and uh, I didn't want to tell women I would meet that I was a poker player. Because I was afraid that they would look me up and and, and see... They'd see what... It claims is my total tournament winnings, which aren't real winnings, but it's the amount I cashed, which was 800-something thousand. It was less back then, but still not that far from it because most of the money came early. And uh, and I, I wouldn't want gold digging based upon that. So I used to not say it until I got to know someone better. But that's nothing compared to having $900 million. Darkstar saying, I'm not believing that guy won. He's saying he will give $1,000 to anyone who retweets the photo. <laughs> so what, there's like 67,000 people retweeting the photo? <laughs> now he's going to lose it all? Lou Father is... Uh, he posted a message to me saying, Todd, is this true? And it's something from Del Taco, like some nachos from Del Taco. I Oh, it's because tomatoes are on the side. I get it. I don't like Del Taco. I thought, I thought maybe I mentioned at some point that I prefer Taco Bell over Del Taco. But yeah, that person had the chopped tomatoes on the side. All right, it could be fake. Wouldn't that be the worst? Like you fake everyone out that you're the winner <laughs> with a Photoshop picture of a Powerball ticket and then someone like kidnaps you to hold you for ransom or something and it turns out you you don't really have the ticket. You didn't really win. The whole thing's for nothing and then they've got to just kill you. Real talk saying Druff is a Mexican fast food snob. If I like Del Taco, then apparently not. Not Del Taco. If I like a Taco Bell. I, I brought Benjamin to have Taco Bell for the first time a few months ago. I, I don't go there all that much, but 
if I go to a Mexican fast food place, which I will tell you the you know, regular Mexican food that's not fast food is better than Taco Bell. There's no question, but I I don't like Del Taco. One thing I don't like, and I don't know if they've changed this, but last time I tried them, they had like some kind of weird onions in uh, in their meat, and I hate that. I do not like when onions are placed in meat, especially if it's uh, tasteable onions. If it's like a tiny bits of onions that just give it a little flavor, that's fine, but these were like noticeable onions, and I hate onions and meat. When I go to Taco Bell, I, I usually get a Doritos Locos Taco with only meat and cheese, and then I get the, the middle-grade sauce. I don't get the fire sauce, and I don't get the mild sauce. I get what they call the hot sauce, which isn't all that hot. It's kind of The hot is kind of more mild. But I don't like super spicy things. But I like moderately spicy things, so that's why I take the hot sauce. That would be funny, though, if this guy's trolling everyone. All righty. Bovada really screwed up. They released new software on January 6th, and everyone hates it. Everyone hates it, and it ranges from annoyed with it, which is kind of like what you describe me as. Like I, I probably like the software about the best of anybody, <laughs> meaning that I don't absolutely despise it, but it's usable, but I, I preferred the other one. That's about the best reaction you're going to see to it, uh, all the way down to absolute hatred of it and not being able to use it. So they pushed a new update that you were forced to take. It's not like Skype where you can keep delaying updating your software. Uh, You're forced to take the upgrade, as you typically are on all poker sites. And they changed it very, very much. It has more of a mobile site look to it. You You can play Bovada on your mobile phone. And this version of the software looks very much like the mobile version. It has many problems. It is slower. Now, like when you open up a table, it's actually loading all the information of the table, like of a percentage going, you know, 0%, 10%, 20%, blah, 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 up to 100, where before you'd open the table, you just open instantly. And that's, like, opening a table instantly is something that poker sites have been able to do since the beginning. If you opened up the Planet Poker software in 1998 or 99, it would open the table instantly. It wasn't like 10%, 20%, 30%. So the fact that in 2016, we are seeing a loading time for just opening a table is ridiculous. And I think it's because it's some sort of... And I I didn't really look into the technical specs of the new version, so I'm just uh, theorizing here. So if I'm wrong, forgive me. But it looks almost like it's uh, loading up uh, a Java window. And that uh, it's not built into the software. It's like the table is not built into the software. So I actually got to load the table. Not just who's at the table, but load the entire table. And the entire program that runs it through the Bovada software every time you open up a table. It it has that appearance to it. Uh, There's a lot of lags where the... You press a button, it doesn't respond right away. It doesn't give you action right away. It seems like you're disconnected when you really shouldn't be. Uh, there's a number of people disconnecting now. And on Bovada, if you disconnect, you're just gone. You lose the hand and you're off the table. And 
you can't come back to the same table for five minutes. So if you if you get kicked off a table, not only do you lose whatever hand you're in the middle of, but you can't sit back down when you reconnect for five minutes, which is often long enough for the table to refill, and you you can't get in there. So I've seen a lot of disconnects firsthand. I think I've only been disconnected once. Uh, I've actually benefited from this because people have lost against me because they've disconnected. One of the times I was pissed about it because I had a top set. <laughs> and uh, the per- I had pocket aces and the flop was like ace XX and the person uh, had capped it pre against me. I was all excited and then I see the disconnect notice and then they are gone. And I was not happy about that. They were the only opponent too. So was not happy about seeing them gone there. If you have like a ton of opponents and you get a lot of money in pre-flop, even if you flop top set, sometimes you're happy to just win it there because it's hard to bet everyone off at that point and limit hold them. And at that point, really, you, they have the pot odds to draw against you, so it's better for you just to take it down right there. But but not in this case, not heads up when I flop top set on a board that's not very dangerous. But uh, for the most part, I've I've benefited from it. You know, I just realized, I know this is not going to matter at this point, but I, I never gave out the, pri- the the tournament prize listing. Somehow I got distracted and never gave out the tournament prize listing. So it's posted on the thread, so I'm not just making this up. But uh, for posterity, I'm going to say it on here anyway. It's 100 for first. We're talking about our Poker Fraud Alert tournament tonight. 100 for first, 50 for second, 25 for third, 13th for fourth, and $6 for fifth and sixth. I just I, I just like saw a window on the screen with that up there. I'm like, oh, crap, I never said it. Too many distractions tonight. But the, the tournament's over, I'm sure, so that's a moot point, but just uh, that was what I posted, and that's what it is. So anyway, that, that people are very unhappy about the software on Bovada, and this is the biggest U.S.-facing online poker site, period. Legal, illegal, whatever. There is no U.S.-facing online poker site bigger than Bovada right now. So they've really hurt themselves here, and there's a lot of people saying they're not going to continue playing when it's like this, because for some people it's unplayable. For some people it, it lags so much, it disconnects so much, it is so slow that they can't stand it. Some other complaints that I've seen personally, the font is terrible. Like you can barely read what's written in the little window. Now it's not all, not all that important, it's just about reading chat and reading updates of who won each hand with what. So it'll say things like player four, one, hand number, whatever, with three of a kind kings. But you can barely read that now. And if you, people chat, it's very hard to read that too. It's a minor complaint, but it's annoying. Uh, the whole thing is kind of slow and laggy. It just doesn't perform well. And it's a mess. And the, pr- the previous software worked perfectly fine. Something else that's been happening is it will give you a weird message of you've been disconnected from the lobby, but you can continue playing this table normally. <laughs> so what it's saying is like you're at a table and it's saying, okay, well, the lobby disconnected you. And you'll, you'll see, you look at the lobby, you're logged out, but you can still play here. You're still connected here. You just lost connection to the lobby, which is ridiculous. Like, how could you be losing connection to the lobby and and, and uh, not lose connection to the current table? It should be all one connection. 
but they actually had a message prepared for that as if they know that's going to happen. It's not like a, a fluke or an anomaly with a software. It's actually they prepared this message that you've been disconnected from the lobby, but you can still continue playing this table. Really weird. When that happens, by the way, you also can't reload anymore. If you try to buy more chips at the table, it won't let you. And if you try to reconnect through the lobby, uh, I don't know what happens, because I was afraid to do it. I was afraid it would kick me out of the game, and I was in a good game when it happened to me, so I never tried it. Bovada has been very non-responsive regarding complaints about this. They have been saying they're going to fix it, they're going to look into it, but you're not really getting any kind of meaningful answers from them. Some people, they're getting uh, their connections blamed, which is a joke. Now, I can tell you that I have not been affected by it all that much. I, I've told you some of the things that have happened to me, but it's been playable. I've played on it many hours since then. Uh, I think I've only had one disconnect, other than those weird lobby things happening. But from what I've seen, the more modern your system the better chance it's going to work. It seems like it's more picky now as far as the quality of your computer and the operating system you're running. I heard the Mac version of it is a disaster. I've heard that if you have anything but Windows 7 or Windows 10, it's a disaster. Um, for some reason, Windows 8, uh, not many people have 8 anymore. Most people upgraded 8 to 10 at this point. But uh, if you still have something running like Vista or XP, then it's not going to work well anymore. I've also heard that Windows 7 does not work as well as Windows 10. And I've heard that older computers are struggling with it, which all was not the case on the previous version of the software. So this is definitely like a downgrade. Everybody reported that their HUDs were no longer working, so it's assumed that maybe this is the point of them switching the way the information is displayed in that it might be harder to mine these tables for data. I have to imagine that it's going to be possible. Anything on the screen can be grabbed. But they feel that this is going to make it tougher. I don't see why they're killing themselves at Bovada to try to prevent these HUDs because there's only so much a HUD can do when tables are anonymous. You don't have any player data you can save. At most, you can get down the tendencies of the players at the table, but this changes constantly. People leave the table, people come back. Uh, as soon as you open another table, it's all different. So how much are you really gaining from it? You, if you're observant, you can see who the loose players are, who the tight players are, who the aggressive players are. It doesn't take a lot, especially at a six-max table, which most of them are. You can pretty much get an idea of each player, and if you don't have a good memory, you can note them down. There's the note tool on there, which doesn't save from table to table, but the bottom line is a HUD doesn't do you much good on Bovada the way it is right now anyway. So they really ruined their software. They really broke a lot of things, to, and I don't see what you're really gaining from this. There's no, there's no better features to this software. There's nothing you can do with the new software that you couldn't do with the old software. And it doesn't look any better. It looks worse. So they, they've really gone backwards in every way. And it's been a week, and they have not fixed anything. Still seeing disconnects. I'm still seeing the same complaints. So everybody's unhappy.
Uh, Beer and Poker saying, Bovada told me an update on Sunday, but that never happened. I haven't seen an update push either since then. Well, FanDuel and DraftKings can stay in New York until at least the late summer of this year. They won a pretty big legal decision recently. I don't agree with this. I think that the attempt to... I I think every state should have a right to shut them out. I don't think they have a right to continue in any state because uh, at the very least, I think it can be said that it's gambling. Whether it should be legal or not is... uh, I can understand that argument, but right now it is unregulated gambling, and any state should have the right to say no to that. But I guess they have good lawyers. They have a lot of money to put into them. And DraftKings and FanDuel got a New York State appellate panel to issue a permanent stay against the injunction that a New York judge gave. The permanent stay means the DraftKings... FanDuel and any other daily fantasy sports site in New York can continue to accept business from New Yorkers for the time being. The stay is going to remain in effect until probably the late summer of 2016 when a full appeal to this whole thing by DraftKings and FanDuel is heard by the New York State Supreme Court. So you can keep playing on these... uh, Dirty sites until late summer of 2016. It may even be later than late summer 2016. It depends when this appeal is heard. Could be even longer. That's the earliest it's going to happen. So, the stay is being uh, granted in order to prevent undue harm to the two daily fantasy sports sites, they're saying that uh, if they were if they had to close all this time waiting for the appeal to be heard in late summer, that uh, they would lose so much business and they may go under because they have so much business out of New York State. But too bad. I mean, they're, you're operating a gambling site without a license in New York State and not providing the appropriate safeguards to players anyway, even against your own employees. I mean, it's... It's something that definitely should be temporarily banned until regulations can be written. I believe that DraftKings and FanDuel have not been responsible with their handling of their sites, with their security, with their rules. I believe they are an illegal gambling site. I believe it's just as much gambling there as uh, poker is gambling, as sports betting is gambling. They're all gambling. It's gambling. Okay, And even if you support gambling, this is unregulated gambling. And once again, the effects of having unregulated gambling have come to light. All the cheating that's been going on, the insider uh, lineup setting, stealing of customer data for use to play against them, the tools that are being used to give people hundreds or thousands of entries at once, and to instantaneously change all these entries at once if uh, a player gets injured or whatever, the, the average player does not have a chance. And it's being promoted otherwise. 
all over the place that the average player does have a chance. This needs to be carefully regulated. There need to be specific laws about daily fantasy sports, and these do not exist, and there need to be. So these need to be temporarily stopped, and then regulations need to be written, and laws need to be passed, and then they should reopen. But somehow the appellate panel did not see it this way, and, and don't, they don't want to see poor FanDuel or DraftKings harmed during these months, that they're going to lose 10% of their business that uh, currently exists in New York State. I mean, at the very least, it's, it's gambling. It is gambling. When the UIGEA was passed in 2006 and this was exempted, it was only exempted not because it's not gambling, but just because it was so low stakes and people enjoyed it that they figured that the most harm people could experience from this is something to the tune of 20 bucks per year. So that was exempted so as to not make criminals of any companies offering fantasy sports for a season-long competition. This is totally different. This, this is gambling. But I want to tell you my opinion about multi-entries into fantasy sports sites. We've, we've talked about the scandals and the, and the insider lineup viewing and the statistic viewing that allow employees of these sites to play on the other site and have a huge edge. And we're not going to go over that again. But I feel that the ability for people to enter multiple times, sometimes as much as hundreds or thousands of times in the same contest, screws the casual player. And I saw the other side of this argument. The other side of this argument says says the following. Number one, these tools that allow you to enter hundreds or thousands of times are available to everyone. These are not secret tools. They are available on a a popular site called Roto Grinders. Anyone who wants these tools can get them and run them. So it's not like these are a secret. Number two, they say, entering multiple times in a tournament does not give you an edge just because you're entering multiple times. So having 100 entries versus having one entry does not give you any more expected value. It just smooths out your variance. So they're saying, what's wrong with it? What's the difference between you entering once or you and 99 unrelated people entering? It's still 100, or you entering 100 times or you, or you and 99 people entering one time. It's still 100 entries either way. You're not giving yourself an advantage by entering 100 times. So here's my response to that. First of all, you are gaining an advantage, and that is if you can set your lineup in a way through very careful and statistical-based analysis of the best possible lineup to set according to what your computer tells you, if you were only to enter one time in a massive daily fantasy sports contest, then no matter how good your lineup is, your overall edge is pretty minimal because you're still one of many, many thousands of players. 
and your chances of winning are still quite small. Even though you may have the best EV expected value of all the people entering, your chance of winning is still very small because you're just one person out of many thousands. If you can enter hundreds or thousands of times with slightly different lineups. So if you enter once, you'd enter your best lineup. If you enter twice, you'd enter your best and second best lineup. If you, better 100, better, if you enter 100 times, you would have 100 different lineups with the 100th one you enter being the 100th best lineup. So another argument of why this should be fine is that since you're not submitting the same lineup each time, it would be pointless. Uh, every time you are slightly lowering your expected value because you're entering a lineup which is a little bit inferior to the previous one. But still, you can do this to where there's so many different ways to set these lineups that you could still have lineups that are still very, very good, even if not as good as the very top one you would set, and still far better than the average player. So let me compare it this way. Let's say a cloning machine was invented, that you could just step in it and make a perfect clone of yourself. Perfect clone, same memory, same skills, same everything. So let's say that was created. And uh, so let's look at the World Series of Poker main event with... Uh, let's go, I forget the main event. Let's think of the Colossus event with 22,000 entries, okay? At the World Series. Without the cloning machine, if Daniel Negreanu enters that event... Are you very afraid, if you see Daniel Negreanu registering for the event, you go, oh my god, I'm never going to win this because Negreanu's in it? No. You're going to say is one of 22,000 people, and even though he's one of the best players entering, uh, I'm not worried about my chances with him there, because number one, he probably will never be at my table, and number two, more importantly, uh, there are so many ways that he's not going to win this, because he's still just one out of 22,000 people, that even if I make it deep, it's unlikely he'll still be around to face me. It's unlikely he's going to be a factor. Whereas if you have Negreanu in a 50-person tournament, then he becomes a factor. So no matter how good Negreanu is, if he's one of 22,000 people, you don't worry about seeing him enter. But let's go back to the cloning machine example. Let's say Negreanu could clone himself and make a 1,000 of himself. And you see a 1,000 Daniel Negreanu's in line. Now, let's say you knew for sure that if they ended up at the same table, they were not going to collude, that they'd all compete with each other, and there'd be no collusion whatsoever. Let's say you knew that for certain, just to take that out of the equation. You would not like that. You would not like having a 1,000 people, a 1,000 Negranus entering a 22,000-person tournament. At that point, Negranus' presence would very much affect your ability to win, because there his presence definitely becomes a factor. At this point, it's not just one of him that has to get lucky to get deep in it. Now it's a thousand of him where it's likely that at least a few of them are going to get lucky enough to get all the way deep. And if you get deep, then uh, you're going to have problems facing him. So that's the difference here. Is that when the best players can enter many, many times, then what you're going to have there is most of the pool, or a lot of the pool, are good players who are entering many, many times, whereas the casual players who don't even know where to find these tools or know how to use them or even know that they exist, the ones that just see the ads on TV, they're entering once, maybe twice, whatever they can do by hand without using these tools. The ones using the tools are most likely to be the good players. So 
you, as a casual player, are entering once, twice, three times, and you're up against the really, really good players who are entering hundreds of times, or maybe thousands of times. So the percentage of very good players that you're facing is very, very high. So even if of actual human beings entering the tournament, if only uh, 5% of them are good, in overall entries that will be in the tournament, you may be facing 50% of them being good. So this is just unfair because not everybody knows how to use these tools, knows where they are, knows where to find them, or even knows that they exist. A lot of people wouldn't even want to do it if they have to use these tools. A lot of people wouldn't find that fun. Where The average player on Daily Fantasy Sports just wants to go on there, set a lineup of players that they, they like, and see how they do. They don't want to do statistical analysis and all that stuff and enter their you know, 100 different lineups that are slightly different from one another, that are almost as good as each other. Like They don't even know how to do this. They wouldn't even begin to understand how to do this, a lot of these casual players. I'm not saying it's not fair that some people are better than each other. I'm not even saying it's unfair that some people can research this stuff and others uh, don't really know how to do it. I'm saying that at the very least, if you're going to have these players who can do so much research, don't allow them to then also stack the field with lots of versions of themselves to where they can just outnumber the casual players just with sheer numbers of entries. The casual players don't know this when they're playing. They just think they are entering against a bunch of other people who are entering lineups by hand, and at most they're against a few lineups of each person playing. It's just very, very misleading. If you're going to allow this, you need to make it very, very clear to each player, number one, where to find these tools to enter, and number two, that they're going to be up against people entering hundreds of times with data that they've carefully researched. Otherwise, it's very misleading. People don't understand what they're competing with and who they're competing with. And it's a lot different than poker. People say, why is this different than poker? When you, they say, hey, when people sit down at the poker table with you, they don't know you're a poker pro, especially on Bovada. Everybody's anonymous. Well, how can I play on Bovada and, and say this about daily fantasy sports? How can I call that unethical if I'm sitting on Bovada and, and playing against uh, amateurs uh, and where there's a big skill gap between me and them and I beat them? Well, in poker, everybody except for a few people who are really dim – understand that there are good poker players and bad poker players. Most people know the first time they sit down to a poker table that they are not going to have the same level of skill or even close to the same level of skill as someone who is an experienced pro. And they know that experienced pros exist. So when you sit down at a poker table as an amateur, you know what you're getting into. You understand that there may be pros at the table and they may be better than you. But with Daily Fantasy Sports... It's not marketed that way. People believe, a lot of people believe that they're just setting lineups and uh, if they get lucky with the players they set, that they're going to win and that they're up against mostly people just like them, sports fans just like them. Not people with computers analyzing everything, entering hundreds or thousands of times. This shouldn't be allowed. Especially since you need to get third-party tools from another site that is unlikely to be visited by anyone who's not a Hardcore. Dig- uh, and my radio's down. I think we're back. Okay, so I um, we cut off here. 
I don't know how long I was off. Hopefully not too long. This is really frustrating. I don't think I'm going to do the show next week unless I can get this fixed. This this is really irritating to me. That this has been happening. Two minutes off the air. Okay, that's not that bad. I I just knew it was going to happen because I knew of these internet problems have been happening that have been happening here. Let's put on a trader risky. No, it's not working. What a joke. One more time. There we are. Hey, Draft. When did I lose you? When did you lose me? Not too long. Just a minute. In the middle of the ramble about the fantasy sports. Ah. Just not a reliable internet. I may have to even switch providers. Sometimes I, I once had this issue uh, with uh, DSL to show you how long ago it was. But I had an issue with DSL where it just it was going out all the time. They weren't acknowledging it was. They were denying that this was a problem. They sent people out who were useless. And finally, I just gave up and I switched to cable. I just uh, paid a lot more money for it. Because I didn't have cable service in my house, I had DirecTV, so cable internet by itself was very expensive, because there's no bundle, but I, I had to do it, because they weren't fixing it. I'm almost to the point here, because they, this service is just, which has been good for so long, is it's just, the last week's been very poor and nothing's fixing it. So I'm going to try, if I can get someone down here, like they've been trying to avoid sending if they acknowledge it's a problem and don't blame it on the internal wiring here or some other BS like that, then uh, I'll stay. Otherwise, I'll have to switch. And what are you using? Uh, I'm using Verizon Fios here, which has always been good. And the last week, it's, it's had a lot of trouble. It abruptly started. Uh, I first noticed it browsing the Poker Fraud Alert forum. I think it was a problem before that, but I just didn't understand what was happening. But browsing the Poker Fraud Alert forum on Thursday or Friday, I noticed that pictures were very slow to load, that people were attaching to their posts. And at first I thought people were just attaching giant giant uh, pictures, but it wasn't. It was that my internet sucked and it was loading really slowly. You know, like when you browse the forum normally, it just displays every picture instantaneously? This was like I had to wait for it to load, like do-do-do-do-do all the way down. And that was the first pro- sign there was a problem to me, and then... Uh, from there, it's become very clear that the internet's not good here. So it's like dial-up all over. It, it is. It's it's like. frustrating. It's frustrating. So, all right. Uh, you know, and what was happening on Friday night when I was calling up about this? They're making me go through all these stupid tests with them on the phone, which I, I already knew the conclusion, but I, I just have to do it to humor them so they'll be able to fill out the report and send someone down here. And every time. As we're, well, first time, they need to run a test on my line, so they do it, and the test they run on my line force disconnects me because that's part of the test, and they, they don't bother to call me back. <laughs> 
So I call them back and I tell them what happened. I said, your, your, your test uh, to reset my line kicks me off the phone with you, so uh, you have to call me back. And uh, I'm very frustrated. The, the previous rep didn't do that. So this person swore up and down with me that they would call me back. So when they ran the same test again, we had to do it all over again. They ran the same test and it disconnected me as expected. And then a few minutes later, my phone rings and there she is on the phone. And I said, hallelujah. She said, I told you I'd call you back. I just wanted to, you know, want to get this done. And uh, very sorry the previous rep didn't call you, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, okay, good. I got a good one here. So we're going through like 45 minutes of troubleshooting that I just, I just want it to end. But they're putting me through all this BS that we have to go through. And probably about 45 minutes to an hour into the call when we're near the end of it, I'm in the middle of a sentence and click, disconnect, and she doesn't call me back. <laughs> so I call up a third time This time I get uh, some rep And I tell him what happened here And he's like, okay, well we got to start the process over I'm like, no, 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 no I've been at this for too long, please And I said, just give me a supervisor I want to tell him what happened here And uh, basically get an exception made Where you don't have to go through all this again You just send a tech here I said, okay I put it on hold for 15 minutes to find a supervisor Supervisor comes on, hello Todd, this is Matt. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about, uh, about what your situation is and uh, see if we can find a solution. I say, okay. Yeah, so I start explaining it to him. Fifteen seconds later, a hang-up. <laughs> Call back a fourth time. This time I get someone in Mexico. I ask for a manager in the U.S. They give me a manager in Mexico. <laughs> The manager in Mexico then uh, takes a report from me, promises that the central office is going to look into this. They're going to call me back within 24 hours about what they found, uh, that he's also submitting a complaint for me about the reps that hung up on me. Of course, none of that was true. He actually did nothing. (laughs) And I I could tell he was not going to do anything. He was like really passive aggressive. He's like, okay, sir. Yes, sir. We're going to do something about this. Yeah. Yes, sir. We're going to make sure that you get a call back in 24 hours for sure. I'm like, yes. I I could just tell he was being very patronizing. I could tell he wasn't really going to do it. So then I called up uh, on Monday. I figured I'd get make a better shot at it on Monday during business hours. And sure enough, uh, nothing was done. And it was determined upon investigation that this was all handled by a third-party company that they hire after hours that uh, basically does a crappy job. So... Uh, on the good news side of it, they uh, my contract was coming up for renewal, and they gave me favorable terms because of this mess that they verified for me that was you know from looking into things that I was telling the truth. But the bad news is it has not been solved yet, so uh, this may have to uh, end. I may have to switch to the dreaded uh, cable company. But on the bright side, at least I'll be able to watch the Dodgers. Not that there will be much to watch this year. All right, so that, that was my uh, my Verizon saga. Yeah, it's always been a good uh, a good service. Like the billing department's been crap, but the, the service has been good, and I've had them for years. In the chat, T Buck twenty seven said, "I ate at a casino restaurant tonight. Jeff would be proud of me. When I went to go pay for my meal with comps, the host wanted to write down my driver's license number, my date of birth, and my license expiration date." I hand my license to the girl and then decide, fuck it, I'm not comfortable with this, I'm going full druff. 
I snap pull my license back and tell her I'm not giving personal info just to use comps. A big shit fest ensues when she, where she calls the manager and they call casino marketing. Three people come down. I tell them more or less to go fuck themselves. They give me the entire free meal for free. Boom. I agree with you. They shouldn't do all that. Um, it, it's standard for them to see your license and verify that you're authorized to get those comps. That's that's very standard. So this way, if someone steals your, your player's card, they can't just go use up your comps. But they should not be writing this down. They should look at it, decide your ID is legit, and then give you the comps. If they have doubts about that, then they should uh, call security to verify that your ID is what it appears to be. But uh, they should not be writing this stuff down. And yeah, I, I would be nervous about that too, that maybe they're going to steal my identity with this. You, you never want people getting that info, your driver's license, your date of birth. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things people could do with stuff like that. I once, a long time ago, I went to the supermarket and applied for one of the new supermarket cards. This is just when they're starting to introduce that stuff. And on the form, it says, what is your social? I'm like, what? They don't need my social security number. It's like, why would you ever need that to get a, a supermarket discount card? Like, that should only be needed if you're either applying for some form of credit or or entering a contract with someone like you know you're renting a renting a house or whatever then they can need it or a, uh, you know, taking a loan they need it or if you're going to be paid something uh, like taking a job whatever that that can be required as well but but not just for a supermarket discount card that they they have no right to ask for it and if they want it at some point like if you want a prize that's a different story but then you can get it you can give it at that point you don't give it just when you get the card. So to get a discount on the groceries, you know, they, they jack the prices of the groceries way up unless you use one of these cards where you're pretty, pretty much forced to use it. Uh, so she would not give me the card unless I provided her my social security number as it stated on the form was mandatory. So I'm sitting here arguing with her that it's illegal for them to require this in the state in the state I was living in. I said, you cannot require this. It's not legal to require my social security number uh, for this sort of thing. There are certain areas where they are not allowed to require your social security number. This is one of them. So, of course, I'm speaking with a, a supermarket cashier. So she's like, sir, uh, the forum says you have to enter the social security number. So if you don't do that, I can't give you the card. No, but this is not legal. Do you understand? Sir, you have to enter the social security number or I cannot give you the card. If you don't want a card, you don't have to get it, but I can only give it to you. Like, oh, my God. Okay. So I realized that I was going about this the wrong way. I go, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. Okay. Here's my social. And I made up nine Random yeah, digits. One, two, three, yeah, <laughs> that's that's what I did. I just I just gave a, a fake social, and I'm like, okay, sorry about that. She gave me the card. So, which by the way was totally legal on my part because they weren't supposed to have it in the first place. It's uh, so I was not stealing anyone's identity or giving uh, false information to obtain a loan. This was, they shouldn't have had it. So they, rather than fight an idiot who was just going by an incorrect corporate policy that was breaking the law, I just uh, just gave him a fake one. Solved the problem. I know I had a company. I think I, you know. I want to say it was Directv, but it was about a year ago. But they asked for the first six numbers of my social. Oh, really? <laughs> and I'm like, the first six numbers of my social. What, what? And it was almost like you know. And it's just like they could. They asked for the last four to verify mm-hmm. banks and stuff like that. But I thought that was a little shady. That's especially shady because they have the last four up already, right? From from your account. 
exactly. Like they have on their screen uh, your name and then star, 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 star in the last four of your social. And then like right. you give them the first the, – the first, uh, that's actually the first five, but you give them the first five and they uh, now they've got your whole social. That's yeah, the, and the yeah. guy that just got out of jail working at the call center She's making a mint. Great. You're having some noise sound on your line drift. That's great. I, I love hearing that. Oh, well. I don't hear any noise. Uh, in the chat room, you guys can let me know if it doesn't sound good. So, uh, and don't worry, I'm, I'm working hard to fix this problem. This is uh, not something I'm... I, I was very unhappy today when the router came and I put it on and it did not fix anything. What do you use for TV, Druff? Do you have Direct TV? Or no, it's all this. It's all Verizon. It's the whole Verizon FiOS bundle. And uh, um, up till now, the service was always very good, and it was just the billing I sometimes had a problem with. But compared to the cable company, they were great overall. But this this is a problem, and uh, and they're outsourcing more and more. I was talking earlier about not liking outsourcing. That, that was an example. It, it wasn't all outsourced out of the country. Like three of the four reps I spoke to were in the U.S., but these were outsourced crappy. Uh, third-party companies within the U.S., which that, that you really can't do anything about legally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I would love to see laws passed. Uh, like, for example, I think it should be completely 100% against the law for any banking firm to outsource calls about uh, banking matters. They should never have access to that stuff. Never. And and you have these four. I have these foreign employees. Like, I call a bank, and, and I get the Philippines answering, and they, they need my social to look up the account. And I don't want to give it. Or even my account number I don't want to give. Like I, I don't like giving these things to people out of the country who can do bad things with it, especially the social. So I, I immediately ask for U.S. reps, but sometimes they're not around. Sometimes they can't. Sometimes they'll give you that awful answer of, we can't transfer you, just have to call back and try again. So uh, that that should be illegal. Anything that deals with your social or anything financial or any essential service. They also should never have foreign call centers answering anything like health care. That should also be illegal. Shouldn't be answering for health care. Shouldn't be answering for any utilities. Shouldn't be answering for anything banking. You know, if Dell wants to outsource to India, fine. You can just say, okay, I won't shop with Dell anymore. Though I think there should be tax incentives not to do that for companies, but... I think it should be prohibited for any essential service or any financial-related service. So, anyway, uh, what was I saying here? I was what was what topic was I on? Let me see. Uh, oh, yeah, the global, global poker league. I was going to start talking about. There's uh, every so often a dumb idea comes out regarding uh, something innovative in poker. And I think with poker, unfortunately, we've gotten to the point after the poker boom has been going on for almost 13 years. And I I think that uh, most of the good ideas have been used up by now. I hate to say it, but there's just not much innovation left in poker. You You can make things better. You can make tweaks to tournament formats and maybe make some things that are cool or interesting. I know the World Series has been trying out some of these things, and I give them credit for that. But there's really not uh, a lot left that's like a super innovative idea that's going to change the face of poker or become something huge that people hadn't really thought of before. The, The only real innovative thing I've seen pop up in recent years that has been successful and that made sense 
was the invention of the game Open Face Chinese Poker. But that's more of an invention of a poker game rather than a, a, a league or some other uh, poker gimmick. So the newest gimmick in poker is called the Global Poker League, where there are 12 poker teams complete with logos and team names. And if you look at these logos, it really looks like uh, this is some sort of like minor league hockey t- league with, uh, with its own logo. That's what they have the look of. So here are the 12 teams, and I'll explain how this works shortly, but here are the 12 teams of the Global Poker League. We, and they're all uh, geographically based. We have the Berlin Bears. <laughs> we have the Hong Kong Dragons. That's a very creative name. <laughs> Here's a very sweet one. The Los Angeles Sunset. <laughs> The Las Vegas Moneymakers, and of course the team manager there is Chris Moneymaker. <laughs> if you hate the laugh track, you're not going to like this segment. The London Royals, another very creative name. <laughs> the Montreal Nationals. I'll stop with the laugh track, but I don't know. Why Nationals? Just because it's Montreal. It's not even like it's the uh, the Ottawa Nationals. Uh, the Moscow Wolverines. The New York Rounders. Sorry, i got to play the laugh track on that one. <laughs> Come on, the New York Rounders. Jeez. Uh, the Paris Aviators, named after the uh, closed aviation club. The Rome Emperors. Come on. <laughs> The San Francisco Rush. Now, what does that mean? Is that that like for bum rushing? I don't know. Gold Rush. Gold Rush, okay. See, that's where my mind goes. All right, and the Sao Paulo Metropolitans. We have the Mets, too. Who are the managers of these teams? The Berlin Bears are managed by Philip Grusim. Selena Lin is managing the Hong Kong Dragons. The Los Angeles Sunset, managed by Maria Ho. Las Vegas Moneymakers, well, you know who manages that one. The London Royals, headed by Liv Bory. Montreal Nationals, Marc-Andre Ladossier. The Moscow Wolverines, I'd love to say Stickman is heading it up, but it's not. It's uh, someone named uh, Anatoly Filatov. Bryn Kenny, the king of the New York Rounders. Fabrice Solier the head of the Paris Aviators, the Rome Emperors, who else but Max Pescatori, Faraz Jaca, the San Francisco Rush manager, and the Sao Paulo Metropolitans, of course, the uh, Brazilian Andre Akari. So some of these are, are, are pretty well-known players. So this is the way it works, and they all have their own logo. And uh, they really look like, like minor league hockey-type uh, logos. And I, I understand most of them, most of the team names. Some of them are very corny. But where's the Berlin Bears comes from other other than uh, they both begin with B? Like, is that... Uh, I don't know. Uh, this this is what I picture when 
I hear the Berlin Bears. Remember the Bad News Bears? Yeah, that's a... I just picture the Berlin Bears are going to come in last. That I just picture. Maybe they'll have a... Cinderella story at the end and coming first. But uh, here's how it works. A press release from the Global Poker League explained there are 12 cities, 12 franchises, 12 brands, and as many reasons to build a platform to aggregate fan engagement for the 100 million poker fans, 51 million of which are in the USA, in the world. (laughs) So each team's manager is then tasked with drafting a five-man team. The draft will take place at the SLS Hotel in Beverly Hills on February 25th, right before the American Poker Awards. Kara Scott will host the draft, which will also feature analysis from players like Phil Helmuth. Boy. The gala will be live-streamed on Twitch starting at 2 p.m. Pacific time for those that can't make it to L.A. or more likely just don't want to go. Now... The managers are not required to be one of the five players on the roster. So just because you're managing, it doesn't mean you actually have to play poker. (laughs) Uh, So the manager can draft himself or not draft himself. And each manager and drafted player has a two-year commitment for the years 2016 and 17. I don't know what happens to you if you break the commitment. Uh, It's not known who's going to attend the draft, though uh, Chris Mormon, Darren Elias, Anthony Zinno, who's been the uh, Johnny-come-lately super hot tournament player recently, and Fedor Holes have said that they will attend the Global Poker League draft. That was according to the press release. Uh, Now, the... Press release also says the following. The Global Poker League will provide a new level of fan engagement with live events and innovative new gameplay formats. It's a combination of online, studio, and venue-based events that aim to ignite the passion of the 100 million existing poker fans worldwide. In, a, in other words, it says nothing. It's, it's like it's, – it's some sort of ambiguous thing they're putting together of 12 teams where you're supposed to get behind your team. So I see what they're trying to do here. You – you know, where, wherever you live, let's say you live in Los Angeles. Well, you're supposed to te- cheer for the L.A. team. Yay, go team! Yay, Maria Ho, I'm rooting for you. And uh, it, almost like the way you root for your local sports team. And that they think this will make poker more exciting for the average fan who's been tuning out every year uh, in greater and greater numbers that is tuning out, not in, <laughs> to uh, televised poker. So they claim they're going to have uh, live events, innovative new gameplay formats that they don't describe which ones. Uh, sometimes it'll be on TV. Sometimes it'll be uh, online. They claim venue-based events. I don't know what that means. 
Alex Dreyfus is the, the one behind this whole thing. He says, Today is an exciting day in Global Poker League history. The confirmation of team managers is a crucial step towards our goal. We've secured an incredible amount of talented leaders to represent our 12 franchise teams, as well as a strong intent from some of the world's best poker players to make themselves draftable on February 25th. We're looking forward to what the next few months and inaugural season of the Global Poker League will bring to fans across the globe. Now, here are the reasons I think this is going to be a huge fail. Uh... Number one, I don't think anyone's going to give a crap about the teams of their city. Poker was never a team sport. And when you try to make poker a team sport, it just doesn't work. It's an individual uh, game. It's an individual competition. And people enjoy seeing stars of poker that they're familiar with playing. People enjoy watching some of the best players compete against one another at the poker table. That's That has some draw and still does to this day. But the team concept uh, just doesn't make a lot of sense, and, and especially this geographic thing. Most people, except for people uh, maybe in areas that aren't associated with having a lot of poker success, like, for example, uh, Max Pescatori is very well known in Italy for being an Italian poker player and a very successful one. And he's known because uh, Italy's not known for, for poker. Italy's not known for producing a lot of poker stars. So you can understand how people in Italy will uh, like Max Pescatori for that reason. But in areas like L.A. and Vegas, no one's going to go, Yay, Las Vegas! Yeah, we're winning! No one's going to care. This is something... Las Vegas, everybody's used to poker. Everybody's used to poker players. They don't get any pride that players from Las Vegas are winning. In fact, most poker players from Las Vegas are not really from there. They just moved there to play it. So so you're not going to have people excited from those cities. You're not going to have people in San Francisco excited, uh, New York, London. Uh, the, the only time you, you might have a little interest is in, in certain places, maybe like Italy, where there just aren't that many successful poker players that are known. Uh, maybe Brazil, where Andrea Cari is representing them. But it's not enough. And the, the team format has never worked. And they're exp- when they keep talking about the 100 million poker fans, that sounds like a snake oil salesman trying to sell something. Uh, they, they keep repeating that, 100 million poker fans. So 100 million poker fans. It, it reminds me of a tiny radio station with a weak signal in a big market like New York, L.A., and talking about the, uh, the 10 million potential listeners that they can reach. Well, yeah. Technically, 10 million people could turn on the radio and listen to you, but are you ever going to get anywhere near that? No. You're just saying that to make it sound big when it's really not. In reality, you're, you're lucky to get uh, 500 people turning on the radio to hear you on a tiny station that doesn't market itself and has a weak signal. But, but it's those type of stations that will say things like 10 million potential listeners, whereas the big stations that actually get a large number of listeners don't ever say things like that because they they know that people know them. They know that they're a big deal, and they don't have to use gimmickry word like word, wording like that. So this whole thing looks like a big gimmick. And they're not even explaining what's going to be unique or innovative about this other than it's team play. What is so exciting? Why should we watch it? Why is this any different? Uh, how is this going to work? Are they going to do tag team where uh, – uh, you know, someone plays the first round, then someone else on the team plays the second round, someone else plays the third round, or is it going to be just they, they they play in events and tally up their their scores, and the team with the most points wins? It's it's just not that exciting. I would have no interest 
in watching this, nor would I ever root for the Los Angeles team. I wouldn't care. When I see an L.A. player is doing well, I go, hey, L.A., I don't do that. I might care, like, you might care if someone from your hometown wins. Like, if someone you went to high school is doing well in a poker tournament, you might care. But not, not from a large metropolitan area. It's just not, poker's not that type of thing. And this, now, how did they get all these sort of big names involved here? Because you kind of have like, I'd say, B-level names involved in this for the most part. People who you've heard of if you're a fan of poker, but not like the very top names. There's no Negranu, there's no Helmuth, there's no Ivy. Uh, You're not getting the very top names of poker in this, but you're also getting people that you've heard of. Uh, Chris Moneymaker, Liv Bory, Bryn Kenny, Fabrice Solier, Max Pescatore. So, you know, a lot of these people you've heard of. So... How do they get them involved? I have a feeling this is one of these things where they're being sold this is going to be something huge and they're given some sort of promise with you know equity with uh, what they'll get paid of whatever percentage it generates, blah, blah, blah. Like they're probably being promised uh, some percentage of whatever uh, it does and they're being convinced this is going to be innovative and huge. So get in on the ground floor sort of thing. What do you think of this here, uh, Trader Risky? Horrible. <laughs> I mean, who, you know, it's just, I mean, if you look at like the NHL, they try to, you know, build that up and you can go to a game and it's exciting and they catch people, you know, behind your city. But with something like this, it's like, where are they seeing the fan base? Like people that play poker are really going to care. I mean, maybe if it's like a hundred million to the winning team, that builds some excitement or something. But I, I just can't imagine. No, they're not going to get money like that. No, exactly. So I just, I can't imagine that there's going to be any, any uh, interest in this. Yeah, I can't either. I, I, I think that this is something that, if presented by a slick presenter like this uh, Alex Dreyfus, who's known to do things like this. That it can sound great, it can sound innovative, it can sound exciting, it can sound like something, wow, no one's thought of this, well, this is going to be so cool, we're going to have 12 different teams from different cities, and everyone's going to get behind their team, and, and it's going to be all over TV, and people are going to root for it, no one ever thought of this before, wow, team poker, but no, it's it's not, it's just one of these things that, if you don't think about it, if you barely think about it, maybe it sounds like it can work, but if you put any thought into it, you realize it's going to be a giant fail, and maybe they'll convince some uh I think they may convince some dumbass investors to put up the money to put things on TV. And just like the Epic Poker League, it's, it's going to... Yeah, I was going to say, isn't it exactly like that, basically, yes. except for team-based? Yes. And it, to put it behind a city, I guess you're counting on like non-poker people caring about it because it's their city. Well, they're not even saying but, that. They're saying that it, it's it's going to appeal to the 100 million poker fans worldwide and the 51 million poker fans of those 100 in the U.S. They're not even saying we're going to appeal to non-poker fans. They're actually saying there's just – he's trying to say there's so many poker fans out there, 51 million in the U.S., which I, I don't think is true. I don't think we have 51 million people in the U.S. that care a lot about poker. That's, that's a, one out of every six people. Uh, but but even if you you accept this, uh, he's saying so many poker fans are out there that this is going to catch on big time because they're, they're just looking for something to root for. That's what he's trying to get across here. I mean it's just way too slow. No one's going to care. 
Yeah. That, that's, you can't have a crowd watching, oh, let's watch, oh, L.A.'s playing tonight. <laughs> then they're sitting there and somebody's, you know, looking at their hand for 10 minutes. And, yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, L.A.'s playing tonight. Like, oh, well, guess what? Our team's in first place. <laughs> right. I'm you so know, excited. My L.A. team's oh, in first place. I've heard about this poker. Let's watch it. And it's, you know, six people sitting there, you know. Yeah, can you see people walking around hands. with like with the L.A. Sunset logo jersey? And then they go to New York and they're like, boo, get out of here, boo. New York Rounders all the way. Screw the Sunset. They suck. Like, no, one, no one's going to care. It'll never even come close to duplicating the excitement of professional sports fandom. It's just a completely different thing. It's, it's something that you could stretch yourself to believe translates but doesn't. It just doesn't. You know, I mean, maybe if it's like a TV show and it's a fat, you know, the greatest, you know, kind of a preview every Monday night where it's just like a compact sports center type thing, uh, you know, maybe, but I, I can't imagine that this has any shot. Cause you know I don't think, cause I don't think any of the poker players care. Cause if they can make money off it, they're interested. If they can't make money, they're not really interested in watching it. Yeah. And you know, what's you know, what else is, when you're watching sports, it, there's something – like you were saying, it being boring. Like with sports, you get to see something happening in front of your eyes, whether you're watching on TV or in person, where certain plays uh, affect the score and then it's exciting at the end if it's a close game of who's going to win. So you know, your, your team is up 4-3 to three in the bottom of the ninth inning and uh, and the other team has men on, on first and second with two outs and, and you go, okay, well – is this next guy up going to get a double and beat us, or is he going to you know, get a single and tie it, or is he going to uh, strike out and we'll win? Like, there's there's the tension there where one play changes it. But, but how is this going to work? You're going to watch this and say, well, okay, okay, now Las Vegas, uh, they have four more points. Okay, that puts them in first place. It's, it's not the same thing. There's not some exciting play to watch for. There's not some exciting moment. There's no, this is not really a spectator type of sport for a team. At least, at least when you're watching poker on TV for individuals, you see an individual win and you go, "Oh, good for him! Oh, wow, this is my favorite player! Oh, I'm glad he just he just won the tournament." But to to have to watch for for how your team's going to do and how it just adds points to your team's total in the standings, it's it's not the same thing. It's not even close to the same thing. It's 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 a dumb idea, and. Uh, Alex Dreyfus, by the way, was in charge of the Global Poker Index. That's why it has this name. It's a, it's associated with that too. And they, they were involved, right? But that was part of Epic Poker too, right? Yeah, it, I mean, isn't that all the same thing? Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it did have something to do with it. And there, there was also some shadiness involving them in a, in a World Series seat they were giving away, and they they went back on their promise. And it, it, this guy just seems like one of these like slick slick promoter types. Yeah, I mean, if they could do, like, tournaments in the cities where you could earn a spot on the team and then they do multiple tournaments, maybe. But, you know, I still think it's 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 a loser. I haven't seen anyone saying they're excited about this. Uh, the Grenada Roger, by the way, saying in chat, Todd, is Benjamin going to leave school early and declare for the 2019 Global Poker Index Draft? <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, – I, I don't know. This is uh, – <laughs> I haven't seen one person 
say that they're excited for this or think it's going to work. We have everybody saying this is going to be a fail. Like, not just on this site. Like, everywhere I've looked about this being discussed, everyone says, oh, what a dumb idea. This is going to be a fail. Here, Anchor Draw who says in chat, this poker league will be a fail just like the Rams paying the NFL $650 million to move to L.A., then another $1.5 billion to build a stadium that won't be ready until 2019. Maybe they should get the money from the guy who won the lottery tonight. Uh while alienating the entire St. Louis market from the NFL, I, I think the I think the Rams have a much better chance of succeeding in LA than this thing does to succeed. No, and that look that NFL team it'll eventually make money. Because yep. it's the NFL and it's the Rams coming back, and you know. Well, yeah, the LA is, and that's one of the topics we're talking about tonight shortly. But uh, at least uh, LA is the second biggest market. In the country, so but that's, at least I can understand that move. But this this is just ridiculous. It's another gimmick, and they, they you always have idiot poker players who sign on to these dumb gimmicks, thinking that they're going to get rich from it. They figure, all right, not much skin off my ass, and so they, they come to Andre Akari, for example, and say, "Hey, Andre," they pitch it to him and say, "Hey, how would you like to be a manager of this?" And then if this whole thing works out, you'll make this much money. Yeah, I mean they're free rolling. Yeah, I don't care. yeah, they're free rolling. So, so that, I'm not criticizing them. Like I was thinking, like, what if they came to me and they wanted me to head up one of these teams? Like, I, I, I'd want more details, so I had to make sure it wasn't a fraud or a scam or semi scam or people are getting screwed. Like, epic. Like I had to feel at least okay about those that participate are not going to get screwed, even if I think it's going to fail. But provided I was, I was convinced of that. Yeah, I'd give it a try if it's a free roll and it's not too much trouble. But. Uh, at the same time, it wouldn't mean that I believe in it or think it's going to work. I, I could think it's a fail idea, but I'm willing to take a shot with it. So I think that's what some of these people are joining either for that reason or they really are just dumb enough to be fooled into <laughs> believing these things can succeed. Well, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure they're not buying in. Minimum, they get free trips to cities to play in tournaments or whatever. And I'm sure that you're like you said, they'll get a piece of the action if anything happens. And maybe if they raise capital, they'll get some money guaranteed up front, but they have no risk. Yeah. And, and all these people who who are, uh, most of these people who are signed on to this are all ones who are either known to be broke or ones that have long, uh, signed on to any endorsement thing they can get. Ones that, uh, love money that comes outside of the poker table. That uh, they'll pretty much uh, join up with anything that puts that additional money in their pocket. So that's that's why you're not getting the A-list player types who don't need the money that badly and don't need to join something like this or even go through the trouble of it. You have you have more of the types that uh, uh, are, if they can be convinced enough to put the time into this for a potential windfall if it works out are, are going along with it. So just just don't think that these people being involved means that. It's it's got to succeed, and, and of course you know about Chris Moneymaker, who's been well known to be broke, so he's glad to sign on to anything like this. And I, I don't like some of them. I don't think are broke. I don't think Max Pescatori is, but he's also willing to put his name on a lot of things. And uh, so just again, I'm not criticizing these players. It's fine. I'm just saying that don't say that their involvement means that they really believe in it or think it's wonderful. So, short answer is I'd be shocked if this is not a gigantic fail. I'll be shocked if next year it's still around. Finally, as far as the poker and gambling topics tonight, a very shady tournament took place at Miami's Hialeah Park Casino. And there are now 11 charges 
against them. And I'll explain what those charges mean. You know, how can you have a charges against an entity? Against a person, that means they're going to jail. You can't put the casino in jail. But I'll explain uh, what this means. This, this is a very, very shady tournament, and there's no doubt that something very bad happened there. This occurred back in August. Hylia Park held a $250 buy-in no-limit tournament, which you could re-enter. It was supposedly to celebrate the casino's two-year anniversary. This is not exactly a long-standing venue. And they had a guarantee, $200,000 guaranteed prize pool, 60000 guaranteed to the winner. The first five days had two starting flights each day, one beginning at 11 a.m. and one beginning at 7 p.m., so a lot of different uh, starting flights, 10 different ones. And then the day two would uh, begin on August 30th, you know, five days later. So according to the structure sheet, $215 of the $250 buy-in went to the prize pool and 35 went to the house. Standard. Each player would get 15,000 chips and could get another 5,000 chips if they paid $20 extra. Now the structure sheet did not mention the price of this add-on. Anyway, at the end of level 9, late registration and re-entry was closed, and the players could pay another $20 for a chip-up of uh, 8,000 chips. The structure sheet said that 80% of this $20 that each person would pay would go to the prize pool once the guarantee was met. So if the guarantee wasn't met, then it would it wouldn't it would just go towards the guarantee. But once the guarantee of 200k was hit, then 80 uh, percent would go towards the prize pool, and four would be kept by the casino. Yeah, so it'd be uh, 16 for the prize pool, four for the casino. Every time one of these chip ups was done, and the other 20 percent, by the way, was supposed to be for the casino's high hand bonus. Now, if a player busted out, they could enter one of the other flights. Remember, there's 10 flights. Uh, they could re-enter. If they either busted or if their chip stack was 5,000 chips or fewer. They could play multiple starting flights, even if they survived, but they could only take one stack over to day two, which that's always been criticized because there could be easy that, – that format was criticized by Alan Kessler and rightfully so, not just here but everywhere, saying that uh, the move best stack, on, best stack on format really, really, really promotes chip dumping. Where let's say you've uh, that's not the scandal here by the way but that's a let's say you uh, you finish day one with uh, sixty thousand in chips and then or day one a then day one b you play to try to do better than that and uh, coming into the final hand or final two hands you have uh, thirteen thousand in chips so you know you're not going to beat the sixty so you say to the guy next to you hey you know I know you need some chips just uh, uh, I, I'm just going to fire them all off or fire almost all of them off and fold or something like that. You can easily chip dump there because you're not taking those chips anyway. You might as well just give them away. So there's fear, especially if one of your friends happens to be at your table, you could really abuse that. So that's uh, been rightfully criticized by Kessler. But that's not even the point here. Just wanted to mention that. So on day two, the players noticed that the statistics for the tournament looked weird. The announced prize pool was $215,000. The poker room posted that 163 people had made it to day two, and 90 would make it in the money. But what was missing here? Well, we know how many people made day two. We know how many people are going to make it in the money, but 
they did not mention how many people total registered for the tournament. A <laughs> little bit shady, isn't that? <laughs> Here's how many people made it. Here's how many people were paying, but we're not telling you how many people registered. Have you ever seen that before? So, nope. Yeah, I've never seen that either. So that's already looking really weird. They also, of course, didn't say how many people added on. Well, players asked around, and the floor staff said that the total of entries was 1,061, which means if you just add up the buy-ins and uh, subtract the amount that would be taken out for the casino, the prize pool should have been 228,115 before the add-ons. So that is with zero add-ons, just from 1,061 players, there should have been a prize pool of 228K instead of 215. So right there, they've already been stiffed 13K. The staff told the players that 8% of the field was to be paid. Now, this was not posted anywhere in the structure. But since 90 players were going to make the money, that should have meant that there were 1125 entries. That's another thing that looked weird. That even if they're paying a relatively low percentage of eight people, still, that means that uh, 1125 people should have made it. So... Then the Hialeah Park staff changed their story when they were questioned about this stuff, saying, wait a minute, if it's 8%, then that should be 1125 people. If the if 1,061 entered, there should be a prize pool of 13K more than what you guys are giving. So they changed their story. They then said that it was 960-something entries. <laughs> and so then the 1,061 was wrong. The reason I say 960-something is that... Uh, Someone was told 966, and a man interviewed by the Miami Herald said 961. In addition, the total number of chips displayed on the tournament board was incorrect. The board said there was 26,667,000 chips in play, but when everybody totaled up the chip count lists for day two of the people who survived, the numbers added up to 27,363. So that's... 700,000 worth of chips, and that's about 50 entries worth of chips that uh, were there, and that didn't take into account any add-ons. So the uh, here's the casino story. This was what uh, Hialeah Park shift manager Daniel Sierra said. We had 966 entrants, 20, 20K in chips for 19.3 million. We also had 698 chip-ups. Uh, of 8K each for 5.584 million, totaling close to 25 million chips in play. The missing chips that you refer to come from the dead stacks that are placed on seat 4 and seat 10 on each table to start each flight. On average, we had 8 tables on each flight Tuesday through Thursday and 12 tables on Friday and Saturday. Now, it's not an exact number, but it's pretty close. The average dead stack contributed 10K plus per dead stack to the total chips in play. That's why you're missing your difference from the buy-in and chip-up count to the total chip count that was published. If you take an average of 20K per table for the dead stacks, and he goes on and explains it. I'm not going to go on to the whole math. So a poster on 2 plus 2 pointed out the number of add-ons at the end of level 9 seems extremely high, and the story about the dead stacks is unrealistic. So just a, it, it seems like since the, since the add-ons add on chips for cheaper than the original buy-in per dollar spent, it sounds like they're just making up there were a lot more add-ons than really were so as to explain why they were uh, why the prize pool was lower. So 698 chip chip ups out of uh, 966 entrants sounds like a whole lot, 
and and also this whole thing with the dead stack is like they're way more than than should have been coming out of those dead stacks. The other shady things were happening. Some players were put in specific seats by the tournament staff rather than being randomly seated. So uh, tournament staff would just tell you where to go without uh, drawing a seat for you. So looking like the tournament staff was uh, keeping certain seats open maybe for their friends who are going to come register, put them at the most favorable tables. Many players who wanted to re-enter after busting just were told to give their money to a floor manager and they were never given a receipt. And the tournament payouts were handed at the tournament podium rather than through the poker room's cashier. So, a state investigation took place and it was found that in this and in other tournaments, floor staff of the Hialeah Park would allow some people to enter the tournament for free in exchange for a portion of that player's winnings. Receipts were printed for these players, so they looked like they were officially in there, but they didn't actually pay any money, so therefore they stiffed the prize pool out of that. That's why there were a lot more players than actually was money in the prize pool. These were players let in for free. Hialeah Park poker room manager Nelson Costa and a lot of his staff were terminated by the casino, but not before 11 charges levied by the state of Florida against Hialeah Park. Count one, failure to properly issue and maintain tournament entry receipts. Count two, failure to properly log tournament entries in the tournament log sheet. Count three, failure to follow random proper seat selection practices. This is uh, not just assumptions. This is what the state determined and are charging them with. Count four, failure to have a security camera covering all cash handling areas of the poker room. Failure five, failure to preserve and store security footage. Count six, failure to award poker jackpot slips signed by the Cade supervisor. Count seven, failure to record poker jackpot slips in the in the jackpot ledger. Count eight, card room manager kept cash or payouts in his office rather than the cashier's cage or vault. Count nine was uh, basically same as the count eight, so I won't read that one. Count ten, failure to keep and maintain tournament records for at least three years. And count eleven, failure to keep proper jackpot records. What has happened as a result of these 11 counts is that they are going to be reviewed and when it is decided uh, they can go as far as either losing their license or be fined. So they, Hialeah Park may end up uh, out of business as a result of this. It depends what the state determines. Right now they've just been charged. But they have, uh, there hasn't been action taken yet, but it is forthcoming. So, let me see the, let's see if I can find when this was going to take place. Uh-oh. Are very see, I'm trying to look at the <laughs> Digest. It's doing a dog food commercial and I'm trying to look at this <laughs> on, the, on the Miami Herald site. Uh... Yeah, Hialeah has until January 18th to appeal. If they don't, the state will issue penalties. It can be fines. It can be a license suspension. We will see. So that's really bad. 
And obviously there was a, a lot of shadiness going on there. But you may think, okay, this is some small crappy casino in Miami. This wouldn't happen at a major tournament venue. No, 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 no. Like the World Series, you can, you can play at the World Series and this would never happen to you. Wrong. Somebody that you all know of pretty well got screwed out of prize money in a rebuy tournament in a very, very similar fashion. That person who finished in 10th place at the 1K No Limit World Series event with rebuys was known and still is known as Todd Dandruff Wittellis. Yes. In 2011, I finished in 10th place at the 1K No Limit with rebuys. Now, I did not rebuy or add on. I just went Jewishly with my 1K and made it stand up all the way to 10th place. In fact, I would have made the televised final table and gotten a minimum of $15,000 of endorsement money from Full Tilt, and this is before they were known to be thieves, if I had just faded a river card. I had pocket queens against Ace king suited all in. The It was blind versus blind. The Ace king suited had slightly more chips than me. I mean, every so slightly where it would have been just about a guaranteed bust for him if he lost. And if I lost, it was a bust for me. Flop safe, turn safe, river is an ace of spades, and I was gone. That guy went out to finish third by just, like, sitting there not playing any hands while everyone else imploded, by the way. And he made 230000 I got twenty three. But here is the bad part. The bad part is that I have heard some reliable information that the 1K no limit with rebuys was done away with because there was stealing from the prize pool in this exact fashion. And I noticed when people were rebuying at my table, the floor people were taking their cash and handing them chips, but they were not giving them a receipt. They were not doing anything official. You just handed the money to the floor man He'd take it, he'd hand you chips. And, same with the add-ons, which you could also do. I didn't do any of that stuff. But it was determined that there was skimming from this. I'm not sure how they counted it on the back end, as far as saying the number of players, number of add-ons, blah, blah, blah. But they found some way to massage it, maybe through by claiming uh, color-ups or whatever that caused chip discrepancies, whatever it was, they claimed, or maybe it was by claiming that there weren't as many entries as they were, and uh, I I don't know what they did, but uh, there was a reliable information I was given that there were people fired for stealing in this fashion from that specific tournament, and that they did away with it for that reason. And now you don't have that event anymore at the World Series. Now at the World Series, anytime there's any kind of rebuy, You always have to do it through the cage. They do it with just different flights. Uh, And and whenever it's something like a a tournament where you can can rebuy without playing a different flight, it's always called like a triple chance tournament where they give you tokens that you hand, like like a triple chance thing where you get uh, three tokens or you get a stack and two tokens. And then uh, if you bust, you hand your token to a chip runner who then hands you your chips. 
So there, there's no there's no money changing hands. In that format, all the money changes hands officially through the cashier and recorded in the computer. So there was skimming. There was stealing. There were people let go. It's even said that they changed tournament directors. You know how Jack Effel is the tournament director? Well, I'm, I'm pleased to say that Jack Effel was never guilty of any of this, but that he was brought in uh, as a result of this happening. And then they did away with it completely. So, I've heard from several sources that there was this stealing and skimming from those 1K with rebuy tournaments at the World Series of Poker. I finished 10th, so I did not get as much money as I should have. Some of that money was skimmed by the tournament staff, if this report is correct. Nowadays at the World Series, this is not going to happen because they, they're much more careful and they have taken care to make sure that all money now has to go through the cashier. So that takes care of that because they're, they're not going to do that at the highest level. You're not going to have uh, Seth Polanski or uh, Jack Effel or anyone else, uh, Ty Stewart. Like These guys are not going to go on the computer and change the numbers, okay? Uh, these guys have good corporate jobs. They're never going to do things like that. But the uh, the floor man handling uh, cash handed to them with no record of it doesn't take a genius to realize what could happen. And I remember I thought of that when I saw this going on. And when I had entered another tournament where I did rebuy and they just handed me the chips with no receipt, I thought, wow, this is kind of shady. How do I know they're ever going to record this? And I had a second problem that I didn't have a way to prove it to the IRS. You know, when uh, when when you're reporting to the IRS as a professional poker player, you don't have to give details about your winnings and losses. You just say what you won, what you lost, and that's your net win. Then you pay taxes based upon it. But if you're audited, you have to have the proper records. And I remember being nervous that if I got audited, I could claim I rebought in such and such tournament. And I did rebuy in such and such tournament, but I had no way to prove it. Because they just they didn't give me anything to prove I had rebought. They just handed me chips and took my money. There was no record I had rebought. I didn't even have to say who I was. I just said, I'm busted here. Can I rebuy? And I'd hand them money. And they'd hand me chips. So there's no record anywhere that I rebought. So I was a little worried. Like I'd say, I rebought. And I was afraid the IRS, if they ever audited me, would say bullshit. There's no proof of that. I never got audited. But if I did, I was worried about that. Anybody wants to call in, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Anchor draw is saying when chips are raced off, no new chips are so no new chips are added during color up. All you have to do is add up the total chips and play at the final table. Easy to find out if it doesn't match chips and play. No, but the, what the, I'm telling you, there are roundups. I, I watch it happen. This is legitimate roundups. I'm not saying like shady stuff. Like uh, for example, um. During color-ups, a uh, let's say during color-ups, uh, there's 600 worth of chips that are being raced off. They're going to pay out a thousand to the table. Let's say they're coloring off the 500, 100 chips, and uh, now they're all 500 and above. They will give 200 
two five hundred dollar chips for six one hundred dollar chips in the race off. So this will add four hundred to the prize pool. So it does not come up even. And that's just how it works. They don't round down, they round up. At least that's what I've seen when I've played. So this is uh this is very open for abuse. All right, let's talk about the the Rams coming to LA. Uh, it's been uh, decided that the St. Louis Rams can move to Los Angeles. T-Buck's saying I should get some uh, Tropicana orange juice to drink for the home stretch. I, I kind of need it. My, my throat's hurting. But the, the Rams are moving to L.A. L.A. has not had a football team in over 20 years. Uh, I don't, maybe their chat room can help me. I don't remember even the last year they had a football team. But it's it's been over twenty for sure, and uh, I can look up when the Raiders left and uh, when the Rams left. Let's see. The Rams left in ninety five. 95, they moved to St. Louis. Let's see, the Raiders. The Raiders left. Also in 95. Yeah, I knew it was very close. I wasn't sure if it was the same year, but I knew it was, it was very close. So I was right about 20 years, 21 years. So LA has been without football from 1995 through 2015. And in 2016, 21 years later, it is going to return. And uh, the Rams are coming back to L.A. The San Diego Chargers, just to maintain the pattern of either two teams or none in L.A., also may come to L.A., but that has not been uh, decided yet. That may may or may not happen. But uh, following the conclusion of the 2015 regular season, which just happened, the Rams, Oakland Raiders, both of whom were once in L.A., and the San Diego Chargers all filed to relocate to L.A. And it would be a $550, $550 million relocation fee. On January 12th, just two days ago, the Rams' first proposal was rejected by the owners, but a revised plan involving a partnership with the San Diego Chargers was approved by a 32 vote. And they'll be moving to Inglewood, California, the former home of the Lakers, by the way, before they moved to Stable Center. There's going to be a new stadium built called the City of Champion Stadium, and it's going to be ready for the 2019 season. So what about before then? They will play at the crappy L.A. Memorial Coliseum. I feel bad for anyone that's going to go there. It's currently the home of the USC Trojans football team. It's a bad area. It's a crappy old stadium, but that's going to be the temporary home of the Rams until the City of Champions Stadium is built in Inglewood, which is also a bad neighborhood, by the way. It's going to be built on the site of the former Hollywood Park racetrack. And yes, that's the same place where the Hollywood Park Casino exists. 
a has-been casino, which uh, was clobbered by commerce when they were uh, too arrogant to address some of the issues over there, and commerce took their business. The big games in L.A. used to go on in Hollywood Park before commerce took over. Hollywood Park's still there, but the racetrack is not there anymore. The construction has already begun. But it'll take three years. And the charger... Okay, people, we're back. I had another internet uh, cutout. I almost didn't do the show tonight because of this. I was really worried this was going to happen. I almost didn't do the show. It's, it's depressing. It really is depressing. Nobody's more bothered about this than I am. If you think for you as a listener, it's frustrating. For me as, as the host, it's, it's really frustrating. It, it's really frustrating. Like I, It makes me not want to do the show next week if, uh, if I don't get this fixed by then. I may just forget the show until I can get this fixed because I, I knew this was going to happen. There's just something wrong with the internet here now. You know what's weird? Is uh, And thank you, Jay Stad, for telling me we were off the air for two minutes. So at least he didn't lose too much of me. And some of it, about halfway of the two minutes, I probably discovered it. it was like, it's been like a minute with me trying to recover it. Uh, but some of what... Uh, I don't know. I'm just frustrated by this. I'm really frustrated. I, I saw it coming, and I was frustrated. Let's see if we can get Trader Ruski back. So I think what caused this... Well, I shouldn't say I think, but this is kind of the catalyst of the whole thing, was... As you guys know, I, I went... Uh, I took a, a Vegas Mount Charleston trip around New Year's. I, I had the router off during that time. And the reason I had the router off the reason I had the router off was because I wanted a new IP address. And there used to be a trick to get a new IP address whenever you wanted. Trader Risk, are you there? Yeah, I'm back. Okay, good, good. So I some of the trick to get a new IP address it used to have there be used to be an easy way to do it, but uh Verizon Fios uh, has since taken steps to prevent you from using that trick that I figured out and and it doesn't work anymore so to get a new IP address it can be tough and I like getting new IP addresses just because I don't like being tracked too much I don't like and I'm not doing anything suspicious and I'm not going to deviant porn sites or anything it's not anything like that I just don't like I, I know they all like to track you a lot of these sites especially uh, larger companies and I don't like to be tracked by IP address and, and for example they can they can track you to your IP address by trading information. So if I log into something that knows I'm Todd Wotelis, like a large company site, and they see my IP, they can sell it to other companies who then can see that that IP belongs to Todd Wotelis. And then they could figure out that I'm Todd Wotelis from that IP, even without me giving my name to that company. So uh, for that reason, I'd like to see my IP address change sometimes. So, one way to do it with Verizon is to just simply turn off your router for a good deal of time and you'll typically get a new one. Now, just doing it overnight doesn't do the job a lot of times. So I turned it off 
because I knew I'd be away from it for several days over New Year's, and I was, and I came back and got a new IP. So I thought, great. It was right around then that I think the problem started. And I don't think the new IP address is a problem. Is that, that wouldn't cause the problem having a new IP. But I think maybe, I don't know, maybe having the router off all these days, uh, maybe turning it back on did something to it. But then that that wasn't the case because I got a new router, but maybe something happened with my service. I don't mean the router itself, but maybe the the box that, uh, the Fios box in my house, maybe having the router off caused some issue. I don't know. It's just, maybe it's a coincidence. But I thought it was the router because I had it off all those days. I thought maybe turning it back on or whatever it uh, uh, malfunctioned, developed some problem. But I got a new router today. It's not that. It's really irritating. Anchor draw saying, I only go to non-deviant porn sites. <laughs> I actually don't go to many porn sites, to be honest. like I could... But I don't. Like, there's a lot of time I'm by myself that I could do it without anyone seeing or knowing, but I, I, I just don't. I'm just not uh, not a big porn site person. I won't say I've never gone. I, I just don't do it that often. So, uh, so JSTAT's asking, so if the Wi-Fi is off for many days, the IP will change? It's not about the Wi-Fi. It's that the, the router... Or the cable modem. The term router I'm using is the ones provided by your uh, your cable company or by whatever your internet provider is. Not like your home router. I'm talking about the whatever is providing you the internet service, the piece of equipment they provide. If you turn that off for a number of days, then your IP will be released and someone else will get it. And then you will get a different IP when you turn yours back on. There used to be a trick with Fios and many other uh, internet providers, which I'm not going to say on here simply because I don't want people using it against me on Poker Fraud Alert to change their IP if I have to IP ban them. So I'm not going to tell you guys the trick. But uh, there used to be a trick to where you could fool the router into assigning a new IP address to you at will. Uh, with Cox Cable, I don't I don't have them anymore, but when I had Cox Cable, I used to do that all the time to switch my IP address. I could, in the same night if I wanted, I could have 500 different IP addresses. It would be a bit of a pain in the ass, but I could do it. But uh, Fios can't be done that quickly. Uh, Lou Father's saying, all you have to do is leave it off and plug it back in. That's not true. That's not That's not how it works. You'll sometimes get a new one, sometimes you won't. If I did that, if I just leave it off and plug it back in, then uh, like overnight, it, it's not going to do the trick. If you, if you want to go without internet for five days to get a new IP to come on this site when you're banned, <laughs> go ahead and do it. <laughs> but there used to be a way to change it immediately. Anyway, it, it seems like that was just the time when it started. It's just 2016 has not been a good year for internet access so far for me. I've, I've taken a step back in time. With poor internet access. All right, so I was in the middle of talking about the Rams and the, and the new stadium, and I, I don't know. In, have you gone to the uh, a game in uh, Inglewood for uh, for uh, the Lakers back when they were there? Oh yeah, mostly Kings now, and did, Lakers too. Did you have any bad experiences over there? No, although my brother was at a Laker game during the uh, Rodney King riots. But he got out of there pretty easily. Oh, okay, wow, that's pretty tough. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a story about uh, an incident I had when I was 16 going to the Lakers. 
And this has a side story to it that actually precedes it. I'll tell you the prequel first. It's actually not really a prequel, but here, here's the beginning of the story, the backstory. I was on a multi-line BBS. Remember, like very few people were on the internet then. There was no World Wide Web in 1988. Most people communicated online through what was known as BBS, as computer bulletin board systems that were run by individuals in their homes. Uh, the bigger ones had several phone lines you could dial into. The smaller ones just had one line, so if there's one person on there, it'd be busy, and you had to wait till that person gets off to get on there yourself. Uh, there was like a primitive form of email on these things, and the ones that were multi-line, you could chat live with people, and that was considered a big deal in those days. Well, I was 16 years old. I was on uh, one of my first multi-line BBSs, and uh, I talked to a girl on there who was 18 years old named Tammy from Long Beach, California. And I, I wasn't that far from Long Beach at the time. And uh, she was flirting with me, and I was very excited by the whole thing because I thought, wow, an 18-year-old. <laughs> like, I was 16, and, and I, I had no experience with girls at that point. So I, I was uh, thinking, wow, the, the only thing that would be a downer about this is if Tammy's ugly. And I, I wasn't, like, my standards weren't super high. She didn't have to be gorgeous. I just didn't want her to be, like, gross. Anyway, I, I heard from uh, a guy that uh, I got to talk to on there named Rick that Tammy, that he had met her and that she was actually very hot. And I'm like, wow, that's even better. So uh, Tammy actually ended up being the very first girl who I talked to on the phone with, like, romantic intentions. Like, I I talked to other girls just, you know, for other reasons, but I, this was like the first girl who like, like, you know, gave me her number and I called her and, and we talked and like, we were going to talk about going out. And I, I was still kind of in disbelief that like an, a hot 18 year old wanted to go out with me and I was only 16, but I, I wasn't going to question it. And, and she seemed very up for it and, and we were going to do it. And, uh, it wasn't clear what was going to happen. In fact, and people couldn't send pictures back in those days. Uh, so she didn't know what I looked like other than my description I gave her. And, uh, I only knew of her her looks from from Rick, but uh, Rick told me something eventually as I got to be better friends with him. He's me and Rick started talking more and more. At first, I started talking to him just uh, like kind of randomly on there, and he mentioned that he had met Tammy. But eventually, uh, he told me a story that at first he had been a little too embarrassed to tell me. And this is after I'd already been talking to Tammy a good deal on the phone. He said. I went with Tammy to a party for the BBS. And I was not at that party, by the way. That was before I had joined it, from like a month beforehand. He said, I went with her there, and we talked on the phone beforehand. Everything seemed cool, and she liked me, and I liked her. And I went and picked her up, and I took her there. And not only was she very cold the whole time, but she ditched me. I said, what do you mean she ditched you? He said, well, we got to the party, and she just immediately went over and started flirting with other guys and acted like she didn't know me. And she went home with someone else. And I said, wow, that's, that's kind of screwed up. Like, yeah, that's, it was, I thought, well, wait a minute. Was it understood that you two were going there as a couple? Or were you just kind of like, was she like hitching a ride with you? If, if that's the case, it's not that bad. He said, no, 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 no. You know, we went there like as a couple here. Like, like this is going to be like our date. And then she, she just ditched me and started flirting with other dudes and ditched me and just pretended like I wasn't there. So I said, wow, that's, <laughs> I don't like that story. So then Tammy called me, and I'm thinking, do I mention to this? Do I mention to her? And I knew this. Like, I, I finally 
I mentioned it to her finally. I said, you know, I, I heard something about you meeting Rick and it not going that well. And so she went off and she, she started bashing Rick, saying that he was ugly. She, he wasn't in her social class. She said to me, those her words. I remember those that, uh, you know, that, that she expected he'd be a lot better looking than he was, that she just, she couldn't take it anymore, that at the party she just found an excuse to ditch him. I said, well, okay, well, was that the only problem that you thought Rick wasn't attractive? Was was he a jerk to you? No, no, no. He was nice. Was uh, you know, did he try anything? Did he try to kiss you or put his hands? In? No, no, no. He didn't try anything. I just, I just didn't think uh, he was in my social class. I didn't think that he was someone who I would hang out with. So I, I got rid of him as fast as I could. I, I found another guy there to talk to who was interested in me, and until Rick finally got the message. And she's like, so, uh, so at the time I kept my mouth shut. I, I, I had an opinion that this wasn't very nice of her and I didn't, I didn't like hearing this, but I, I kept my mouth shut for the moment. Well, then, uh, she was mad that Rick told me the story. So she, uh, she sent Rick a message saying like, I don't appreciate you telling people you know, bad things about me. So then Rick brought it up publicly on the BBS that she had done this to him. And then a lot of people were criticizing her. So she called me up in a panic and said, I can't believe the way these immature assholes on the BBS are acting. They're acting like I did something horrible. They're, they're, out, they're all acting like they're entitled to go out with me or that, that uh, I just have to not care and not have any standards for myself. Like, you know, what's their problem? She says, you know, of all these losers on the BBS, you know, like, I don't like any of them. You're the only person I've spoken to here that, uh, that seems reasonable. She's like, she, she was uh, pretty much writing off everybody in the whole BBS and said, like, I'm the only cool one there. And again, we still hadn't met. We were going to be going out that upcoming Friday. I think this was like Tuesday or Wednesday. Keep in mind, I'd never been on a date before. She was two years older than me. Everyone agreed she was hot. And she said to me, like, I'm not crazy here. Like, these guys are totally out of line, right? I'm like, oh, do I say it? Do I say it? Do I say it? So what do you think, Trader Risk? Do you think I said it? Did we lose Trader Ruski again? I see him still. No, 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 no. I couldn't get it off mute. I, I think, uh, I don't think you said it. Well, did I say it? The answer is yes. I actually, I, I reached into myself and found the strength to tell her that I thought that these guys had a point. Now, I, I wasn't a jerk about it. I tried to say it in a delicate manner. I said, well, I can understand why why Rick's a little unhappy about this because uh, you know you, you were going there as a couple and you did just kind of disappear on him and uh, just, you know go with other guys. You can you have to think about how that's kind of distressing for him and embarrassing for him and uh, you know at, le- at least tell him something like this isn't working out. Let's go our separate ways. You just you just ditched him and I, I I can see their end of it. I mean I don't think all these other guys should be jumping in and getting involved, but uh, I can see why Rick is kind of annoyed by this. Well, her tone changed very fast. She got really nasty with me, told me I was one of them. What's my problem? I'm a, f- I'm a fucking asshole, she says to me. Bitched me out and hung up on me. Needless to say, uh, the date was off. I didn't even ask her, are we still going out on Friday? That was it. So uh, I, I messaged uh, Rick on there, and I said, well, guess what just happened? And I told him the story. So Rick said to me, well, I really appreciate you standing up for me like that. I... Uh, I didn't think anyone would have in that spot, but uh, I really appreciate you saying something and uh, seeing my side of it and even telling her that and foregoing the 
chance of uh, going out with her yourself, especially after I told you how she looked. So he said, uh, he said, I don't know. I, I like what I, I see of you. And I think that uh, I, I could see us being friends for a long time. He wrote to me that he's right because I'm still friends with Rick to this day. So anyway, what does this have to do with the forum? This sweet story of uh, the the bromance that came here from uh, me and Rick out of uh, Tammy mistreating him and me speaking up about it. Well, Rick was so uh, grateful that I did this that uh, he had two tickets to an upcoming Lakers game. And uh, he offered to take me to it. So we we got me and Rick. I I was expecting a a date with Tammy. And instead, I ended up on a date to the Lakers with Rick. <laughs> so, uh, so Rick and I uh, went to this Lakers game, and I'd never met him before. You know, he came over and uh, he came over to my house, and then for whatever reason, I drove us. Even though he drove to our house, but uh, I don't know why we then had me drive, but that's what we did. And the reason that was kind of weird is I was not used to driving that far at that point. I didn't live that close to Inglewood and I was only 16 and I had, I got my license like six to eight months beforehand, but I I had only driven locally and I was a little uncomfortable with going that far, but uh, Rick said he would guide me to where we were going. I have no idea why we didn't take his car, but uh, we went in my car, saw the game, the Lakers actually upset the Seattle Supersonics. I remember that the Supersonics were very good that year, and the Lakers upset them and, and beat them. Uh, and I mean, it wasn't that much of an upset. The Lakers were pretty good in 88, but I remember they were not the favorite team. And uh, we went back, and this is where the problem started. Remember, I didn't really know where I was going. Rick was uh, directing me. So I was just too much paying attention to what his directions were and not enough to the road. And also, I was a relatively new driver at 16 years old. Well, there was a lane on that street that was changing from a lane to a parking lane, where it went from three lanes to two, and the third lane became just parked cars. So there was a car in the third lane that wanted to get over, and... I didn't realize that third lane was becoming parked cars and I didn't make it easy for them to get over. I was blocking them and not realizing what they were trying to do. So they ended up having to jam on the brakes and barely avoid hitting parked cars. And you can imagine the driver of that car was not very happy. Well, what was not very good for me was that uh, the driver of that car and the passengers were all black gang members from Englewood. So I pissed off a bunch of gang members. That's not what you want driving on the streets of Englewood at night. So the car pulled up alongside of me and the window went down. Now you know it couldn't have been too bad because I'm here telling you this story uh, 28 years later. But uh, the window rolled down and they started yelling at me. I couldn't even understand what they were yelling, but they were yelling at me. All the windows went down. They were yelling at me. There's a whole car full of, of uh, gang members and they're yelling at me. And uh, 
I, I'm trying to tell them I'm sorry, I didn't see you, I didn't mean to do this. Like I'm trying as hard as I can to, to make them not be pissed at me. I'm doing everything I can to make them understand I'm sorry about it. So uh, they're just still yelling. There's nothing, nothing's pacifying them, and I'm, I'm a little bit afraid. So I, I say to Rick, look, we got to get out of here. I've got to find a way to just get away from these guys. Let's just go an alternate way. So I go, how about if I just go left here? There's, there's, I'm sure we can get home easily still if we go left right now, right? He says, yeah, sure. So I make the mistake of signaling to turn left. And what happens? They suddenly signal to turn left and get behind me. Or so now I got it a little bit wrong. They were a little ahead of me, so I signaled to turn left, and they saw I was signaling, so they got ahead of me in the left turn lane too. So they're ahead of me, but clearly trying to follow where I'm going. So I think from this point that I've got to make sure that they can't pull up alongside of me <laughs> for obvious reasons. And Rick was terrified at this point. Rick was like ducking down in the car, being sure that bullets were going to rain down on us at any point. So we make our left turn together. And they're slowing down so I can catch up with them and get alongside of them. They move to the other lane and slow down. So I slow down. And they slow down even more. So now we're just moving so slowly on the street. And we go through another light, and I'm thinking, how are we going to get out of this one? Like, they, they're, they're trying to get alongside of us, and they're either doing this to screw with us, to scare us, because they know we're the scared white boys, or maybe they really do want us on the parallel to them so they can open fire. So, at this point, Rick is, like, on the floor. He's, he just is terrified. So I come up with an idea. I, I signal to turn left again. And they signal to turn left. Now they, they move to the lane too, ahead of me once again. So Rick says, what are you doing? Yeah, they're going to do the same thing. They, they move to whatever lane you move to. I go, no, 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 no. I have an idea. Hang on. So I waited. I waited. And keep in mind, we're in the left turn lane with a left turn arrow that's red. But the light is green to go straight. So I wait, I wait, I wait until a lot of traffic comes up, including a big truck. And just before that traffic reaches us, I floor it out of the left turn lane back into the regular traffic. And if they try to do it themselves, they can't because they won't be able to react fast enough and all the traffic will be in their way, including that big truck. So as I did that, I looked into their car to see if I needed to duck down myself as I was going by. And their mouths were wide open, like, what?! And I zoomed away, and there was so much traffic they could not get back into the regular lanes to catch me. And then I just made like three random turns as fast as I could, and I was gone. Which I was pretty proud of that maneuver for a 16-year-old. That was my story of the Inglewood Forum. Grenada Rogers saying carry a handgun in the car I, w- I wasn't going to uh, pull out a gun Even if I had a gun I was not going to pull that out there If I pull that out they're going to open fire on me But yeah, their, their mouths were all wide open It was hilarious 
Was the Rick guy 16 too? Uh, he was 17. Okay. Yeah. So we were, no, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like an older dude who was a pedo who was hanging, like taking the 16 year old to a basketball game. No, it was, uh, yeah, he was a year older than me, but, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was very scared and I was scared there too. I, I, you know, they, they shoot people for not very much over there, those gang members. So especially in the late eighties when there was a much bigger gang problem than there is today. So I said, I, I, before that, I thought of that idea. I didn't know how to get out of this one. They just seemed to be going wherever I was going and trying to slow down as much as possible to get alongside of us again. So I had a decent chance. They were just trying to scare us and screw with us. But, uh, fortunately I never had to find out. And, uh, I don't know, maybe I should teach Benjamin this maneuver for uh, 11 years from now. So if gang members ever harass you, Benjamin, this is what you do. You get in the left turn lane, then wait till the traffic comes, and then just gun it right in front of the traffic. So, uh, I, I don't see why they're building up Inglewood again as like a go-to destination. <laughs> That's why they moved away from it. I mean, my experience was not unusual. There's been people who have been mugged in the parking lot of the forum going to see Lakers games many times. It was uh, it was infamous for that. In fact, they even there was some movie plot that revolved around that too. And the city of Inglewood actually complained to the producers of the movie, like they're making the city look bad. But it was the truth. It happened a lot. It was a bad area, and and people coming into that area were were victimized. Because they were considered easy targets. Lou Father saying Benjamin will be in Agura fucking hills before Normandy and Western. I'm in, I'm impressed that Lou Father knows where Agura Hills is. Does he even know where it is, or did he just hear of it mentioned once? Agura Hills is uh, it's in L.A. County, but it's more associated with Ventura County. It's all the way to the west. If you go on the 101 west, it's all the way to the west. It's to the west of the San Fernando Valley. It's a it's a rich area. T Buck twenty seven saying we're also going to put a stadium, knock down Crystal Park to make way for the Compton Chargers. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. There was actually talk about putting the the stadium in Carson, which also isn't a great area, but it's better than Inglewood. Uh, there's like a dump over there that they were proposing to have an NFL team. Return there and build a stadium there But I guess they're doing it in Inglewood Crystal Park which is in Compton I went there once and won a tournament Like a $30 plus $10 rebuy tournament Or something like that And I won it I actually got 2000 bucks for winning it I actually got some real money And I, I both ran well And also was against terrible competition It was associated with a radio show I was listening to then So I went there for that reason Otherwise I wouldn't have gone but there were these dudes that hung out of, outside the tournament room who would then hit up people for money. So I walk out of there, and they see I won the $2,000, and they tell me, you know, they ask me for a loan. And I go, oh, crap. Like, so I said no, but I'm afraid now they're going to follow me out and mug me for it. So fortunately, at Crystal Park, there's like a long hallway to get out of there. So you can see if someone's following you, at least down that hallway. So I kind of just stuck there waited for these dudes to walk away 
and then walked very briskly down the hallway, making sure nobody was following me. And at the very least, you know, once I've got a big head start on anybody who'd be at the beginning of that long hallway, once I exit the door, I know there's like a big space between me and anyone else at that point. And then if I just like walk very fast to my car, no one's going to catch me. So that's what I did. I just like, as soon as I got out that door, I walked super fast directly to my car and drove out of there. I'm like, I'm never coming back here again. Uh, now, these guys never threatened me or anything, but, but they, they were waiting for me to come out as the tournament winner to hit me up for money. And they, they were kind of scary-looking guys. So I didn't give the money, but I wasn't happy about uh, them knowing I was the winner and, uh, you know, it wasn't a good situation. So as far as I know, the Hollywood Park Poker Room is still open. I think that's still open. They just closed the uh, Hollywood Park racetrack. All right, let's see what else we have. So much fail tonight. Uh, final topic. Well, this will have to do with my Verizon story, so I'll just add on to it. Customer service on the phone. Now, why did I get hung up on so many times? I mentioned that it was a third-party company. And when I spoke to Verizon actual customer service on Monday afternoon, I, I got a nice woman there who told me that, you know, after, after she called me back, as she promised, and told me they investigated it, that it was a third-party company that, that takes the calls late at night and that this company doesn't always provide the best service. I dealt with this once before with Verizon. I don't know why I didn't remember my own experience from years ago. I stupidly called them on Friday night, and I, I was very frustrated by it, and that has delayed this whole thing getting fixed, and uh, here we are tonight with fail on the radio. But my Jew tip to everybody is when you have a company that takes calls after hours, you're not going to get the A-team answering the calls. And uh, when I say the A-team... I mean the best employees or even the employees of that particular company. You may get a third-party company, even if it's based in the U.S. It could be a third-party company that might as well be an outsourced company outside the U.S. They'll be just as useless. So you always want the A-team. You don't want people taking the call that work for a different company. You don't want foreign reps taking the call. Because none of these reps care. They don't care about the company they're representing. They don't care about you. They don't care about your account. And there's very little consequence when they mistreat you. They also are not given as much access to do anything of what you need to be done. They're, they're just not given very much power, but they're not allowed to say that to you. So what you want is you want to deal with reps working for the company, ones that are empowered, ones that are located in the United States. And typically, you're going to reach that during the day, Monday through Friday, and sometimes on Saturday. So you want to call during the main operating hours. Now, it doesn't have to be like 8 to 5. It can be like 8 to 7, 8 to 6, something like that. So don't panic if it's after 5. But if it's any time after hours, you need to ask the following questions. And don't always believe the answer, but, but see what you can find out. Ask, first of all, if it's anyone who sounds like they may not be in the U.S., ask, have I reached the United States? Are you physically in the United States of America? 
if they say yes and they still have an accent, you can say, where are you, you know, where are you in right now? What city are you in? Sometimes they'll still lie to you. You have to make your best judgment if you've really reached someone in the U.S. or not. But uh, ask, can you please transfer me to the United States if they say no? Do not ever trust a foreign rep to handle the problem. You'll always get inferior service, and often they're not empowered to solve the problem in the first place. Second, and do this with all companies. I don't care what type of company it is. Always ask for a U.S. rep. Number two, if it does sound like a U.S. rep and it's after hours, ask are you a representative of this company or are you a third-party company who's taking calls after hours? Are you an employee of such and such? Are you a Verizon employee? Are you just taking calls for Verizon or do you actually directly work for them? They may not, may not always tell you the truth, but sometimes they will. And if you just receive bad service late at night, don't keep throwing good time after bad. Don't keep calling back and back and back and complaining and getting angry as I stupidly did on Friday night. Just give up and call back on the next business day during normal business hours. The later it is, the more off of an hour it is, the worse service you're likely to get. And the higher chance it is that you're going to reach someone outsourced, either outsourced in the U.S. or more likely outsourced out of the U.S. Do not ever believe them when they say we have just as much power to do this over here. We have the same tools. We have the same system. No, they don't. They don't have the power to make exceptions. They don't have the power to make things right. They don't have, a pro- they don't have the power to solve non-standard issues. So always make sure you are talking to the A-team. And there's a reason that you're going to reach the A-team during the regular business hours. And that's because that's when that's when the, te- the, the best employees are likely to want to work. That's when managers are there. An employee working at 3 in the morning is probably not one of the more talented or senior employees there. It's usually not even someone working for the company itself. There is one exception to this. Uh, Some banks, especially ones that issue credit cards, do staff people in the U.S. 24 hours a day. So if you want to call American Express, Chase, whatever, you know, companies that are either credit card companies or issue a lot of credit cards, they do have competent staff there 24 hours a day. You won't be able to reach all departments, but for general customer service, those tend to be pretty safe. Just make sure you reach the U.S. But I, I've had productive calls with companies like that at 2 in the morning. And believe me, I wish that there were better customer service reps late at night because a lot of times that's when I have the time to make the call. I still keep a late schedule. But on Friday night, I did not play well. Friday night, I was uh, banging my head against the wall, fighting with people who were not going to be able to solve the problem. Let's see, did we lose Trader Risky? No, we're here. You're here, aren't you? Oh, he said, fading fast, so if I don't reply, you'll know why. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, my, my throat hurts. We've had a lot of issues tonight. 
for those listening in the archives, it won't be as bad, but for those listening live, I understand if you're frustrated. I will get hard at work tomorrow to get this solved. For now, we will end the show. Once again, my condolences to the family of Kate, who passed away on December 1st. Thank you for the $200 that you gave to this free roll. Sorry I didn't uh, announce the prizes, but at least they're posted in the thread. And Anybody playing will receive their prize, obviously. I couldn't really do anything about this because the new router, which I thought would solve the problem, and they thought would solve the problem, did not, and I didn't get the router until about 5 p.m. today. So, I hooked it all up. Benjamin's mom even asked me, you're going to go hook up a whole new router now before the show? And I said, yeah, it's, uh, I have a feeling it'll be awful if I don't. And I was half right, it was awful, but it was awful whether I did or I don't. Or I did not, shall I say. Alrighty. It's pretty tough doing a show for over five hours where you're talking almost the whole five hours. Thank you, Eric Ryland, for calling in and uh, giving a shot to reach this guy who stiffed you, this shady lawyer. Thank you to the various callers we had tonight. Thank you, Trader Ruski. You're hearing me compliment you in your sleep. Thank you for joining me tonight and being uh, our background co-host again. It'll be a week from today when we're on again, January 30th, January 20th. We won't be on the 30th, January 20th, 2016, Wednesday night at around 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. And uh, all the donations that were received that have not been used yet for the free roll will be used next week. I have not forgotten about them. I just didn't want to dilute tonight's Kate Memorial free roll with other donations. Thank you very much for listening throughout all the fail, whether you're hearing this live or in the archive. I'll try to have it corrected by next week. If not, maybe the show will be delayed. Check the Poker Fraud Alert Twitter, which is at Poker Fraud Alert, for information. Thank you for listening. Good night and shalom.